Hey everyone, I uh, just want to do a brief intro before we get into the show. As you can tell by the feed, um, this is an incredibly long episode. We knew going in that we were planning on covering all three DC samplers in one shot, along with Frank, was was going to mean uh, for a long, long episode. But uh, it really kind of got out of hand. Um, so we sort of apologize for that. Um, I guess I sort of look at it as a, a sort of comedy maxim of, if you do something, it's funny, and then if you keep doing it, it's it's not funny. But then if you keep doing it after the point where it's not funny, it sort of becomes funny again. So we hope that's the case here. As we mentioned in the show, you can follow along to the DC samplers on our pot, on our Tumblr, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, where we're going to post every single page from these samplers so you can follow along if you would like. And, um, yeah, so pretty much we hope you enjoy this 50th. Uh, 50th episode extravaganza and uh, we thank Frank for uh, his uh, insane appearance anyway we hope you guys enjoy thanks Firestormfan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Ironclad Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, Rob? <laughs> I am Ironclad, and all my contracts are completely inviolable. Just ask anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we have got a special uh, event for you tonight. Not only are we going to be covering some really cool stuff and your feedback, we have a very special guest, ladies and gentlemen. We have with us tonight the uh, Chris Elliott of the Fire and Water podcast. We have none other than Mr. Diablo Frank himself. Yay! I'm Damn not- it, I was going to drop a Chris Elliott line in there. That's so disappointing. I'm going to have to work on <laughs> something else now. But for those of you who don't know Frank, he's, he's our most uh, frequent uh, and drunken commenter. He's, he's been uh, chasing... Uh, oh, I'm blanking! 
Uh, he's been chasing Joe Slab's alcoholic trail for years and uh, starting to catch up with him now. So, but uh, Frank is also the scribe of blogs such as the Idol Head of Diablo. Oh, yes. See, of- I was just about to say, it's like you're starting with Chris Elliott's filmography and then the people who worked with Chris Elliott. When you start with Martian Manhunter and then you go down from there, nobody in the world cares. <laughs> Fine, we'll just put links out on the uh, out on the blogs, folks. That's it. There Look you for go. For the links to Frank out on the blog. Well, welcome to 2013, or actually probably more like 2006. These blog things are going out of business. I'm telling you, nobody cares anymore. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome back, Frank. How you doing? Uh, oh, I'm okay. You know, we got it started. Uh, I, I thought we were about to start doing shots for how many minutes could go by before we actually began recording. So, and we'd have been blitz, I tell you guys. <laughs> the green room was a little crazy before the show, no doubt about that. I don't have a problem. <laughs> just for you, just to pull back the veil a little bit. Rob finally had to yell at us and say, "Can we please start recording?" My my knuckles hurt from the ruler up. <laughs> Well, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home what we're going to be covering today? Well, we wanted to do something special for our 50th. This is our 50th episode of the Iron Water Podcast, yes. And, you know, in a classic comic book tradition, you always celebrate the big anniversary issues, um, or in in case, anniversary episodes. Um, So we thought, well, why don't we get our most popular guest? Uh, Unfortunately, Dan Jurgens was busy. So we uh, then got our – we, of course, went to our second choice, which was Chad Bokelman. But uh, he can't podcast anymore because he's been doing Ragman cosplay and you can't hear him through the hood. So we decided to get uh, – I thought I thought it was past his bedtime. Was, see, I was trying to do something a little different. I didn't want to pick on him just because he's only 14. I mean, he gets his guts. So anyway uh, – he, he can't stay up this late. He can't stay up this late. Yeah, this is we're, – we're, this is the beginning of a marathon episode. This is like that – does dance contests where everybody just you know they should do in the fifties and sixties everybody just roller skates around for hours and hours and hours and then if you fall over I think they shoot you dead or something like that so this is what this episode is going to be like um, and we are going to cover something that we've wanted to get to for a long time and we just figured why not wait to get to for Frank to come on and we could talk about it. we're going to be talking about the the late great DC samplers. Uh, and for those of you too young to remember or just don't even remember entirely, the DC samplers were a three-issue series that DC put out once a year uh, from, I think, 83 through 85. Um, and they Actually, were, I, think, I think two of them got put out in the same year. Did they really? Okay. Well, anyway, they, they were put out you know, around those years, and they were 32-page, no ads, or in this case, all ads, uh, comics featuring what was new uh, coming out of DC in the upcoming months. I mean, that was obviously in the pre-internet days. You know, you didn't have any of that stuff, so you had to get it all through print. And the books were available for free. And, and they were great because they featured, for the most part, original art commissioned specifically for the book. So it was like these were, you know, yeah, they were just basically big advertisements, but they were really sweet, you know, really well done advertisements. And I don't think I was the only one, in fact, I'm sure I wasn't, that was really disappointed when DC stopped doing them after the third one. Uh, they thought they were really cool, and I still have them in my collection. So we we're going to cover them, much like we do with the Who's Who, page, oh God, page by page, um, <laughs> going well, well into the wee hours of the night uh, for this big 50th episode. Well, and I just want to throw in, too, that I, I want to, uh, people to know that I, I've got Jerry Conway in my trunk right now. That's how I managed to move up to make it to the anniversary show. <laughs> um, and also, this you know, being obscure crap, you know this was my idea. So just have to put that out there. Nobody has heard about the DC sampler except for the three of us. So. <laughs> Actually, it's the two of we're you. Inform, we're going to inform the world and proselytize, so it'll be great. It really it was the two of you. Um, 
that knew about it. I didn't know what the hell these things were. And Firestorm's then, uh, on the cover of the first one, dude. Well, I well, here's what the deal was. I found out because little Russell Burbage from uh, Poughkeepsie. Uh, actually, you know, he moved from Poughkeepsie, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah, he's down in uh, Monticello, Florida now. Anyway, the little Russell Burbage from Monticello, Florida sent me one of these in the mail. He found one in a little uh, thrift shop, I think, and mailed it to me. And that was the first time I'd ever even seen one or heard of it. So uh, my, the preparation, you know, I, I'm one that likes to prepare for these shows. So I looked through Sampler 2 and 3 about four minutes before we started recording. <laughs> so I'm very thoroughly versed in these things. Yeah, I've got about, I don't know, 30 years on you there, Shaq. Because uh, when, when I was a kid, uh, there were no comic shops. It was just newsstand. And there was one particular uh, flea market I would go to where this it was a mom-and-pop stand where they just had stacks of comics, you know, just laid out on a table, take what you want. And that's where I got all my Blue Devils when I was a kid. And they had this one comic mark free, and boy, I loved that. And uh, that's how I got my start was picking up uh, DC – or one of my starts for re- collecting comics was picking up that DC sampler and seeing how big the DC universe really was. Yeah, they're very they're very exciting books. They really and you know they weren't limited to sort of the DCU proper. Although I guess every one of these books is somewhere in the DC universe, but they weren't just superheroes. It was you know as we'll see, they they did the war books and the sci-fi books and fantasy books. So it was it, they were really really kind of cool. And so uh, we're we're feeling they need to pay homage to them in, in our fiftieth episode. Well, I think it's pretty easy to understand. Um, you're saying the late great and all that. Why they ended? I mean. Nowadays, if a comic sells 100,000 copies, it's doing really, really, really well. You know, back then, 100,000 copies was like, yeah, it's okay. So the amount of free comics that they must have produced. Now, I imagine, I imagine they only went to um, <clears throat> the direct market. I doubt they went to the newsstands. But there must have been a ton of these things they had to print. And these things cost money. There's no ads in them. So it's not like they got money from advertisers. So it must have cost them a fortune to produce these things, kind of like free – even with like free comic book day nowadays, many people don't know this, but the retailers actually pay for those comic books. They pay a very small amount of money, but they do pay some money for those free comics. You know, With these, I don't think that was the case. Well, I think that uh, – because this series continued to an extent. It's just that they got away from producing all that very expensive original material, and they started doing more text-heavy work, uh, uh, more like what Marvel Age was doing. So they just kind of went cheap on it, and we're not celebrating those because who cares about old interviews with creators from 1987? <laughs> this this was something special because they this was more like uh, I don't know if y'all ever read the Marvel Age annuals where they would do comic strips and such as commercials for the the comics, mm-hmm. but Marvel was smart enough to charge people for that, and people were dumb enough to actually pay them for the advertising. <laughs> I used to buy I used to buy Marvel Age, me too, the, the monthly book. I did too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess that yeah, the equivalent. You're right. Would have been those. Direct currents that they distributed into stores, which none of my stores ever carried, so I never got my hands on them. Yeah, they, what, didn't they have a, what, that, like a really thin one that came out every month in the early 90s, where it's basically the solicitation copy with a few odds and sods? Yeah, it was, direct, yep. it was called yeah. Direct Currents. I kind of just meant oh, yeah, that was the Direct Current. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of that thing. Could you wake up and pay attention to what we're doing here? It's the booze talking, man. It's the booze talking. <laughs> well, Shag, you're asleep too, because you just said these things never made it to newsstands, and Frank just told a story about how he got them in newsstands, so. Well, no, it was a flea market, actually. Well, all right, but that's still – it's not a comic shop, though. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you get all righteous from a and comic, <laughs> From a comic shop to a flea market. <laughs> what the hell? You're not paying attention. <laughs> all that mattered – all I heard was Blue Devil, and I just shut down anyway. So I stopped listening after that. Yeah. Why don't we stop talking about these comics and start talking about these comics? <laughs> 
Uh, fair enough. Well, uh, Shag, we never even talked about who was going to do the, uh, the, the, the tour, who's going to play tour guide here. I'll, I'll do the first one. Okay. And you do the second one and Frank can do the third one or something like that. Or you two can arm wrestle for it. I don't know. Martian Manhunter didn't appear in this thing anywhere, right? So. One, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. <laughs> <laughs> so, DC Sampler. First one, 1983. Uh, great cover, uh, by, uh, Ed Hannigan and Dick Giordano. You got all a mishmash of DC's heroes from 1983. So you're seeing the Teen Titans is, you know, big, bold in front on the, on the front panel because, you know, they were the number one selling book. They've got All-Star Squadron and Superman, Supergirl, Green Lantern, the Omega Men, Flash, the Legion, you know, all, all a variety of characters. And all throughout the cover is splattered the, the DC bullets. You know, you've got them in a variety of different colors, different sizes, and they all appear to be standing on what looks like what I would describe as a giant Perez sci-fi machine. It looks even like they're though, in the Matrix or something. Yeah, I mean, even though it's a Hannigan drawing, it looks very much like a Perez kind of machine, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and what's cool is um, that's so intricate. The, everything they're standing on is so intricate. The figures aren't really that detailed, and it helps to set them apart from the machinery. It gives them a, a weight in this little world of the cover, but... They, they're separated from all that. It's such a well-designed cover because you've got the gray tones for the machinery and the bright, colorful heroes popping out of that that really sets them off. And even the bullets are pastel so that they don't get in the way of the heroes. I, I, it's mind-boggling how much thought must have gone into making this cover work because there's so many reasons why it shouldn't, and yet it does. And, and the machine is all done with white lines rather than black lines. So it, yeah, along with the gray that Frank mentioned, the white lines just really make it stand out. It looks almost sort of uh, ghostly. Yeah, and the word, the word sampler is wrapped around this machinery as if it's really, like, painted on there. Like, the text actually wraps, which had to be hand-drawn. Uh, that's had to be a giant pain in the ass as well. <laughs> I mean, you know, in some way, this is sort of like a prototype uh, Who's Who cover. A little bit. I honestly would say that none of the Who's Who's covers were as good as this one. This is just incredible thinking, you know, oh, my God, it's such a beautiful cover. Wow, that, that's strong words. Well, again, think about it. I mean, that the color hold or whatever you would call the, the whiteout portion, you don't really, you know, I, I, if I recall correctly, didn't they use something similar to that in Christ itself for, like, the, the shadow race and such? Yes, I think so. I think where, you're right. Where, and, and, again, I think that was used to separate them from all these other heroes. Making this many colors work, making this many figures work, making this many elements work, um, it's astonishing where a lot of those Who's Who covers was just a bunch of people standing around kind of semi-interacting with each other. Uh, all these characters are there. Everybody works well in the relation to their environment. You know the ASS are way in the background because of the small figures and because everything – it just – it's it's very tangible. It's a, it's like a tactile cover. It's it's got layers. It's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know about you, Shag, but I'm not used to Frank being this positive. It's very strange. It's very strange. The the, the alcohol. I don't know whether he's on a, uh, maybe a different brand. If his usual brand's not available at his package store or what, but he's he's a different person tonight. Uh, I chased it with heroin, so it makes you feel a little bit better. Wow! I've never heard that heroin made you nicer. That's a new thing. I've never heard that. <laughs> All right, moving on to page two and three here. Uh, or you open up and you get page uh, one, technically. It just kind of gives you who everybody is, gives you a nice – you remember the meanwhile columns that are always in the back of the comics? Well, this time, and even, even boldly says, they got moved to page one. So you get a meanwhile column by Dick Giordano kind of talking about what the sampler is and telling you the stuff you're going to see and how they're trying to get the word out there about the new books. And our first book that you get to see uh, is a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, two-page spread – uh, of the All-Star Squadron. This thing is breathtaking. It's by Jerry Ordway, and it is, uh, you've got 
sort of this core center machine where Robot Man and Firebrand and Superman are all hooked up and they're, you know, they're either being, I don't know, possessed or energy is being sucked out of them, whatever. But all surrounding them are the JSA members fighting a bunch of real classic villains that from the All-Star Squadron and JSA area. You see the Mist, you see Deathbolt, you see Vulcan, you see the, the, the Monocle and, oh, geez. Psycho, uh, Psycho Pirate, Ragdoll. Thank you. Yeah, keep going. Uh, the Ultra Humanite. Oh, as as the girl, as, as Dolores the girl, Winters. Yeah, the Mist. Yep. Uh, yeah, Brainwave. Yeah, Death Bolt. You've got then the heroes, of course. You got Green Lantern and Adam and Phantom Girl and Flash and Guardian and Batman and Liberty Bell and Wildcat and Johnny Quick and Robin and uh, the Atom. And then in the background, zooming in. Is the it looks like they're coming through almost like a warp or a portal? Is the Infinity Inc. and it's saying you know you know whatever you do wherever you uh, wherever you go whatever you do whatever you whenever you do it don't dare miss the Titanic 26th issue of All Star Squadron featuring the dynamic debut of Infinity Inc. So um, very exciting stuff. Love this drawing. Of course we you know we 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 speak very highly of Jerry Ordway over on the Who's Who podcast. So this is just another like knocking it out of the park one. Yeah, it's a great image to lead off with. I mean, just like, you know, really put you in the moment. Like, kapow! And there's all these, you know, an astonishing number of figures in a tiny space. But Jerry Ordway was great at that. And it's funny, because me coming into it as somebody who was not familiar with the DC Universe and just a little bit longer, younger than you guys, I, I just saw a bunch of ugly costumes. Who are these people and what are they doing these suits? Uh, and I, I think it's Jerry Ordway's art, but you ever uh, go to like comic art fans and see those one minute later commissions where they take a famous image and they show you what happens like a minute later? No, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess it's because Jerry Ordway reminds me a lot of Wally Wood. I look at this spread and I want to see like the one minute later where they've turned it into uh, the Walt Disney Memorial orgy. And it turns out to be the JSA uh, Injustice Society key party. And the Infinitors are just in <laughs> time the to see themselves the conceived. <laughs> The engineers arrived just in time to see themselves conceived at the key party. Now, just, that's what I'm seeing here. All these people on the tables are laying there. It just creeps me out. I don't like it. I, I got to say, I mean, you know, Firebrand, Dolores Winters, Liberty Bell, Phantom Lady, there's some hotness here. There, I won't deny that. Man's so. loosened shirt. What can I say? Now, do you really have uh, a uh, Earth 2 evil raggedy Andy, he's clearly hiding an erection under those baggy clothes. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is what we paid for and what we're getting. <laughs> Look at him bound in Wildcat. He's so excited. Rob, we have no one to blame but no, ourselves. No, we don't. Um, Next. Damn it, Jurgens! if you had just done the show. Right. Now, now Rob, do you really not know Billy what the one minute later stuff is? from the truck. Help me, help me. Right. Do you, do you really not know what the one minute later stuff is? No, no. Oh, it's, a, it's this sort of phenomenon where, where well, people... Well, Frank just will... explained it. Okay. It's so, not always pornographic. It's actually usually not pornographic. Oh, I yeah. figured that was your addition to this. But a lot of times they'll get go to, like, John Byrne and get him to do... Really? Fantastic wow. cover. Fantastic Four covers one minute later kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. One of the things that... Now, I haven't read my All-Star Squadron in years, and I really want to get back to it. I keep saying that over and over. But one of the things that leaves me scratching my head here is Vulcan. The Flash is fighting Vulcan. And yet, Vulcan first appeared in the 1970s All-Star Comics when the JSA came back. In fact, I just read those recently. So how is he back in the 40s? And them not remember him? I have to go back and read them myself. I don't remember. Yeah. Is he in any way related to Son of Vulcan? Or had DC not bought them yet? Um, DC had I bought them at this point. They hadn't yeah, done anything with them, but they had bought them. I don't no, think no, he's connected. This Vulcan has no relation to that one, though. No, okay, that's yeah, I don't think they do. I don't think they I'm do. really not that great with the ASS. So. You had to get that in there. I know you did. 
That's the second time he said it, so, yeah. Did I mention Firebrand's hot? Did we talk about that yet? Anyway, page two. <laughs> All right, uh, well, well past what, page two by well, now. Well, you know, page two of the book proper. All right, two-page spread about none other than the, uh, the, the, the truth, justice, the American way guy himself, Superman. And it's, have you looked at Superman lately? No. This one... <laughs> this is a great ad. This is a clever ad because it covers Superman, Action Comics, Superboy, DC Comics Presents. Um, somehow they're – what? It, it, it's kind uh, of a poorish ad, i got to say. It's, it's, it's just a bad ad because they're trying to throw so much at you at once and they're getting nothing right. Well, it's it's oh okay. Let me get, let me go through it real quick. On the left hand page, it says, "Have you looked at Superman lately? Check out what you've been missing." And it kind of gives you an idea on the stuff that's been covering, like Superman and Lois Lane split, Clark Kent and Lana Lang together, Perry White in trouble with his taxes, I guess. Jimmy Olsen out of trouble. Uh, Steve Lombard fired, thank goodness. Justin Moore hired. No one remembers him. Luther and Brainiac <laughs> updated. So you know, and that's pretty cool because those are the new Luther and Brainiac that became such a mainstay in the eighties. There's all this and more, and every surprise-filled issue of Superman by Carrie Bates and Kurt Swan. Action Comics by Marv Wolfman and Gil Kane. Then the second page, which is where I, I was suggesting was kind of clever because they picked up lots of other comics. Now I'm kind of rethinking what I said. But uh, it says, look up in the sky. It's Superman and his co-stars lighting up future issues of DC Comics Presents, Batman the Outsiders, Amethyst, the Demons, Supergirl, Blackhawk, Swamp Things, Santa Claus. So I now I get what that is. Okay, what they're saying is... These are guest stars who will be appearing in DC Comics Presents. Uh, and then it says, The Making of a Legend, Never Before Revealed Stories of the Man of Steel when he was a teenager in Superboy with the extra of Dial H for Hero. Right. So they're covering Superman, Action Comics, DC Comics Presents, and Superboy in this ad. So they cover four books, which is clever, but the ad is a little messy. Well, it's like I, I get the joke. DC Comics Presents, the guest stars. So they're in little stars. How cute. And, but they're these tiny little stars, which lets Gil Kane get away with drawing as little as possible in each individual star. You know, and these are like those cheap free sketches that people give away at conventions sometimes. Where it's like, oh, just like, got one. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're like icons of what a drawing should be as opposed to actual drawings, it seems like. And they're just so tiny in all this negative space. It's, oh, I hate this ad so much. And, and, and the Daily Planet, we're getting their minutes like who's fired, who's hired, who cares? Yeah, that, I have to admit, when you're, when you're proposing Steve Lombard fired as a big moment, that is – who the – what? That is a big deal. You don't know who Steve Lombard is? I do, but who cares? No, that's a, that's a moment to celebrate. And Justin Moore, again, who, no one remembers I, him. Okay. Why does Steve Lombard look like Henry Kissinger in this drawing? What is Gil Kane <laughs> referencing? I don't – and, and, and uh, Jimmy Olsen, he's, he's all like a monkey. He's, he, I know he's a turtle boy at one point. He looks like a monkey as he's throwing this guy. Jimmy Olsen never threw anybody, and why would he look like a monkey while he was doing it? There's so much wrong here. I love Gil Kane. This is the wor- one of the worst things I've ever seen Gil Kane do, though. Look at his fingers. Look at Superman's twisted, gangly, jacked-up fingers. There's, it's, it's wrong. It's so wrong. And why does it look like Luchasaurus throwing Brainiac like a softball? I don't understand this ad. <laughs> I think what Frank's doing is he's auditioning to not be on our Who's Who episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting out of it, man. <laughs> I, I think has like, that, poor bastard. Not to not to at all to pick on the work of Carrie Bates and War Wolfman or whatever, but I, everyone knows that like these these years of Superman were you know what led to the complete reinvention of the character i mean i think they knew that like they just were running out of ideas on how to make superman fresh and i think this ad i like this ad actually in terms of 
the drawing. I, I kind of like. I, I think all of Frank's points are completely valid, but I still like it anyway. But I, I think this ad sort of exemplifies that there just wasn't a whole lot to crow about with Superman at this point. And that is like the most rad Perry White ever. That is a really cool dynamic. And, you know, Clark Mackinac and Lana Lang, I, I got to admit, that's pretty sweet too. So, it is, it, Yeah, I do like that shot of him and Lana. And, of course, mm-hmm. she's a redhead. But So what I – um. What the sad part about this is, you know, this is what we say, 83, you know, Superman 1 is is five years out, you know, or five years past now. So Superman's pretty much hit the big time. I mean, big, big, big time, at least for this decade. Superman 2 is a success. I don't remember if Superman 3 was out at this point yet or not. But I think it had been, yeah. But, I mean, Superman should be riding high at this point. I mean, yeah. they, they, you know, and this is not riding high. Although Santa Claus in DC Comics Presents is pretty friggin' cool <laughs> all right moving on uh ooh, i'm happy about this two-page spread for aaron lord of atlantis um with art by jan dursima and uh now the book itself of of aaron was written by wasn't it by mr Copperberg? paul cover creation yeah. of paul Copperberg, yes let me tell you i loved this book this book was so cool. I, I, I never was into fantasy. I think I've talked about this on the Who's Who podcast, was that I've never really been a fantasy guy or sword and sorcery guy, but this book worked for me for some reason. Uh, the art was great in the series. I, I will say that the art in this drawing is not as great as it was in the regular ongoing series. Um, there's a few things here that's just maybe they were rushed. I'm not quite sure, but the, the art in the series is this amped up even better. And it's about this guy named Aaron who was a magic user way back in ancient Atlantis and uh, his adventures of, you know, defending uh, defending the realm of Atlantis with his his troop of uh, friends, Wind and uh, Lady, where's her name? I forgot it. Lady Chang. And then his, his arch enemy, Garn Danuth, which is his brother, and Mara and his parents. It's just, it's really rich, rich characters. Rich histories, great storytelling, gorgeous artwork. And Jandra Seam is still a great artist, by the way. So this, this gets a big thumbs up for me, and, I, and I'm just going to ignore whatever Frank says in the next ten minutes. Well, I, I do think it's a great ad. It's very dynamic. I think the logo is wonderful. I like the art. I think uh, Tom Mandrake Geek during the series, though, and that's probably where it looks different, where this looks like pure uh, Jandersima. I think the characters look interesting. It, I like the mix of all the ethnicities and such. It's a shame that Paul Coverberg wrote it. Because uh, uh, Michael Moorcock had written it before him anyway, so it's kind of like there's no point in Paul doing it afterward. Yeah. <laughs> so, Way to fill the dead air. So, uh, <laughs> the Omega Men? Okay. You don't have anything to contribute to Orion, whatever the hell that sings on? Nothing? Uh, I don't, well, all right. This is my thing with Arion, Lord of Atlantis. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it either. It's, yeah, it's, it's Arion. I don't know why Shag couldn't read the I. Is it really an Arion? I, I, yeah, I thought you knew something I didn't, so I just kept my mouth shut. A-R, read it. It's A-R-I-O-N. It's not A-R-O-N. A-R-I-O-N. Arion. Well, Orion is spelled this way with an O. Right. Right. And you say the uh, Never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> Arion, like he's a white supremacist. <laughs> anyway, my thing It's with, a good comic. My thing with Arion is this. I love uh, Paul Kupperberg as a writer. Uh, he wrote some of my favorite Aquaman comics of all time. He wrote The Vigilante, which were like I, lo- I-, I loved a lot of his books. And it's hard for me now to separate like my sort of relationship with the- with him post that. Is that I think he's he's really a great guy. He's been a wonderful fan of, of uh, friend to the shrine and to me personally. So it's like 
all of his stuff that even the stuff I didn't like as much, I, I it takes more of a rosy glow because I have such a warm feeling for the man. Now that said, uh, I could never get into Arion uh, because there is something about me congenitally that is unable to enjoy fantasy. Uh, no matter how well written it is, I can't. The minute I hear in the fantasy realm of Fantuzlar, I'm like, I just pass out. I can't do it. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally with you. I'm just waiting to get to Amethyst to say the same thing. Right. I just, you know, I, I have a very good friend uh, who uh, named Chris Wichendahl who writes books, and he, they're they're really good. I'm able to appreciate how well written they are, but they're all fantasy, and it's like I'll probably I'll, I'll I've tried to read his books, and it's like page two. The fairy known as Dark Elf arrives. I'm like, I just can't do it. And I have tried to read Arion. I have like the first six issues of Arion in a box. I have tried to read them over and over. And I just, and this ad to me exemplifies why I can't get through it. There's so much text on this ad. I mean, this is like a mini book. And I'm just like, I can't read all that. I, 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 I don't. I, it's a, it's a flaw to me. I can't get through the Lord of the Rings movies. I can't. I just it, it extends across. Oh. Yeah, it extends. Well, across, it extends across almost all fantasy. The minute we are in some weird world with elves and and fairies and magicians, I just can't stay awake. So as much as I love Paul Kupperberg as a writer and as a person, and I know this is like his creation, I, I it just it just doesn't click with me. I keep trying. And, 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 you know, Arion has come back later on after the series, and he even tied it into the, to JLA once, which I actually thought was really good. Uh, but the, the series, I just can't – just, I just can't do it. Dude, dude, I totally feel you. I mean, I, I'm the same way. I can't – honestly, I'll, I, I legitimately dislike – actively dislike fantasy, not just have a hard time getting into it. I normally just uh, abhor it. Like, the fact that you walk into a bookstore and science fiction and fantasy are in the same section together offends me. I mean, that's how upset I get. There are just a handful of, section, of exceptions. One is Arion, or Orion. How do you say it? Arion. Arion. One is Arion. Uh, one is the, uh, the, the Aquaman Sword of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you the, like uh, Aquaman Sword of Atlantis? Oh. On the second reading, I like it very much. At least the original stuff by uh, Busick, uh, I do. And, uh, the and other, I'm the exact w- opposite. I like the other end of that one. I don't okay. remember the writer's name. Yeah. The other uh, would be... Uh, Tad Williams. Yeah. Couldn't stand that stuff. Oh, my God. It was so wild. It was wacky. I dug it. I hated it. Then the other would be the Terry Brooks Magic Kingdom for Sale sold books. And the only reason I'm able to get into those is because there's a character from modern day in there. Hmm. There's a guy from modern day Chicago in there. It's like Harry Potter you can kind of connect to because it's a modern day thing. Lord of the Rings, and and this is where I'm surprised you said it first because this is where we're going to get the hate mail from is I despise Lord of the Rings. The books, they're wretched. Absolutely couldn't stand them. The, The movies are visually entertaining the story I couldn't care less other than Gollum because he's just creepy. So I, I totally feel you, man. I really do. Fantasy is nowhere I want to be. But um, this book works. Uh, one thing, too, and this isn't a curse one, Rob. I wish more of this stuff had made it into the Aquaman universe. I think these characters are really well designed, and that I think they could be appropriated for superhero stuff pretty easily because they kind of fit well in both worlds. Garn Danuth would have been awesome as an Aquaman villain. I just have to put that out there. See, and the thing I love is the one time when Paul Kupperberg worked Garden Denuth into the JLA universe, this is in JLA number 217, which was an Aquaman-centric issue, I loved it. I really did. And so it's like I, I always felt like, well, all right, I liked it here. Why just doesn't – why can't it work for me? I don't know. Maybe I need the JLA to be involved in there. I, I just don't know. But. Well, they, well, Peter David worked Orion into uh, – or Arian into 
uh, the Aquaman story with Power Girl. Right. But as we all found out last episode, Rob hates that, like, with the power of passion of a thousand burning suns. So. I hate it as much as almost I hate the Legion. I tell you. I, I actually really like Power Girls at Atlantean. I thought it was kind of cool. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, one more thing, too. You can tell that a woman drew Arian because, man, he's got that rock god androgyny crotch shot action going on. <laughs> that is so the female equivalent of the cheesecake. It's way. He does look very Robert Plantish now that you say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always uh, thought, I was looking at this um, the other day, and my stepson popped over my shoulder and he looked at it and he goes, Is that Apache Chief? It's <laughs> like no, but good call. You know, I'm not Chuck. You score points for a 13 year old using an Apache or Chief reference. So. I guess I should mention just before we get off this that both Tom Mandrick and Dan Dersima are graduates of my alma mater, the Joe Kubert School. I knew awesome. that was going to come up eventually. I knew that was going to come up eventually. I was just waiting for it. Why do you say it like that, Frank? <laughs> because they, they're alumni. I knew you went there, and for some reason, these guys always like pop to the fore in my mind whenever I think of alumni from the school. Okay, you know, especially since they coupled up and then they've had such a long career. These are like two of the first guys I think about when I think of the school, and of course, I think of you when I think of the school. So. <laughs> Thank you. You're the only one. <laughs> well, Tom Mandrick also drew uh, an amazing run on Firestorm. So yes, he did. There we go. All right, the Omega Men, a very, very simplistic frankly kind of boring ad for the Omega Men. It says, the war is over, but the excitement never stops. It's got Tigor just cheering and then a bunch of other sort of like one single color yellow red ink stuff that's not very interesting. Yeah, I love the Omega Men, but this is not a great ad. Well, since you read it, is this just panels from the comic? They yeah, just threw yeah, it, it there? Is, that's horrible. Yeah. Uh, the thing with the Omega Men, uh, I went to like this little camp for like a week or so for like Poor kids, because uh, we only get a week. Um, anyway, uh, it's, not, the, the, it's, not, it's not like fat camp. It's poor kid camp. Right, it's poor kid camp. We only get a week. So anyway, so I'm in there, and the the, the guy I don't know they call them counselors, whatever they were. The guy who was in the, the the adult male who was in the room with us. I believe the word is actually um, warden. I believe. Is it really? <laughs> it makes sense. He had a bulletin board, and on there he had a postcard of the Omega Man number one cover. And I pestered that poor guy for the whole week over that postcard, and he finally gave it to me. And of course, I promptly lost it because I was a kid. We don't have any, you know, we don't have anything. But it's such a great name. I love the name Omega Man. I love the concept. And the whole series for me, whenever I would try to read it, it was like this ad. It's just like, that's it? That's all we get? Um, and it didn't help that Todd Smith was drawing that thing. Todd Smith, not you know, anybody's number one favorite artist. But I have to point out that Mike DiCarlo did his best to save that. Mike DiCarlo was like the Joseph Rubenstein of DC Comics. Really nice-looking stuff, considering that Todd Smith was the guy who drew the pencils up. You, you, you make me tired. Just listening. <laughs> and it's good. We're only on page four of three books, so tired. This next, one we're, this next one we're going to have some fun with, especially oh, since no. someone... Oh, no. Yeah, especially since said, someone does a, a Diana Prince new Wonder Woman blog. Frank's Here had a go. chance to crap on a younger artist. Now he has a chance to crap on an older artist. I'm going to take a crap first. Um, Wonder Woman, it's, a, it's all about Wonder Woman. And this is the era written by Dan Mishkin and drawn by Don Heck. So this is not too long after the Wonder Woman, the, the new Diana Prince era. And it's it's got Wonder Woman... You know, blocking some bullets in her traditional Wonder Woman costume. And there's all kinds of images around here. You see Steve Trevor. You see the, the the Amazons. You see some funny little trolls. You see Huntress. You see Elongated Man in Black Canary. The thing I like about this, though, is clearly they're basically it's all. You know what? I'll just read to you a little bit here. It talks about what uh, the changes that are going on in Wonder Woman. It says her lasso severed. Her bracelets cracked. 
Diana must submit once more to the rule of love. Get ready for the brand new storyline which guest stars a black canary and elongated man. Now here's the part that I want you to pay attention to. With sensitivity and respect, Dan Mishkin and Don Heck have been bringing us a new Wonder Woman. Not a brusque departure from the compassionate Amazon, but an enriched portrayal. Basically what that said, let me translate for you, is this isn't the crappy thing where they stuck her in a white you know, uh, disco outfit and changed everything. We're trying to say this is the classic traditional Wonder Woman. Except the problem is, this is an era that no one will remember whatsoever. Except, hey, aren't those the issues a Huntress used to be in the back of? So, uh, Frank, over to you. Well, uh, uh, you, I, I was hoping you'd get to the next box. There will be fresh faces in our supporting cast and a fresh look at some of the familiar faces, too. It's like if they say it enough times, you'll believe it. <laughs> and, and on a Wonder Woman ad, the word fresh, especially if you're our generation, I'm thinking of, like, douche. You know, I'm not I'm, – I'm not thinking of the place I want to be. Um, yeah, this thing – it's a perfect advertisement for nothing the readers of 1983 wanted to see. <laughs> it's like if you put a trailer for like a bad 1950s B movie, sci-fi movie, and you put that out in a, in a movie after the summer summer Star Wars came out. You know, it's like wow, you got these little you know funky jets on strings, and then you see Star Wars, and then you're supposed to see that again, and you just can't unsee Star Wars. So yeah, it's just all kind of bad. You got the '60s cat eyes, you got the Tandy Whiz kids uh, getting shocked <laughs> by the old man. Uh, you've got the Goonie aliens that are trying to bring gingivitis to these poor people. Um, you've got Steve Trevor with that cowboy holster in a trash room, like it's a 1970s detective show. I'm expecting Barnaby Jones to come in from stage left. Um, all, and all this had. I'm sorry, I have to oh. say, but, but no, nothing suggests excitement in a guest appearance by the elongated man. No, no kidding. I do have to say, though, wouldn't it have been awesome, so awesome, if Black Canary had actually shot him dead? <laughs> I mean, she was pointing a big old ray gun at him. It would have been a huge departure for the 80s because then you, you never have identity crisis. Maybe Sue starts drinking the gin gold, and she takes Reed as far as place in the Doom Patrol. I see so much potential if they just killed Elongated Man at this point in time. That would have been great. Oh, my God. This, you're, you're like the sickest what if I've ever heard of. <laughs> Uh, what, what this ad really does, though, is tell you Huntress was really cool. And that nobody was, was reading that book before the Huntress. That was a great strip. The backup with Huntress drawn by Joe Oh, yeah. It, that was a great Yeah, strip. Stan Walsh did those, too. And Stan Walsh is one of these guys that nobody remembers anymore. He was really fantastic. Yeah, that was that was a really underrated strip. It really was. Very moody, too. It, it, that was – this is a 60s comic. And, and the, I think one of the things they were trying to point out, too, is that for a while they're in the 70s with the TV show on. They went back to the 1940s era. And so they're trying to show, no, 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 it, we're in the 80s now or something resembling the 80s. Um, but the only thing that really worked was Huntress because she was very much a part of that time period. She was really great looking, really – she was fresh um, in, in not-so-fresh feelings. You know, aside uh, with one woman over here, but yeah, that, I wish that you know, uh, people. I don't think a lot of people ever went back and read that stuff because after the crisis, people really focused on Helena Bertinelli. But there's some really good material there, and they they never finished reprinting it either. They did one trade of Dark Knight Daughter collecting the uh, um, uh, Bob Layton stuff, but uh, that second trade would have been great because there were so many really cool artists. I think Mark Beecham drew it for a while. Very exciting artists that DC didn't really get use out of, but in the '80s. Marvel did. A lot of those guys ended up moving over and doing some great work for Marvel instead. So you get the classic villain, the Earthworm. <laughs> As we all learn from who's who. You see that dead air? That's because the Earthworm's that exciting, folks. It's Caliban, but not nearly as interesting. Okay, moving on. We get our uh, obligatory Batman double-page spread. This one is advertising Batman, Detective Comics, and Batman and the Outsiders. You get a nice sort of five-panel strip across the top where the Joker's 
you know, robbing a bank, and Batman swoops in to punch him, and then all these crazy distance and energy powers come in to zap the goons, which is clearly the outsiders helping out. And you get uh, a nice big uh, spread across the bottom of Batman swinging across the building, being chased by the outsiders, as if to go, no, Bruce Wayne, come back with all your money. So you get Halo, you get Metamorpho, Katana, Black Lightning, and Geoforce. So, and it says, uh, you know, he is the world's greatest detective, appearing in Batman by Doug Mensch and Don Newton, and Detective Comics by Mensch and Gene Colan. And then they talks about Batman and the Outsiders by Mike W. Barr and Jim Aparo. And now, before you guys crap all over this, I love this ad. I really do. I love Batman and the Outsiders. I still do. I know that Siskoid on Siskoid's blog of Geekery uh, does a regular takedown of Batman and the Outsiders, practically panel by panel, which I, I think is totally fair. <laughs> but, uh... I, I love Batman the Outsiders, and I think this is a really fun ad, and it, it, uh, it, I, it makes me want to go back and read all those comics again. You're just saying that to keep Luke, Jack, and Eddie from yelling at you. I, I no, you know, no, I genuinely love this this book. I really, and I thought this was a good run on Batman by Doug Menick and Don Newton, very underrated, and the great Gene Collins. So I, how, I love this stuff unreservedly. How do you say his name? Munich. Menick. Uh, no, <laughs> it's it like actually that? pronounced. It, it's Minch. It is Minch? Okay. I, yeah. heard, I heard somebody uh, uh, say Menic once, re- I assume they were right. Yeah. No, I was actually – I was at a retailer conference one time, and they made a point of pronouncing it. Yes, it's Minch. Yeah, okay. The guy knew him personally. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm going to completely surprise you. I think this is a great ad as well. Hey, um, look at that. What, what I love is – and I wish more of the ads had done this. It really does tell a story. This is a comic book. You know, It's a two-page spread, but you got all the panels on the front. It tells a story. you got a great Joker. Love Joe Perrell's Batman. I was in love with uh, DC Comics Presents. It was one of my gateway books coming into comics. So everything about this works. And this is from a time when I actually wanted to read about the Outsiders. In this shot, they look cool. It got me excited about them, and that's why I hate them so much because of the betrayal of actually reading their book and finding out how awful it was. <laughs> I knew it was coming eventually. <laughs> I, I like this ad because, I, of course, I, you know, I love Jim Aparo. I loved his stuff on Aquaman. I feel like this is probably – this is where I get, I get people pissed off at me, but this is probably like his great last gasp before the decline in his artwork. So this, this era looks pretty nice though. Uh, now, I'm a little confused on Black Lightning's powers because I didn't realize until recently – his bolts are actually supposed to be black. Is that right? Because uh, here they're yellow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right and they're now. black in one of these later samplers we're looking at. And, it, I, and it, Go ahead. I, I think that this is where they made the transition. I think prior to Batman and the Outsiders, he shot black uh, electricity. And, in fact, in one of the later samplers, they show him shooting black electricity. Right. So they started moving into the yellow uh, around this point, I think. Okay. Because he's shooting black lightning again in the New 52. That's the first time I ever noticed it. I was like, huh? And then I started noticing more in the old stuff. But I agree. It's nice. I like the way this tells a story. And uh, it is an exciting sort of thing. This is, this is the type of ad that would have got me very interested in reading Batman and the Outsiders back in the day. Uh, one other thing, too. Uh, Jim Aparo was, had really bad eyesight throughout his life. But it, was, it declined to the point of near blindness before the end of his life. And I'm pretty sure that had something to do with looking at the Outsiders costumes. It was drawing Halo. Oh, That's what did it to him. Was drawing Halo. <laughs> Oh, all right. Next up is a two-page spread that is absolutely breathtaking, okay? It's absolutely gorgeous. It's for Amethyst, Princess of General by Ernie Cologne. He does the most amazing uh, frame on this thing. It is insanely intricate. It must have taken him just a day to draw the frame. Uh, It's a gold-gilted sort of frame around the whole page. Then you've got panels telling you the story of Amethyst about how Amy goes into the fantasy realm and, and joins Amethyst and the houses that she's fighting with. And uh, they've got some of Ernie Cologne's um, trademark, like living 
beings, like there's some trees, and the trees have faces on it, and all these different things in general have faces on them, so you see some of that. You see some of the bad guys. Uh, what's his face? It's, uh, Dark Opal. Black Opal. Dark Opal, there you Dark go. Dark Opal, one of the greatest character designs of all time. He just looks so cool. So... Whatever, regardless of what your feelings on the Amethyst comic may be, or the realm of fantasy, you got to acknowledge this is a gorgeously uh, drawn page, and it it has an an energy that sort of would get you excited about this kind of thing if you liked fantasy. So, I now turn it over to the two. Oh, it's by Dan Mishkin, Gary Cohn, and Ernie Colon, and I now turn it over to the two little black rain clouds. Go ahead. No, actually, I agree with you. This ad is beautiful. It's really beautiful. Again, it, it didn't make me for one second when I read this book. Uh, but uh, it is a gorgeous ad, a really beautiful. I mean, Cologne really went all out for this one. Uh, pretty astounding, really. But uh, said I still never read anything past the Matthias number one. Yeah, the intricacy of that border is astounding, and I dig how you've got the positive supporting cast members on the left-hand side. You've got the evil guys on the right-hand side, like looking into the, the centerpiece image. Really well designed. I, I love Ernie Cologne's artwork. Um, it's just it, it it kind of seems like this big puberty metaphor, and uh, um, you know even when you read the text, it, uh, those '80s fantasy movies always had that same voiceover guy where it's like, "This is a place of wonder of which others only dream." Yet for Amy Winston, it is real and you can just hear that funky 80s movie guy voice when you're reading it um and uh here's the thing like in the 80s there was a book called meet misty it was drawn by trina robbins and it was about the girliest thing you could read and i as a boy actually read that i also played with barbies as a boy you guys can go off on that later on oh but my anyway, god you're giving us so much material for later that. episodes when you're uh, not to talk back my, my grandmother asked the doctor if it was okay, and he said, yes, it'll help me to build good social uh, 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 skills. Boy, so that what's wrong about that? Yeah, see, well, that worked out. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? So anyway, so I read Meet Misty for like five of the six issues. I guess I finally got old enough by the sixth issue. I just couldn't quite bring myself to, to pick it up. But, I mean, the book had pinups and, and, you know, paper dolls, all this kind of stuff. It was about the girliest thing ever published. And yet somehow to me, this is even girlier because there's something about the little girl as she becomes a woman and she's running around with the guy with the cute little yellow and white thingies. And again, like, I hate, hate, hate Tolkien. I despise all that stuff. As soon as you start, the wizard and the wonder, it's like, I just check the hell out. I cannot stand that stuff. And that seemed to be all that Amethyst was, was wonderful, glorious quests to get the hell out of here. I just, I, I can't handle it. I cannot handle it. But the the whole point is, and I, I did an interview with Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn about Blue Devil and Amethyst, and the point they were making here, this was a comic for girls. I mean, girls, girls and guys, but you know, they were trying to mar- create a market for for girls in comic books, and they had a plans for action figures, all kinds of stuff. And this could have been a juggernaut. This could have been something that we were still talking about today if the toy line had been launched. And again, not for us, but for girls, and would have made a real real difference in the world. But uh, unfortunately, She-Ra made it first. I'd have shanked a kid for a black opal action figure, let me tell you. <laughs> that, that would have been and, neat. That would have been really neat. Yeah, yeah, that would have been so much better than She-Ra. I, just, I will say that. Yeah. Because I had, I had a few too. girly man She-Ra figures, too. And uh, yeah, no, this is better. Dark opal. <clears throat> this is for Dan. Uh, dark opal over Hordak any day, boys. So I, why do we not have Dark Opal in the New 52? Somebody just needs to steal that and put him right in. That guy, you want to read about that guy. He's so fantastic looking. He's so intriguing. Was he not in the Amethyst book? I didn't read the Amethyst book. Uh, nobody else did either. 
Right. <laughs> then I'm done. It's already, it's already canceled, too. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I really um, don't think so, though. I don't think they took hardly anything from the actual book. I think that Christy Marks just went off and did her own thing, and it got all rapey almost immediately and turned everybody off. Ugh. Yeah, there's like a proto-rape scene like on page two or something of the first issue. Yeah. On that happy note, we'll yeah, move right on to the next wow. page of Sorry. the Sorry New Teen Titans, up. probably DC's number one top-selling book at this point, uh, featuring the New Teen Titans by Marv Wolpen and George Perez. And uh, you get across the top eight cool panels, uh, each one featuring characters in the, sort of their secret identities with some sort of subplot issue, you know, like, where will Steve Dayton take Garfield Logan? Hopefully it's not to a dark closet. <laughs> How will these people change Vic Stone's life? Well, I think it's just pretty much his grandparents. Which path will Wally West, Wally West's life take? Unfortunately, he becomes a Republican. Will Trigon's destiny, well, will Trigon destroy his daughter, Raven? No, that, that just wouldn't sell any comics. Who is the mystery man in Dick Grayson's life? No one really. <laughs> Why does Princess Coriander return to her own planet? Because hopefully she will leave the DC universe forever. When will Tara Markov betray the Teen Titans? Issue forty. What is the secret past of Donna Troy? No one cares, and they keep changing it. So <laughs> the answers to these qu- and many other questions can be found each month in the new Teen Titans, and it says Comic Dome's number one fan favorite, and it's got this great shot on the bottom. You know, all the way like bottom half of the page. Two pages across of the Teen Titans all running from Teen Titans Island out to you. And it's got, you know, the trademark Perez floating rocks, which he does so well. You know, you've got the trademark black billowy cloud with yellow highlights from Raven. It's just, it's a really great shot of the Teen Titans. I do have to say, this would have been a great time for Tara Markov to betray the Titans because she'd have taken out three of them right there just because they're floating on her rocks. Goodbye, <laughs> 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 Dick Grayson. <laughs> pixie, bo- pixie boots don't help you swim. <laughs> Did Raven fly? I forgot. She couldn't fly, could she? It was all her astral form, wasn't it? She could teleport out of there, probably. But... Yeah, now she's dying. Yeah. And there, oh, there's a hot Donna. As I mentioned last episode, Donna Troy. <clears throat> Yum. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Starfire is supposed to be the sexy character because she's running around in the bikini and everything. But something about that skin-tight outfit, I do not see any panty lines, uh, the the vinyl boots. I'm I'm definitely a fan of Donna Troy's outfit. Character I couldn't care less about, though. Totally objectifying her. Oh, she has a character? I didn't notice. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, it it, it was Jean Grey's personality. So, you know, they got some (laughs) excited that. She did die and come back almost as as much. It is a great ad, though. I, I like the who, what, where, when, why. It does sell the soap opera. And I do think that Marv Wolfman doesn't get credit for being – I think he was better at the soap opera than Chris Claremont. And that was obviously the direct competition and the direct inspiration. Um, so I, I – and this really does highlight that because if you try to do the same thing with the X-Men at this point in time, they wouldn't have been able to fill up half those boxes even with something as cheesy as Vic Stone's grandparents coming up you know, showing up to see him. And well, God, it's so well drawn too because who was doing X-Men at this point? Was it still uh, – uh, 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 Cockrum? No, no this is, it would have been either burned by yeah, it would have been burned by this point, or maybe no, 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 not eighty three. It might have been Paul Smith, maybe. He was on yeah, that's what I was saying. It could have been in Paul Smith. Yeah. Now, um, it was around this time that you got the X Men and Teen Titans cross uh, uh, crossover, which was great. Yes, it, I love that. Get through that. But, uh, yeah, it, it is a wonderful ad. It's wonderfully well-drawn. I do have to point out, though, that George Perez had a lot of negative things to say about Vibe, and Starfire is a quasi-Latina, and that's not a portrayal of a Latina as you really want to put out there. Because do, does anybody in this room hate uh, – does anybody like Starfire? Anybody in this room like Starfire? I thought she was that's okay. Thought. I, I thought she was all right. She was inoffensive. Is that I, what you're saying? Yeah. I, I liked the fact that she slept around with Duke Grayson. So <laughs> I mean, well, I, okay, I'll give you that. that that's, a, that's a bonus. But have I never 
talked on the show about my feelings for Starfire? I don't, I don't think, think so. I, I, okay, I think we really should move on. Before we'll I save it for who's who, the, the details of it, but she is my least favorite character in the entire DC universe. Okay. I'm just glad feelings weren't like tactile feelings when it came to Starfire. So. Well, okay, there's something to be said for that. But anyway, moving on. Uh, one well, more wait, thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have something too. I'm sorry, Fred. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I used to talking and don't care what other people say. But okay, go ahead, guys. I was just going to point out that the mystery man in Dick Grayson's life is Adrian Chase, who became the vigilante. Ah, that's pretty cool. And his first appearance was one of the, uh, an early annual that I bought. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Great, taut thriller. Yes, New Teen Titans annual number two. Yeah, it's very good. Um, I've got this huge stack of New Teen Titans I, I need to read. I've only read the first few. So uh, the only thing I, I'm sorry. The only thing I wanted to mention was uh, the ad is very nicely colored. I don't know who did it, but I love that the insets of the characters at the top, all the backgrounds are monochromatic. I think that really helps set it off. Helps set off the characters in the foreground to have the monochromatic yeah. backgrounds. It's very, very, very striking. Not, not a surprise that you know an ad designed by George Perez is probably going to be the nicest in the book, but really beautifully colored. Whoever did it. See, this is why having an artist on the show is worthwhile. You, you tell us stuff like this. I never would have picked up on that. Cool. I, I and you know Perez had this way of drawing Dick Grayson Robin, where regardless of how ludicrous the costume was, he looked awesome. Yeah. And another one with uh, the fangirl fan service. You know, the ladies got to love Dick Grayson under those terms. <laughs> That's yeah, true. That's Starfire true. made him a man. What can we say? <laughs> That's tr- so true. All right. Next up uh, is a really cool two pager uh, showing, as Rob said earlier, you know, that the DC Comics is more than, more than just superheroes. It covers GI Combat and Sergeant Rock. And on one side, you know, what you have here is the creative teams of Sergeant Rock and GI Combat are being about to be shot in a firing squad and sort of reading out the charges, which is kind of cute. And then they talk about the different sort of stories that appear in GI Combat, the mercenaries, the haunted tank, Canna the ninja master, you know, uh, Jeb, Gus, Rick, Craig, you get those folks. Then uh, on the Sergeant Rock page, you get to see Bulldozer and Little Sure Shot and Ice Cream Soldier and Four Eyes and Jackie Johnson and Wild Man, the dummy, which is freaking creepy. But anyway, so at the end, the, the guys are given a pass and told they can survive. Um, so, But if the, if the readers aren't happy, they're going back to the firing squad. So it's kind of a fun thing. But, of course, the art is by the brilliant Joe Kubert. Uh, it's a really fun ad, and uh, it's got a fun spirit. And uh, it's got Robert Kaniger wrote it, and um, Adam Kubert did the, did the letters. Yes, they, this is all produced by the Kubert School at this point, and and uh, I have to say, uh, Joe Kubert did a very accurate uh, drawing of himself. <laughs> that looks like Joe. So, uh, which one, the old man or the or guy in the Rock? one in the center? The guy, yeah, of, of Joe Kubert of himself, the guy in the center of the firing squad there. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, the one who's the talking. tall guy. I miss the Filipinos. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I like that the the, the Bob Kaniger has got a pipe in his mouth, even though he's going to be executed. He's still okay. <laughs> Uh, although I do find it creepy that at the very end the dummy is talking. I find that just upsetting because I find dummy- so is the, was the dummy did, – did one of the guys carry a ventriloquist dummy? Yeah, is that the yeah thing? there was a character and it wasn't one of the regulars but like yeah, – yeah, creepy. They, I know they freak you out, Rod. They freak me out I too. I don't like it at all. <laughs> but it's I also like how the left page is all black and the right page is white. That's kind of nice. 
I really didn't like the set at all. I think it's just trying to do too many things at the same time. Properties are thrown around willy-nilly. You all the tiny figures. I don't like the cutesy fourth wall breaking stuff. Uh, I, I look at this, and I think this is how normal people feel when you talk about comic books. And, you know, we're all inured to it, and they don't know what the hell's going on. Because I'm like, you got this Confederate general, and he's going to lead people – you know, in battle, and it's like, but he's a Confederate general, and you're going after, like, the Japanese, so there's, like, this weird racist thing going on there. Um, you know, you got Kana, the full-blooded Japanese ninja master. It's like, man, there's so many different stereotypes going to that at once. It's like, Disney's just a small world of martial conflict after all, right? Uh, it's an easy ticket attraction to heavy arms and severed arms. Uh, the mercenaries look like something out of the wild geese. Uh, you know, because I'm sure the kids were crying for Michael Caine and David Niven analogs in their comic books you know and then you got jeb gus rick craig cubby and annette uh, what the hell is this uh, oh my God. i think uh, jackie johnson i guess they're trying to put jackie robinson and jack johnson together so it's like wow the two black people that you've heard of you're just going to put them together and boom you got a new guy little sure shot what the hell ice cream soldier four eyes the dummy what is this crap i don't i don't, I don't want anything to do with this stuff oh uh, it, it's well-meaning but it's embarrassing liberalism and, and it puts the lie to itself when Ugh, it's just bad. It, it, and then, of course, it's glorifying jingoism and the military-industrial complex was the big thing. You know, you wanted to, to have, you know, you wanted G.I. Joe and you wanted Sylvester Stallone, and you didn't want this sort of dated World War II, war's bad stuff. People wanted to see cool war stuff, especially after Vietnam. They didn't want to be reminded of all the terrible stuff. And this seems like, like a bunch of middle-aged guys who are just playing out their time. They're doing the kind of stuff they want to do, and I don't really think that they were thinking of an intended audience. I think they were just doing it for themselves, and it shows. When you die and you go to hell, the only thing there to read is going to be Our Army at War, just so you know. <laughs> Nesta well, Redondo. Yeah. I'll enjoy Nesta Redondo. I, I mean, I That's think I, that, out of that. I think ultimately that, you know, essentially Frank was right because they ran these ads and yet these books, nobody read these comics at this point. It was near the end of their run. So, you know, DC was definitely trying to keep them alive, but they were on their last legs. So, well, It was probably the same middle-aged old guys that were reading them as was writing them. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, Sergeant yeah. Rock, Sergeant Rock limped along for a few years more, but uh, yeah, the, uh, the these books they they sort of stick out because they do seem like kind of an antiquated kind of thing. And to, you know, in my mind, like they haven't been able to do Sergeant Rock since then. They've tried to bring it back a bunch of times, and I like the concept, but I've just never it just never worked to me. Yeah, I feel like Sergeant Rock had a specific time, and it just doesn't work outside of that. Oddly enough, but I, I love the concept of war comics. I just haven't found many that. I enjoy reading personally. It's right. not a dig against. It's not. It's not like my hatred for fantasy. Like I actually appreciate war comics. I just. I, it's. I just have a hard time getting into them. I, I enjoyed the stuff with the the the, the time or the land that time forgot. I love those. The dinosaur island stuff. But other than that, I, I've never really been drawn to the war comics. But this ad looks great. I love the way they look. Yeah, so. it's a beautiful ad. It's very well yep. drawn. So. Next up, we get a two-page spread of World's Finest Comics featuring Superman and Batman. It's the first superhero team-up. The comic is still the best. Uh, and it talks about the drama, adventure. And uh, Oh, no, no, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And so it says, um, oh, geez. It, it talks about how they're the most popular heroes. It talks about their friendship and the deadliest foes and all this stuff. And then, here you go. Breaks yourself, folks. It's, it talks about the new Deadly villains. This is exciting stuff. When you first see the daring, different, and dramatic new supervillains heading your way in World's Finest, you'll wonder how even Superman and Batman will survive. Here we go, folks. Here's your big list. Null and Void, the Moon Dancers, and coming up, the Pantheon. 
None of which I've ever heard of any of them. <laughs> did they even make once. it into Who's Who? I don't believe they did. <laughs> I could be wrong, but now then they list of the list of top artists that have apparently recently worked on the book: <laughs> Ross Andrew, Mike Barr, Tony Dzunga. Uh, I can't say his name. Thank you. Adrian Gonzalez, Frank G- Giacocca, Ed Hannigan, Klaus Jansen, Gil Kane, David Anthony Kraft, Frank Miller, Doug Mensch, Walt Simonson, the, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, Marv Wolfman, <laughs> the 1979 Harlem Globetrotters. You know, everyone else that's worked on this book. Rip Taylor. Uh, exactly. But I, never before has this relationship – this is kind of creepy. Comic Dome's most legendary friendship. Never before has this relationship been explored in such depth. It's more vital than ever before, ever growing, ever changing, especially now when it's rocked by its explosive developments that led Batman to fall in love with Superman. Oh, wait. That's not what it says, but that's how I read it. <laughs> such depth, ever growing. <clears throat> exactly. I mean, this – Apparently, Superman, this is, this is mid- Midnighter and Apollo right here, folks. <laughs> in fact, there's a little bondage going on here because on the, on the first page you get a drawing of Superman holding chains for no apparent reason and Batman holding the batarang with his, you know, the rep bat line that goes with it. So uh, Who's the bottom? Which Who's is the, the top? top? Yeah. Oh, man, I thought it was the same thing, dude. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> now, the sad thing is this drawing, the art isn't that great. Which is disappointing because the, the Superman and Batman piece, at least, is drawn by um, Jerome K. Moore. Jerome K. Moore, who's a phenomenal artist. Yes. So it's almost yes. maybe it's the inker. Uh, who's that? Buchanan? I or, can't. I don't know who that is. I don't recognize that, that guy. Name. Never did anything. Bertram. No. So I don't know. But anyway, this is a so what, do you, what do you think of this, boys? This is a terrible <laughs> ad. I, look, once they decided to detonate the Superman Batman relationship for, for, via Batman and the Outsiders, there was nowhere for this book to go. There just wasn't, and they kept bringing, they kept stringing it along because this was an era where all the titles that were long running were still going, and they felt they couldn't cancel them. But this book, I used to love this comic when it was a dollar comic and had different features. But after they blew up these two, these two guys' relationship, this book was completely treading water. And this ad is, I'm sorry, I, I like Jerome K. Moore, I love his work, but whoever this, this, ad, I even like these kind of new logos that sort of like, uh, sort of weird depth perception lacking logos there um but this this is a terrible ad those villains look horrendously pathetic uh and telling you about great people that used to work on the book is not a way to sell it (laughs) i will before frank goes i will have to say personally the only thing to me that ever came out of world's finest that was redeeming was the super sons of superman and batman that's it (laughs) nothing else uh well of their relationship. I would agree the dollar comics with all the backup strips were phenomenal. But the, of the Superman and Batman relationship, that's the only thing that ever came out of this good. Yeah, the horrible, horrible, horrible ad. And you can tell somebody just threw this together at the last minute because they make sure everything's really big. It's like if you're trying to change the font size on a, on a paper to kind of slide your way through <laughs> or not get it workout right. Really, it uh, is five pages. Yeah. It's, and I don't know. When I was a kid reading this book, I didn't even realize that this was this, an ad for the same book. I thought that that was like a line of action figures on the right-hand side. I didn't realize those were supposed to be villains that they're supposed to be finding. They're not drawn in the same style. They don't relate to each other in any way. And there's such small figures, too. It's not – that bad of a drawing, if they're blown up enough so we can just look at the drawing, but shrunk down and simplified, uh, it's it's awful. It is the worst. It's they, no wonder they canceled that book. They had so little to say about it that they even had room for a DC plug in the ad. Because at the right. bottom, it says the new, the, the new DC, there's no stopping us now. That's the only ad, I think, that has the plug 
in the ad for DC Comics. I think they were like, oh, and it's the crap. size of a fifty, and it's the size of fifty cent piece. Yeah, they're like, oops, yeah. we got a little extra space. So okay, yeah, I, I like I said, I loved the World's Finest. It was one of my favorite comics growing up. I read it all the time, but by this point, the book was just circling the drain, and they didn't know what else to do. So, uh. and, and there's uh, there's a World's Finest ad in the next two, aren't there? I think so. I don't yeah. remember. We'll, we'll I think so. It, we really just see how far down they go. But it gets All better. Right. The very next page. The very next page is is the strangest ad because Legion of Superheroes is you know at this point was probably already DC's second best selling comic right next to Teen Titans. So you would expect sort of a same level ad for them as you got for Teen Titans, but instead it's Keith Giffen going for some wackiness, which is fun. I love it, but it's just such a not what I expected at all. So it starts off with – it's like a little story. What kind of sentient beating, being devours every issue of the Legion? And, of course, they show Matter Eater Lad eating copies of Legion of Superheroes. This is insufficient data, but, but 50,000 more of them have turned on to the series during the last year. That means 50,000 more readers have started reading Legion in this, in this year. That's amazing. Imagine Nowadays, that. Imagine 50,000 more in a single year. Most DC comics aren't selling 50,000 yeah, exactly. copies right now. <laughs> They're not this selling is, half that, dude. So it's a po- you know, maybe they've turned on possibly four, and there's a series of fun panels, and each one has a, a, you know, a scene and a word, and each word is from another comic. For example, it says adventure, but it's in the adventure uh, comics it, font. Logo. 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 And you get secrets, and it, it's got Element Lad. I think that's where he's coming out. But anyway, I, th- I guess that's from House of Secrets, <laughs> yes, maybe? from House of Secrets, yep. yeah. And you get, you know... Um, bouncing is that Bouncing Boy? I guess Bouncing Boy, maybe. No, that's the, the day. that looks like that's Timberwolf getting thrown somewhere. Oh, okay. And in it says combat. combat in GI, yeah. GI combat. You've got mystery in space. Some uh, somebody who escaped from the Indigo Tribe, apparently. Young love with a uh, brute and uh, no, not brute. Block and White Witch, maybe. Mm-hmm. Police. I guess that's from Police Comics. Police Comics. Yep. Action from Action Comics with Wildfire. Detective from Detective Comics with, again, the just recently out-of-the-closet Element Lad. Funny Stuff, which I guess there was a comic called Funny Stuff? Yeah. Yep, okay. it was. we got Timberwolf with a pie flying at him. Weird World with, a, a, obviously, a weird world. And then it says, uh, and according to our readers, we haven't gone plop yet. And it's got <laughs> Bouncing Boy who's opening his shirt, and it has the DC bullet underneath. It's by Paul Levitz, Keith Given, and Larry Malstead. That's a fun, fun ad. This is my um, favorite ad in this book. It's very strange, though. Like, I, the top panel where you've got Matt Reader Lad with three other people. I, I'm, a, I'm a mediocre Legion fan. I came in more during the post-crisis era, but I have no idea who these other three people are. Like, Sparkle Lad, maybe? I'm not sure who that dude is. I mean, if that's Polar Boy, then they've done something terribly wrong. And uh, it, it's it's a weird, it's fun, but it's a strange ad. I, I love it's, the use of the logos. I just think it's a great, yes. you know, a nice nod to DC's history. Uh, the, the ad works whether you know those logos or not, because it's telling you something. It's got secrets. It's got love. It's got combat. It's got adventure. I mean, it obviously helps that you know that it's from the old comics, but it's not necessary. So it's a nice treat, and just the fact that. They still, just on a, on a totally geek graphic design nerd level, I love the fact that DC still had the Young Love logo laying around somewhere that they could stat in. <laughs> I love that they didn't throw it out, that there was some drawer somewhere where they're like, do we still have the Young Love logo? Look at that, we do. Stat it up and drop it in there. I just think that one charms me to no end. It's, this is, I love this ad. I really, I think well, this is great. Well, think about how long police comics have been sitting in a drawer. Yeah, well, that right. But I mean, police comics had superheroes in it, so it's like I could picture... 
and they used to reprint some of that stuff. But the, the romance comics, when DC did romance comics, it was like they were done by a completely different publisher. They had no connection to any of the, the other comics. The only time, the only ads that ever ran in romance comics for the other DCU books were Supergirl comics and Wonder Wonder Woman comics. So they, mm. the, 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 and when they were canceled, they were all dumped like within a year of each other, all completely unceremoniously. It was just like, it, you know, like from 1975 to 1976, it was almost like. Did we publish romance comics? No, we never did that. I was like, yeah, a year ago you had five of them. Um, so I, this, I just think this is utterly charming. I really, I think it's great. I just, I like the cockiness. You can tell these guys aren't really trying to sell it. They, they, they they've got the swagger. We know you're going to buy it anyway. So they could have, they had the room to play around, and it, it shows. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Not the top I, put it, yeah. It would be kind of interesting, though. Looking at this artwork and looking how different it would look from Keith Giffen just a year or so later, I wonder what Keith Giffen's career would have been like if he'd never discovered Jose Munoz. You know, because <laughs> this is a really great looking stuff. I love, like, particularly like the, the Young Love panel. It's so cinematic and it's really well rendered. And as much as I love the stuff that Giffen did later on, he would have been a huge star. And I, I, I it kind of, I, I, I'm sorry for the opportunities he didn't get because he went so far in a different direction and couldn't come back again. He's yeah, a big yeah. star still. Wait, yeah, but I'm just talking about this guy. This is Perez quality. I mean, it, it's not quite up there, but it's close enough to where you could see this guy being a superstar. You could see this guy getting all the top books. And within a couple of years of that, he was almost like persona non grata in terms of art. You know, people didn't want his art anymore after he discovered his own. Yeah, c- career wise, he really did slit his own throat. It was really kind of. Amazing. He did, yeah. I, I, that's fair enough, yeah. And I, mean, I, still, I, it, I he, love that stuff, but it, nobody else does. It's not true. I, I totally. The five years later of Legion is amazing that he drew. Just unbelievable. So, uh, moving on, we get a two-page spread of the Flash. So, sort of like a starts off. Of, basically, it's it's three panels, kind of describing how in one split second all these different things happened to him. How he got his powers. How Reverse Flash killed his wife. How he killed Reverse Flash. And then it goes on to uh, Flash starting the longest storyline ever: the trial of Barry Allen. Oh, no, wait. Uh, it doesn't actually say any of that. But it is announcing that, you know, sort of Barry Allen's being arrested for the murder of Reverse Flash. It's a story by Carrie Bates, art by Carmen Infantino, and this literally would not wrap up for two years. My favorite part of this ad is the uh, black and white image behind the Flash of him uh, getting his uh, mugshot taken. I think uh, superhero comics were so deathly afraid of ever doing anything in black and white. It's like, no, 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 it's in color. It's in color. The fact that they use it, it makes a nice contrast. So I think that is by far the most striking part of the ad. But, yeah, this this is uh, an ad promoting a storyline that was going to eventually just kill this book. <laughs> yep. But it is a great ad. It's so – it's gory. I, I hate The Flash as a concept. I like Barry Allen. I like a lot of people who have been The Flash. But I always had trouble reading the book because Runs Fast Man just does not appeal to me. But this ad and everything that's in it, it want, makes me want to read a Flash book, which is exactly what they're shooting for. And whoever inked Carmine Infantino in this, fantastic. Was it Frank McLaughlin? Was he the one who was inking him at this point? It's, uh, I they think don't he, say in he, here. I don't think. No, he, he didn't do this ad. I know – I can't tell whose work this is. But uh, I, he might have been doing the book at the time, but this ad is by somebody else. I don't know who. It's really good, though. It, it, it's so much crisper and much so much sharper than what it, uh, he was doing on his own at this time period. Yeah, I mean, according to Combo, um, Combo DB, it says he inked himself, but I don't think that's the case here. It's just too – it doesn't look like Carmen Infantino. And I, I – now, as much as I made fun of the storyline, I do love this ad. I actually dig the, the one split second way that, you know, they, they showed all the different impacts that these types of things have had on Flash's life. You really get how important Reverse Flash has been to all this. 
you know, you get a great shot of Flash running at you. I, I really dig this ad. I think Carmen Infantino did a really nice job. Not all of his stuff at this point was as striking as this. Uh, this one really works. I also like the expanding lightning bolts as they get bigger and bigger as you progress. And there's some really great texture on those clouds. I know it's a little thing, but it works. No, Considering it's, it's all across the top there, you really need a nice striking visual. It's not early cologne, but it's, it's really good looking at. Mm-hmm. Nice stuff. Next up, Arax, Son of Thunder. So uh, this is an ad for uh, Luke Giaconetti to care about. It says, uh, and now, word about Erax, Son of Thunder. And it goes on to uh, talking about how newcomer Ron Randall has come on board drawing the book. You get Erax, who's fighting what appears to be a demon and a pan, maybe. And he's, he's rescuing a gorgeous blonde in lingerie who's chained to the ground. I mean, it's a totally fantasy type of uh, sexist thing, which is just really hot. What I can't figure out, though, if he's a Native American... Where's the blonde chick that's skintily clad coming from? Like, I mean, girls didn't dress like that back then. I don't know who she is and how she fits into his world, but whatever. It was something nice to look at. So You, uh, you don't know the premise of Arak, do you? He fights people and has a mohawk, right? It, it, it's kind of like Pathfinder. Uh, I think he hooked up with some Vikings, and he's actually touring uh, Europe. He's like the last of his tribe, and he ends up in Europe dealing with European monsters and such. He's doing a European tour. Good for yeah. him. Right <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the right-hand panel, the, the right one-third of the this final is page. The most ignominious backhanded compliment <laughs> to a It set is of really characters. strange, yeah. It says, also on sale, the final issue of our current Captain Carrot series. This is the changeling of the new Teen Titans versus Flash's apish adversary, Gorilla God. And you'll never guess who gets caught in the middle. And obviously... Uh, Captain Carrot and the zoo crew get caught in the middle because they're literally caught in the middle in the ad. Now, You've got Changeling turning, transforming into a cartoon ape, which is great. I love that. Let's run through the indignities here. In well, hold ad. on. I'm not, I'm, I'm I'm not done describing okay. it. Then you can go at it. It's in black and white. There's no color. Uh, it does say – it does specifically point out that Captain Adam's getting canceled. But it Carrot. says current Captain Adam series, which leads you to believe there will be subsequent. Um, <laughs> and then – What? You said Captain Adam twice, even after Rob corrected you. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Captain Carrot. <laughs> you know, Frank, uh, he doesn't listen when I talk. It's fine. True. <laughs> then you get the zoo crew. Well, my microphone's in programmed to mute you when I'm talking. So, Anyway, and then you get the it, – it's actually a really nice drawing of the zoo crew. So it, it reminds me somewhat of the who's who, ad, uh, who's who entries for the zoo crew because they put them in there. Even though the book was canceled, it's like it's like the people at DC love the characters so much they can't stop promoting them. Even though the series is ending. That's my feeling on this. That's the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah, this is uh, just the fact that they were given an ad that is a what, like a fifth of a page? Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, so that's one. Uh, it was black and white, as you mentioned. So that's like even more than, not even bothering to color it. Uh, that's two. Three, it was paired alongside Iraq, like the least tonal uh, similar book to compare it with. <laughs> Uh, that's three. Four, they don't even give Captain Carrot a logo. They give Changeling a logo, but not Captain Carrot, ostensibly whom they're promoting here. Um, and so that's four. And then f- and then five is like the also on sale. Just that phrase. Oh, yeah, by the way, this other thing, you might want it. We know you really don't, but here you go. We don't want Scott Shaw to be mad at us. So here, here's Captain Carrot. This, this ad when I was a, a kid, I, even though I did not read this book, even I saw this and I'm like, oh, they deserve better than this. Come on. Like, <laughs> God's sakes. Yeah, this, this, is, this is totally bizarre. <laughs> Do you think maybe there was just an issue with Ron Randall's aspect ratio and that's why they just stuck that in there as like a buffer? You have to like wonder. 
Because yeah. Ron Randall's ad is, you know, like in terms of its um, aspect ratio, as you just said, like it fits. It doesn't look like there's anything missing. You know, it's not like they cropped it and, ch- and cut a part of it out. It looks like it. It was it was done at that size, so uh, uh, yeah. I wonder whether you know I don't. Or maybe they told him just do it. G- give us an extra column of space there because we have to jam in this other ad in here. So I mean, imagine it, what- it, it's just so atelial. I mean, it's a slavering demon from hell coming up from the fires. It looks like a Ronnie James Dio album cover. <laughs> that you, that you take and you put it like like if you if it was an actual album and you open it up to the centerpiece and this is what you see because the parents of America wouldn't allow that to be on the actual cover and then you take that and you put it on your van the side of your van that'd be awesome. <laughs> you were surely getting laid if you got that on the side of your van. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's no denying that. Uh... Did, did either of you guys ever go through a Conan phase? Oh, I love Conan. Yeah. See, my my thing is, I, I loved Conan when I was a, a maladjusted teenager because it's the perfect book for that. Because all I got to do is be macho and bed women and chop up giant monsters and stuff. And as a teenager, that's all you need, and it's so perfect. And uh, Conan Saga came out a, a few years later, and it was black and white reprints of the Barry Windsor Smith stuff. It was just glorious. And I look at this, and it reminds me of all that Conan stuff because this is – I think it is a really great ad. And then you go and you read the book, and – like Roy Thomas apparently had gotten past his Conan phase, and I think most people have to because if you stay with Conan too long, it's it's sort of like like you're developmentally challenged or something. It's like if you don't move past that and start like liking the company of women and and wanting to dress well and and get a nice job, then you're a Conan fan. So I think Thomas <laughs> passed that. And yeah, well, let's face it. I mean, look at his creator. Look at how he ended up. Okay, so it seems like. It seems like Roy Thomas was over his Conan phase, but when he left Marvel for DC, the first thing DC said was, like, hey, that Conan stuff, that sold really well. Can you do a Conan book for us? And I think he had no interest in doing Conan again, so he gave us Arik instead. And it was like everything that was in Conan was in Arik, but completely wrong. Like, <laughs> they, they got the chick in the, 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 the chainmail, but she's entirely covered in chainmail and looks like Prince Valiant. You know, it's like he only had that mohawk for like three months, and the rest of the time he's running around as generic Indian guy. And, you know, it's always like he's pulling stuff out of his medicine bag, and I will cure your ears. It's, it's just, it was a bad book. It was a very much a book of, of a time about five to ten years before Roy Thomas actually wrote it. And it, it, nobody nobody has – they never brought back Ark. You notice that? Nobody cares about Ark. The only person who brought back Ark was Roy Thomas himself, stuck him in as one of the villains in a team that fought Infinity, Inc. You know, he himself didn't seem like he loved his own creation. <laughs> it kind of shows. And yet there was an action figure. Right. I was, okay. That's exactly what I was thinking. And that was one of the ones out of the line I didn't buy. I owned like three of those, and he wasn't one of them. Oh, oh Remco. <laughs> uh, next up is an ad that I intend to spend almost no time on. Sorry, Ange. Uh, Two-page spread for Supergirl, uh, The Daring New Adventures. Ad by Paul Kupperberg, Carmen Infantino, Bob Oxner. Oxner. Yep. And then just some other people. And really, it's a terrible. It's horrible. It's Supergirl having a chat with Superman about her clothes and this wacky adventure she got into, and I couldn't care less. I tried, um, and I'm done. They uh, even gave the story its own logo. It's like they're trying so hard. And that logo so is the most it. hideous logo I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like almost, times gone by. Yeah, it's like Superman's trying to swat it away. It, it, it's <laughs> so muddy. <laughs> go away. You're right. He's totally like, go, 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 I go. think this undercuts the whole notion of Supergirl being her own character, that they work Superman into the ad. It's like, no boy, give the poor girl her own, you know? I mean, 
let her have her own adventures. But he, she can't even do an ad without Superman showing up. And and even then, he's kind of like, she's like, what do you think of my new outfit? And he goes, it's er something, Kara. Like he's not even being positive about it. He's just kind of like, yeah, you're right. And she calls him a stodgy traditionalist. So yeah, this, the, the, I think this book is underrated. Actually, I, I've gone back and read some of the issues and. I'm not just saying it's a wax Paul Coverberg's car. I actually do think it's apologist. What was that? What? <laughs> Maybe so. I think this is a fun ad. I like all the things, but but just working Superman into it to me just search search off on the wrong foot. She should be her own hero. She doesn't need Superman there. I'm just I, like it, they just need to call in this one piece here in the top corner. She goes, Clark, you're just being such a d bag. Is what she should be saying. It's just <laughs> if I was. I, if I was Supergirl, I'd be like, look, so Clark, I don't know if I'd be crowing. Your, your big thing is that Steve Lombard got fired. So, you know, let's not. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> now, now, Superman looks I'm great. I'm fighting the gang, you know. <laughs> right, I'm going to fight the gang, exactly. <laughs> or, Superman the, or, or the council. <laughs> what? Or the council. They got two teams. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm so sorry, Ange. I really am. It's just, it's, it's not there for me, man. Well, and just a few pages earlier, we're looking at this great Carman and Fantano, and you can see the difference. It's like he's comparing to himself and comparing really poorly. Yes, yes. Uh, we agree completely. The inker makes all the world of difference with Carmine and Fantino at this point in his career. So next up is – Well, uh, one more thing too. I actually did like that costume. You stop me. I'm trying to – you keep stopping me. I'm trying to freaking get to the fire truck ad, damn it. Doing this shit on purpose. Well, you just stall him for like 15 minutes before he gets the fire truck. But that is Frank, a really nice costume. About, Frank, can you talk about Iraq some more? I think that would be interesting. <laughs> How about the crosshatching in the pit that Supergirl's falling into? We'll discuss with a little tiny doll Supergirl. Let's talk about that for a little while. I hate you both. You just wait till the Justice League Detroit ad comes up. You just <laughs> oh, wait. like you're not you're on the Justice League Detroit train. Don't even try to deny it. <laughs> Can we move on, but please? The costume didn't last any length of time at all, though, and I think that is actually one of her better suits. I really, I, I, I'm yeah, surprised they didn't any more accept that. Isn't this what she died in? No, no, she, she died, died in the, the head, uh, well, headband, headband thing. Yeah. Well, isn't it that just this costume with a headband? No, no. She didn't have the red shoulders when she died. No. Uh, I'm looking so. at it right now. No, my Christmas poster. Yeah. That's this costume. Okay. It's totally this costume. All right. See, look, look at the Frank. We've got him off Firestorm. How great is this? So, next page. <laughs> the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Uh, it's introducing Firehawk and Tomahawk, the Human Reactor, all this in Romance 2. So, this would have come out right around the time of Firestorm number 17 or 18, probably. It's got this great shot of Firestorm being uh, blasted by... Uh, Tokamak, and he's using his shrinking ray, so Firestorm's like caught within the rings and he's about to start shrinking. You got Firehawk blazing across the background. You get a nice foreground shot, or actually, sort of in the, I'm sorry, it's in the background, but a nice close up shot of Firestorm face on the right hand side. On the left hand side, you see Ronnie Raymond's face and Professor Stein and Doreen Day and Jefferson and Cliff Carmichael. And then, for kind of weird reasons, You've got Pat Broderick and and, uh, and Jerry Conway themselves right there in the ad. Pat Broderick is sitting at his drawing table. Uh, he's got you know the page, and he's got a, a picture of a lady. I got to assume it's probably his wife or something. And then he's got an Ignatz Award, which is a brick, which I think is pretty funny. And he's got his pencil sharpener and all that business. And then uh, Jerry Conway's there, and um, he looking nothing like any Jerry Conway photo I've ever seen. He looks sort of overweight, wearing a sweater, a purple sweater vest. But uh, it's it's odd that they're there. But I did confirm with Pat that it's supposed to be them. 
And it's kind of nice that they made it in the ad, I suppose, from sort of like, oh, these are the guys who made the book so big. But if you kind of ignore them, the rest of the ad's phenomenal. It sort of looks a little to me like um, Tubby Jerry Conway there is putting the moves on Pat Broderick. Oh, <laughs> they're just friends. Didn't he write for the Father Dowling Mysteries? He kind of looks like Tom Bosley a little bit. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah, no, if you've, ever seen, if you've ever seen pictures of Jerry Conway now, he's skinny. He's, he's extraordinarily skinny. Yeah, I mean, he's gone. I don't know. Like, I don't recognize that this is the same. Supposed to be the same guy. I don't. That's why. I, that's why I had to ask Pat. I was like, Pat, is this um, is this you and Jerry? <laughs> Plus, know? the placement of the the dislocated heads is weird oh. to me. Um, because what's your name? Who's the blonde woman there? Doreen, obnoxious, needs to die in a fire day. All right, I'm not saying all that. Doreen Day. The way that she's placed, it looks like her her head is popping up from behind the afro of who is that? Jefferson. Jefferson. Uh, it just, it's just very oddly placed. And then the fact that Cliff Carmichael's head is further down on the page. No, she's actually – that's actually a tattoo. Jerry Conway has that as a tattoo on his arm. <laughs> that's, that's Cliff Carmichael. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the placement of these heads is very strange. Very, very strange. <laughs> but, uh, again, if you ignore Jerry and Pat, it's a great-looking ad. It really is. It's it, of a very exciting time in Firestorm. It's right before Pat Broderick left the book. In fact, this is sort of his swan song, these characters. Uh, he left right after Tokamak and um, Firehawk came along, so it's kind of a, a nice last hurrah for them. So, Someone's and I had never seen this until um, Little Russell Burbage from Monticello, Florida, sent it to me. It was just kind of a cool thing. Somewhere, so. somewhere on uh, Pat Broderick's desk in that pile of papers, there is a thing from DC saying, "No, you don't own this character." Aww. <laughs> so you know, it's just um, it's it was exciting for me because it's you know. Very rarely do you stumble upon a piece of art that you've never seen from your favorite artist in a favorite time period. You know, it just—I I thought I had seen every Pat Roderick Firestorm. So seeing this was just like so exciting for me. So. Is Takamak is Takamak supposed to be chubby? Yes. Oh, he is. Okay, because I'm like, boy, that's a big fat suit that guy's in. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the guy inside the suit's not really chubby, if I remember oh, right. Oh, right. So the suit is supposed to look like the that. suit is yeah, big and bulky oh, and I yeah, okay. cumbersome and stuff. Yeah. That's kind of a disappointment. I don't think there's enough fat bad guys. Well, like, for the longest time I thought he was fat, but now I'm thinking – I think he was skinny because he was like a sort of Howard Hughes germaphobe you know, kind of thing. So Yeah, there's, there's, there's Kingpin and Tobias Whale, and that's it. Right, exactly. Don't bring up Tobias oh, Whale. Oh, the blob. Oh, you get, a nasty, you get a nasty letter from Tony Isabella. What's that? And the blob, of course. Oh, yeah. Dr. Octopus. Mostly Marvel guys. Well, that's true, Dr. Octopus. That, yeah. All right, so there's a few fatties. Anyway, um, <laughs> then you get into... <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're mostly moral because he doesn't do thick crust. Right. Uh, uh, Amanda Waller, I rest my case. Uh, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, and the new, new 52, no fatties at all in the new 52. The yeah. day that I want to you know, hit up Amanda Waller is the day you're getting her wrong. <laughs> right, exactly. She's fine, but that ain't right. I feel wrong about that. Lusting after Amanda Waller, there's. Ooh. She's Nell. She should be Nell Carter with an edge. So absolutely. And in the end, you so, get so oh, Nell Carter is what you're saying. Oh, jeez. At the end, you get kind of neat. They acknowledge the fan press here, which is kind of surprising. You don't see that very often. They acknowledge Comics Journal, Comic Reader, um, <laughs> what else? Amazing Heroes with quotes from different reviewers. <laughs> Talking about how great their books are. So they're saying, you know, there's critical acclaim. Will you just shut up for a minute? Anyway, there's all these quotes from different folks giving uh, nice props towards their books, which is kind of unusual. 
Now, Rob, go ahead and rain on that parade. No, I'm, I'm not rain on it. I'm just saying this is absolutely probably the last time the Comics Journal ever said anything nice about DC Comics. <laughs> oh, hell, <laughs> said anything about comics? Yeah, you know, like comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sort of shocking that I'm just I, I'm startled even to see their name in here. I really am. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, they they um, hoard that stuff out to Amazing Heroes, who are the last quote in there. Yes. Yeah, the Don Newton and stuff. Don Newton compliments Don Newton. Really, the the late great Don Newton. So it's definitely underrated. But yeah, it's it's unusual to see to see a comic company. And I mean, this highlights how much they were going for comics fans, you know. And they were moving yeah. away from newsstand sales because you know a newsstand comics buyer, the Comics Journal. What the hell is that? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's like a non-entity to somebody like that. So they were definitely moving in that direction of getting more and more about, you know, diehard fans and stuff. So, Yep. All right, that wraps up the first one. Wow. Only 19 more hours to go. Woo! Can't wait. <laughs> All right, which one of you girls is doing uh, DC sample number two? Frank, what do you want to do? Uh, I'm still trying to find my – oh, wait, I've got the actual physical book here. I forgot. Okay. Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, sampler number two has a wretched cover. It's just a bunch of covers from recent months thrown together, making it look like it's a stack of comics from somebody who does a bag and board. So, um, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have to pay anybody for it, though. <laughs> well, no, I think what happened is they blew their budget on the Fred Hemback comic strip that's in the inside cover. That's right. <laughs> and that wasn't very much of a budget, let me tell you. No, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I, I think Kim Beck's cute, but uh, him doing an extended story never worked for me. I, the only time I really liked his stuff was when he was explaining, like, comic book ephemera. Like, he, I'd never heard of Brother Voodoo before Fred Hemback, and he was great for that sort of thing. But here he's actually trying to tell sort of a story, and not my bag. <laughs> it's the first time I ever heard of Brother Voodoo, too. <laughs> I like I like him back in his like three strip jokes. You know that he works well as like a peanuts kind of thing. You know three, yeah. three three panel strip. That's what you need. Yeah, you don't really need a plot to set up DC sampler number two. I I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> that's a good point. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't realize I was going to keep. Am I going to be doing this through the whole issue? Yes. You're right. Oh, you're like the last the charge, man. Oh, your lord. I'm sorry. You're, you're not trouble. paying attention when uh, you're issue one. I, you just running the show. I was just here as a passenger. I'm a guest, you know. I, I expect you're going to fetch me a drink and stuff. I didn't think I was going to have to do, wash the dishes afterward. That's not how that works here, man. You, you, you freaking earn your keep on the Fire and Water <laughs> podcast, brother. Okay. Well, uh, before I move on, do you guys want to jump in on this handback action? I, I actually handback action. I actually <laughs> oh handback action. Uh, I actually I actually like Fred Hembeck. I liked him long form, short form. I, I read a lot of his sort of self-published comics that he put out. So I, I like him in all contexts. I agree that the DC sampler really doesn't need a story set up, but uh, I, I do enjoy this just because, uh, you know, I, I, this was like sort of the last gasp of Henbeck in the DC comics proper. So I sort of... That's true. He really got owned by Marvel for the rest of the age. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I kind of, I do still really enjoy this. I, I just got one last thing to say. Hey, Perry, are those swirly elbows or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> You could do something with those big, thick fingers, is what I'm saying. Um, but I, I forgot. To, <laughs> sorry, I forgot to mention to you. The, the premise is that Perry White is going to insert copies of DC Sampler Number Two into the Daily Planet, and they're also going to be bombing the the nation to let people know about DC Sampler. And then something happens, and Perry isn't able to get his copies in. And meanwhile, Clark Kent gets distracted going through a copy of Sampler that's available at the Daily Planet offices. Very Okay. Moving on to uh, Atari Force. Uh, the first, this one actually got three pages for some reason. 
what I don't know why DC was so in love with Atari Force. They got three pages, but the first splash page is glorious. Praise be his name, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, uh, drawing the Dark Destroyer, big poster on a on a on a war ravaged wall, saying, "I want you to read Atari Force." And then Packrat and Hookah, and I, I'm sure that you guys, Hookah, sorry, I'm sure you guys have no idea who these characters were, but they're kind of mocking the ad and pointing at it and and, and talking about the book. And then you turn the page to a page, two page spread, and it's very similar to the George Perez one from uh, the, for New Teen Titans in the previous sampler, where you get a headshot of each of the characters, a description of who the characters are, what they're up to, and then a two-page spread of an action shot of Atari Force going up against the uh, uh, Dark Shores forces. And they kind of they do a nice little introduction to each one of the characters. Really well drawn, really beautiful. Uh, I do have to say, though, you've got a veteran writer in Jerry Conway paired with a, a glorious, much-too-good-for-this-material artist in Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Uh, I kind of liked it better when it was called Micronauts. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> it is I, uh, gorgeous, though. The ad is totally gorgeous. It, just everything it, about it is beautiful. It absolutely is. And I, I've mentioned this on the Who's Who podcast, but I, I just recently picked up all 20 issues of the Atari Force. It's sitting on my couch over here in my in my home office, unread yet, but it is in my pile to read because, ironically, I've been spending my time reading Micronauts. So... <laughs> Uh, I, I do think it's kind of neat, though, that Ricky Nelson's kid got a start in Atari Force before he came. <laughs> Isn't that Hanson? No, wait, I'm getting mixed up. Nelson. Nelson, right, okay. Woo! Here she comes. Must be talking about Dart. Uh, are, are we going to talk about Atari Force more? Can we? No, <laughs> it, it is absolutely beautiful. You have and to stop thank with you. That. Yeah, I'm so glad as a guest that you pronounced Jose Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name's name correctly. Very good. I, 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 hey, I, I know my role. I, I'm tempted to edit the file right after you made the joke about Ricky Nelson's son. I really am. Uh, well, we're the only three who are going to get that one. Um, next up is another new Teen Titans spread. Glorious George Perez artwork, extremely intricate. You've got Trigon, uh, Shag, that's how it's pronounced, by the way, Trigon. Um, you've got I Trigon. I you've got, with that halfway through my thing last time. Uh, I guess they're in Azeroth. You've got the, the Titans up to that point, which unfortunately includes Jericho Ugh. and Lilith. <laughs> um, you've got some members of the Omega Men. You've got some Tamaranians, and they're all just sort of like in this big Kirby Crackle scene, uh, and then you've got uh, Blackfire and Brother Blood kind of juxtaposed in there, and that's the top one, and that would have obviously been enough. They could have just dropped a ton of text underneath that, but that's not enough for George Perez. So he gives you a whole second banner where you've got uh, Vic Stone hanging out with his grandparents. You've got Magenta. You've got Hive. You've Man, I'm really sorry I went for that second spread all of a sudden. Uh, is, got... that, is that Magenta? Is what that, is that what that terrible I costume that's, yeah, is? I, I think that's one of Magenta's costumes that came and went like an issue. Uh, you got that's the, hideous. Yeah, you got the Doom Patrol. You got Aqualad and Aqua uh, Girl. You've got uh, the marriage. Uh, the, the Boy, talk about a Rosemary's Baby kind of situation where that guy should have never been with that girl. Um, you've got Donna Torrey. <laughs> very, very long. You've got Titan's Tower. You've got Nightwing as a new costume. You've got Starfire. You've got the uh, – is it the Society of Sin at that point or are they just the Brotherhood of Evil? You know, they've got it's their – Brotherhood villain. of Evil, I think. And it's just like really well drawn, and then they've got all these exclamation points twice each month. Az- Azar, Arella, Trigon, Minto, Minto, the Freshmaker, uh, the <laughs> Stones, Aqualad, Aquagirl, Doc- uh, basically everybody that I just named in, in exclamation points. Twice the thrills, and it's like, I'm sorry, that's not twice the thrills when you're bringing up – who the hell is Jillian? 
Uh, who the hell is, you know, Sarah Sims? I don't remember, you know, it's, they're trying so hard to get you excited about it. It's such a great illustration of characters that you don't want to be in the Titans. And you know that they've gone twice a month and they're just slamming those books with everything that they can think of to fill them up, knowing they have to do uh, two issues a month. Who's the chick with the little Dr. Light headband? Dr. Light headband? Yeah. I don't know what... Well, uh, right beneath Terry Long to the left bottom. Oh, God, I don't know. Kind of looks like Onyx. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. No idea who that is. And, and that really is the problem. Uh, uh, let me just get in here right quick. What a horrible idea it was to do the direct market Baxter book and to keep the newsstand book and then decide to reprint the Baxter book a year later in the newsstand. Yeah. Killed the series. Killed it. This was one of the top books on the market, and it, the Titans never recovered from that move. You really think so? Absolutely. Well, again, look at this. Well, part of the selling point is Perez because you're not buying this book for the Hive. You're not buying this book for Jericho. You're buying it for George Perez who draw them. And then they immediately went from this to George Perez trying to take advantage of the Baxter format paper by doing these really great, like, gray wash tones and all this cool stuff for the first few issues of the Titans. And at the same time, he's trying to do Titans and Tales of the Teen Titans at the same time with Dick Giordano inking. Uh, and they were doing the Judas contract at the time. Plus, they were starting to gear up for Christ on Infinite Earths. And it just, you know, it, it killed uh, Perez's enthusiasm for the books. And he was a co-plotter on the books. So when he left, Marv Wolfen was the sole writer. He lost that inspiration. Plus, he was also working on all these other projects. He burned out. And he went through a period of, like, three years where he admits that he had writer's block. And he was just trying it out as best he could. And then Paul Levitz had actually stepped in and help him write the book, like, ghostwrite it for a while there. It got really bad because he didn't know what to do. He couldn't handle writing these guys twice a month in two books. And then, of course, I, I was a newsstand collector. So when they're reprinting a book from a year later and nothing syncs up with the rest of the DC universe, and then almost immediately after you've got like – you know you had a few months of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, uh, uh, and then he goes into Ed Barreto. It's just – it was not the same. It was a big mess, and it looked like – you could tell the books were straining. You could tell they were doing their best to just throw bodies on these books after a while. What's interesting is that they went through that period again in Wolfman as well when they get to like issues in the 90s when they get to the Titans hunt because once again it, it splits off into two books of the new Titans and a new Teen Titans book or Team Titans, sorry. And Wolfman again went through a burnout phase and the art started to suffer after a while because it started off as Tom Grummet, which was amazing. Oh, yeah. So it's almost I like got there was... the book. I, I dropped the book for a number of years and Grummet's what brought me back. That's actually where I started with Titans, believe it or not. So it's almost like uh, it's almost like I went through that phase twice. And then you go from that to Bill Jaska on the main book. You go from uh, Kevin McGuire and Phil Jimenez on Team Titans to like Terry Dodson being really badly inked and at the very early point in his career doing really horrible work. It it got bad again. Yes, yeah, true. And he and th that 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 led into zero hour, and then the books got canceled. Yep. Yeah. So I, it all started here. This is the genesis point of the cancer that eventually rotted out the Titans franchise. Yeah. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't that move kill all the books that it touched? They did that for hey, Legion. Legion. They did it for Batman and the Outsider. I think it just killed all of the titles. Absolutely. Yeah, I, thought it, I thought it was sort of a new Coke thing where it worked out where they had two books on the market, and yet the only you know after the first year of original stories, they only had to pay you know for one book to be drawn, and they got to print it and then print it again the next year, and made it was like writing their own money. I thought. Yeah, but nobody paid for the book to get paid for. So nobody was buying. Nobody was buying it, and it just died off. Yeah, all they did was throw new covers on it. Now, what is cool though, if you ever go and look at Brian Boland and a lot of other people did some really nice new covers for the reprint book. But 
ultimately it was just a reprint book in a day where people didn't care about reprints anymore. Well, like Marvel kept cranking out um, whatever their book what was it called? Um, they just had Marvel Tales. If I remember Marvel correctly. Tales, yeah, Marvel Tales. Right, kept but, going. yeah, but that that was the only book. I mean, Marvel used to have like half a dozen reprint books. By the time you got to 1984, they'd all been canceled. So That's true. The idea of DC saying, "Hey, we're going to do three new reprint," it just I remember because I bought comics at the newsstands and comic shops, and I was like, "What?" You know, I just and it was complicated. Like a year later, like what? Huh? Like it just seemed overly complex and did seem like a cash grab. It really just did. So, well, and let's not forget too the repro- uh, reproducing the artwork on a paper that it wasn't made for, so all the full bleeds go away. Everything's it was just bad. It didn't work. Oh, uh, well. that's true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Did okay, they, next up. Oh, go, sorry, go ahead. Did they reprint uh, when in, when they did New Teen Titans number one, the Baxter book? Uh, it, that was the issue that featured the shot of Dick Grayson and Starfire in the sack together, and that caused a whole big ripple. Did they reprint that when it came time? Because I could see them saying, well, we can't run that in a code-approved comic or something. I bought the good version. I don't know. Okay. Was she like humping him or something? Or no, they're just no, in the no. Bed? But, but they're, they're, there's um, who is it? Uh, they're, 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 the shadows are draped in very particular places while they're lying in bed together. Right. So somebody wakes the Titans up. So I think it's like Raven or something, and they do flash cuts to all the Titans of what they're doing in the middle of the night when Raven is screaming, and he's like, you know, Gar's doing this, Cyborg's doing this, and then you see. Dick and Starfire in bed together, laying there. And I remember at the time being like, whoa, you know. And they even got some angry emails at the time. People were saying, oh, my God, this is slutty. It's, it's they something. got angry emails? That's and astonishing. Not, emails, yes. Angry letters, you know. Uh, From the future, no they're, less. They're still getting emails about it today. Uh, no, but they got angry letters that they printed. They remember that's how all, it's the only way I could know about them. They even ran letters from people complaining. And I thought, it just occurred to me, geez, did they reprint this in the in the – Newsstand book? I, have, I want to go now and find those. Get see over if, it, see people. See if they did. Well, it was a big deal at the time. But. Whatever. Next. The Warlord. Uh, this is an ad. Uh, who drew this? Is this Dan Jurgens? Yeah, Stan Jurgens with Mike DiCarlo. And you've got uh, Travis Morgan as, as a full figure, kind of separate from the rest of the images behind him. You have this sort of collage of mythological v- uh, creatures behind him. You've got a colossus. You've got a jet plane. You've got dinosaurs. You've got pan. You've got uh, flying saucers. And then a lot of the, the ad is negative space. And then there's a section of headshots with the names of his supporting cast members and then a block of text talking about the book. Um, I knew that Mike Russell was basic style from Neil Adams, but did he have to take the whole Earth theory from him as well? Um, that, that, that's basically what they're describing here. The Earth is hollow, and Travis Morgan <laughs> fell in, and there's all this wacky stuff going on in the middle of the Earth. Uh, I don't think that the kids in the 1980s were that unsophisticated. I think uh, Neil Adams came up with that theory later. but <laughs> uh, And then you've got this all these boilerplate sci-fi tropes all smooshed together and it doesn't make them better it just makes you conscious of how tired all this stuff is it's it, it was john good carry on fellows oh another thing too i gotta say is the the headshots of the, the supporting cast members when all you do is draw a head and then you put the name underneath that head that kind of works in a comic book story where you're just kind of giving people a shorthand of who the characters are and then you're going to read about them in the story in an advertisement these are just a bunch of douchebags with horrible <laughs> names like Mongo Iron Hand <laughs> I know, love, he's my favorite he looks like the fellow <laughs> Travelocity gnome he looks like a Keebler <laughs> elf yeah exactly yeah, that's why he good rocks for cookies, bad for comics um, what this ad needed was the hot chick in the black fur bikini <laughs> 
That's that's what oh, this she's ad there. needed. Shakira, you see her head. No, no, no. That's very useful to you. No, no that's what I'm saying is seeing Shakira there is useless. You need to see her in the black fur bikinis transforming. It, that's what it like the boobs underneath her logo. That would be kind of nice. <laughs> that would have worked. Whatever. <laughs> Resting on Aesir's head. But if you want to sell a comic to a 14-year-old or a 12-year-old, you put her in the fur bikini. I'm just saying. <laughs> you have done that with all the female characters are all on the top. Their breasts are just spilling out and landing on these guys' heads at the bottom. That would have been awesome. I would have bought that comic suddenly. The Cyclops in the loincloth ain't going to sell co- You know, overweight Cyclops in the loincloth cloth ain't going to sell issues. <laughs> now, with all that said, it is a nice drawing. I mean, it, it's a very nice drawing. Warlord looks really? great. He yeah, looks really cool. It. He looks like a, you know, a very savage warrior kind of guy. You know, the art in the back looks great. I love the saber tooth yelling. The dinosaurs are fun. The SR-71 Blackbird spy plane coming in is cool. I, I dig the art. You know, even the little funny, uh, like, you know, monster from the Lost Lagoon sort of face. But, um... I'm just saying, black fur bikini. Oh, God, I, I missed that in the fold. That's terrible. What? Uh, that that monster with the, the really big monster. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, it, That's the trench. Dan, That's the proto trench right there, my friend. This is Dan Jurgens, guys. You know what Dan Jurgens looks like much better than this. This is very amateurish looking, I think. It's, for, it's really lame. Warlord looks great. For, uh, see, but for a character called the Warlord, that's a very static pose. You would He's think, pulling his sword out. Yeah, but that, that's it. You would think he'd be in like an action pose with the sword ray. It's, I think it's a nicely laid out ad. You know what this looks like to me, to be honest? This looks like uh, the back back of a Warlord line of toys, the back of the card. This is what this looks like to me. Okay, I'll give you that. Like, like it was made for something else and then repurposed. I'm not saying that's what it was, but that's what it looks like to me. That this is what you would run on the back of the bubble, the, the bubble card. Get your overweight cy- get your overweight cyclops in the loincloth at Rimco. <laughs> they could have done that. They recycled the same body for every damned figure with a new head. <laughs> <laughs> the Shakira figure would look really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> she really would have. Though they had some pretty substantial man breasts on those figures, though, so it might have flown. <laughs> okay. Next. <laughs> Moving on, we have The Vigilante uh, by Mar Wolfman and Ross Andrews. So the guy who's the mystery man in Dick Grayson's life, that's this guy over here. Um, uh, this, it's a spread. I, I'm pretty sure that they just took this from an, an issue of The Vigilante and decided to take out all the dialogue. This was a few months after the Snake Eyes issue of G.I. Joe that was quite famous for being the silent issue and a, and a fan favorite. And basically it's just an action, a series of action panels, very thin ones, of uh, Vigilante's running away from a helicopter that's shooting at him. He jumps off the side of a building. He, he jumps off, he, he dives off the building onto a car, does a roll, jumps onto the helicopter, knocks the guy out of the helicopter, lands the helicopter, then gets ambushed by the ex- electrocutioner. He's starting to get shocked. He whips out some nunchucks. He's fighting the electrocutioner. Wow, this is busy. Um, <laughs> it, it, but it, it's a great couple of pages. It really makes you want to read The Vigilante. I, in fact, because again, you know, Paul Kupperberg took that book over, there's a lot of issues of that series that if they gone silent for all of them. I think I would have liked the book better. Uh, oh, man. And let's not forget, Ross Andrews was a co-creator on The Punisher. Obviously, The Vigilante was a knockoff of The Punisher, but I'm sure a lot of people forget Marvel didn't do The Punisher miniseries for several years after this. DC really took a chance by doing this Vigilante comic, especially uh, was Ed Berkowitz was the one, Sam Berkowitz, who, who was the fellow who was shooting the uh, uh, muggers on the New York subways in this uh, time period. Uh, oh, boy. Ed Ed. Get, Ed. Ed, uh, it, it, wasn't it Berkowitz, or am I thinking no, of Son of Sam? No, you're thinking of Son of Sam. Berkowitz was okay. Son of Sam. 
Ed Getz, I think, was the guy. Maybe. The, the subway but if I, if I remember correctly, when the book was first coming out, they actually had shots of like newspaper covers meant. I mean, newspaper uh, headlines meant to uh, recall that in, those incidents. So it was a really ballsy move on on DC's part to come out with this book at the time. And but it it was still a bit of a '70s holdover because they were doing very. 70s Punisher type stuff in the book, whereas when the Punisher came out, he did 80s Punisher stuff, and that's why that book sold. This one, not so much. But it was a good looking book. I'm disappointed to hear that this was repurposed art because I thought this. Actually, I really dig this. I think this is. I, a I great don't know that for bit. a fact. I'm just assuming that they wouldn't have put this much effort into two page ad, and there's just too much going on here for me to think that this is solely for this this advertisement. It's really cool. It's, it's just perfect. It's a complete story, you know, in two pages of what's going on with Vigilante kicking some butt. And I just really dug it. I really enjoyed this. It actually made me want to read Vigilante because it made me feel like it's those old um, – actually, I felt like 80s Punishers that I enjoyed so much. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I think it, 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 it stands out because it is silent and it is just a just action piece. I think it's nice. And this is another one of those two where whenever I'm reading a comic and I see a guy like the electrocutional, oh, sorry, the electrocutioner, I think about repurposing that guy because he's kind of cool looking, kind of a neat power set. Give that guy to somebody like Green Arrow who's still got a career. You know, that guy needs a rose gallery. I just want, I want to see these guys get used again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. that's a good, that's a good thought. Huh? Now they they tried a vigilante series not too long ago. Um, yeah, they did, didn't they? And yeah, was, I think everyone kind of responded that way. Well, but, it was Marv Wolfman in two thousand and something, not Marv Wolfman in the eighties. So yeah, yeah. No. Right. Really nice costume design, though. I liked how they incorporated the V into the face on that version. Because it, 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 there's nothing vigilante about a guy running around with little goggles on, and the little Vs they have on his mask at that time are kind of cheesy. Where turning his entire face into a big red V, that's that's pretty. It, it's memorable. You, it, it, it stands out. Walt Simonson, I think, did some covers for that series, and it was quite good looking. And then you open it up, it's like, eh, not so much. I just remember a motorcycle helmet. That's all I remember. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, moving on, the Omega Men come back again. Nobody wanted them. Um, <laughs> the ad is set up fairly well because you've got these long, slender, page-length uh, uh, spotlight images for each member. Primus, Brute, Nimbus, Callista, Tigor, except that you don't remember any of those characters because nobody remembers the Omega Men. There's like a hundred of them. Uh, i got to catch them all. I don't know what the hell's going on with this thing. Uh, the, I, I want to read the text here. Warriors, exiles, patriots, 100 of them dedicated to their people's freedom, and now freedom has been won. The Vegan planets are no longer oppressed by Citadel tyranny, but now the real story begins. Now the true struggle starts, and now the most vile menace of all rears its ugly head, all new, better than ever, the Omega Men. What story starts with the war's already over with, and you're kind of rebuilding, and, you know, the fighting's done with, and you got to start figuring out how you're going to tax people and how you're going to divide up the states? I don't think that's really going to excite people all that much. <laughs> all I'm going to say is Tigor, the only one anyone remembers. He's the only one who came back, right? Using the Omega Men that they started using in the early 2000s? I don't I know. So, yeah. He's just the only yeah. one anyone remembers. That's simple. I have to say, as an Omega Men fan, these, the book is not well served by these ads. These are, these well, are sort of underwhelming ads across the board. They, they tried harder with this one, though. I mean, certainly more so than last time. Yeah, I yeah. still don't think this is a great ad, though. I agree. And see, this time Todd Smith is being by Romeo Tangal, who I think is one of the worst thinkers to ever work with a lot of people and a lot of books. I think Romeo Tangal is one of those guys that you throw at a bad penciler and he'll make him better. But they kept giving him to guys like George Perez. And when you give him to somebody like Todd Smith, mediocre is the best you can hope for. 
Well, if nothing else, I'll say that that Omega Mad uh, Omega Men ad makes me feel pretty good uh, as compared to what's coming next. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jim, uh, the Jim miniseries is is an interesting experience. It's it's kind of harrowing. It's uh, if you ever read. Um, Oh, shoot, I can't remember the fellow's name now. Never mind, moving on. Um, it's a depressing book. It's a super. The, the book starts with a little black kid in the slums, and they kill off his grandfather almost immediately. And he's hanging out with Jim in a literal sewer. It's just, and then people are dying left and right, and there's all this weird sadomasochistic stuff going on. And this ad isn't really an ad. All they do is take a bunch of chunks of panels from the first couple of issues and throw them together. Doesn't tell a story. A whole lot of text that doesn't fit. With, from panel to panel, it's a terrible ad. It's a complete mess. You can see where they could have turned that into sort of a movie trailer, but there's not enough continuity and there's not enough being explained here, but you're having to work really hard to get through the mess. Bad stuff. I stopped reading the text. It, it was so disjointed and uninteresting. I actually owned the first few issues of this miniseries, and I despised it. And uh, I was reading this ad, and I, I just stopped reading towards the end. I was like, I don't care, and this is clearly just grab some panels from the comic and throw them in here, regardless of whether they make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, and, I, and I've been trying I've, – I've been doing the Marsh Banner for blog for about five years now, and I've been trying to do a write-up of some... the series for that entire length of time. And it, every time it just completely burns me out and I have to stop. I'm, I'm about halfway or three-quarters of the way through after five years of trying to get through this thing. There's a Martian Manhunter blow? <laughs> Next. Moving on. Infinity Inc. Uh, this is a, kind of an interesting setup. It, once again, I don't really like the use of negative space. There's a lot of white here. There's a lot of really big text. But you have a series of slender uh, uh, spotlight panels of each member of Infinity Inc. You've got Jade. You've got Silver Scarab. You've got Northwind. You've got Nuclo. Luke Nuclon, you've got Huntress, the Fury, Star Spangled Kid, Obsidian, Power Girl, and Brainwave. And under each, you've got Riddle, Riddle, What Has, Green Skin, Solar Power, Feathers, Atomic Power, Stalking Skills, Amazon Power, A Cosmic Belt, Shadow Power, Kryptonian Strength, Brain Power. Um, These are some really well-designed characters. I really think that they took that Dave Cockermy costume design ethic and put it into Infinity Inc. And yet, Beyond the costumes, these are some of the blandest characters. They, they all have one personality, and it's just sort of just, just the melange of superhero tropes. Hmm. Wow. See, I, I actually have only read a couple of issues of Infinity, Inc., and being as much as I love the 80s-era versions of JSA and later, uh, this really speaks to me as like, oh, i got to read this. i got to read this. So I've been thinking, like, you know, maybe I need to pick up those collected editions of Infinity, Inc., since I've never read them. So um, now, now you're scaring me, Frank. Maybe I shouldn't. Well, again, it's it's '80s Roy Thomas. It's kind of an acquired taste. Um, this is a book I think that sold well on art because it does have a really good artistic te- uh, legacy. You've got uh, Jerry Conway. I mean, sorry, Jerry Con. Jerry Ordway doing some of his best work. I think you've got uh, Michael Bear did it for a while. Todd McFarlane got his start on Infinity Inc. Great looking book. Oh, so we have them. To, Hard- we have them to blame. Right. Yeah. Uh, Great-looking book. It managed to last 50 issues, but it's some of the most convoluted, off, con- convoluted awful stories. Um, there's also this extended arc for the end of the series where uh, he was killing off members really you know, randomly, and it was supposed to have turned out they were all clones, and that went over really well when they tried it with Spider-Man. They, the book got canceled before he got the chance to bring them all back again, and nobody really minded that much. You know, everybody was perfectly happy <laughs> to stay in dead. 
I, I think that says it all because comic fans just will not let characters go. They let these characters go. That means something. Well, but if you look at it, I mean, Jade became a major player in the Green Lantern universe. The you know Silver Scarab became a major player as you know Doctor Fate and you know um, okay, no one goes about North. Sandman. Well, I was actually going to save that for Fury, but uh, okay. Nuclon became you know a big part of the Justice League and then JSA. Huntress obviously was going places anyway. Fury became a big part of Sandman. Starpaint, eh, nothing really happened to Star Spangled Kid. Obsidian became. Star Girl came out of him. Star Girl. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. They put her in Smallville. Somebody likes her. Uh, Well, that would be Jeff Johns. Um, And then you get Obsidian, who became kind of a just a one-note guy after a while. No, he's the gay icon of the DC universe. Actually, he's he's a two-note guy. One is gay. The other is on the verge of becoming a bad guy all the time. Uh, You got Power Girl, of course, who is big, and you got Brave Wayne Jr., who no one really cared about. So. They didn't even make that guy a villain worth a damn. That's pretty sad when you can't even do a guilt <sighs> have anybody care. He was embarrassing in Extreme Justice. Now, backing up from this, I think it's a nice ad. I like the use of the, the vertical panels, and then you get the shot of the Justice Society at the bottom. I think it's a very nice ad. It gives you sort of a – I feel like it's a good call to action to go read Infinity Inc. So I like the ad. Well, I think it goes to show, too, these characters matter in the DC universe because of who they were the children of and, and how they fit into these places. But they, as characters on their own, before other writers took off with them and did stuff with them, nobody cared. And that, that's why the ones that stayed, stayed dead and other writers made you care about the other ones down the line. Okay. Rob, you got nothing to contribute here? Not really, no. Not Infinity Inc. I don't he, like. He'll talk about the next one. I liked worry. Infinity Inc. This ad is just okay. I, I, hey, I don't think this is original art either. I think this is called from the books again. I think I think the Cadby, probably true. I think the phrasing, the riddle, what has I think they came up with that, and then they ran out of ways to ask the question because it's when you're describing someone as having stalking skills. I think we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel as descriptors of somebody's powers. So, mm. well, it, it's again, it's reminiscent of the Titans ad from the first issue right. where they did right. it really well. This is how they don't do it well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's fair. I'll give you that. Okay. Next page is a Saga of the Swamp thing ad. It's it's interesting because it's basically just a shot of the swamp, alligator roaming around at night, and then you have this long streak of text where I, I assume Alan Moore wrote it, where it's sort of describing the feel of the book in, in – it's not really even a story. It's just like the ambiance of the swamp and talking about how it might feel to be in the swamp at night. It's very artsy-fartsy. It's very pretentious, and I think it works for uh, what it's supposed to be in 1983. Or whatever it was, you you needed that kind of pretension. It was at the right time for it, and that's exactly what it is. But it, it works in that time period. So you could forgive comics that pretension because they were coming out of the muck themselves. Yeah, I love this ad. I think it's. I agree that it is. You know, a bit florid. No pun intended. But it jumps out at you as it doesn't read like anything else in these in any three issues of, of the DC Sampler. The fact that the character itself doesn't appear. I mean, he's in that little silhouette. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, you know, to me, it's like it's Alan Moore kind of breaking those rules of this is the closest to what um, an ad could be that, uh, that that could still be considered art, I'd say. You know, like mm-hmm. this, this, this piece exists of its own volition, its own little mini story, aside from the fact that it's an ad for Sag of the Swamp thing. So uh, I really think it's a beautiful... And the drawing is gorgeous by uh, <laughs> Steve Bissett and John Tottleman. Uh, and I remember looking at this this piece long and hard, being utterly convinced that the Swamp thing was in there somewhere. 
I say, oh, I spent some time today doing that. Going, okay, where is he? I know he's yeah, in here. It was like a and weird wall st- thing. I am still convinced that there's a name spelled out in the Spanish moss right above the moon, but I can't figure it out. It's just sex like everybody else does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, like I said, I do. I agree that it's pretentious, uh, but Swamp Thing was pretentious in a lot of ways. But oh, yeah. it, it, it really, it, this is, this kind of reminds me of like one of those albums that they put out that they used to make of like getting uh, all these different musicians to cover a particular artist. Like you know, everybody's going to cover Beatles songs. Everybody's going to cover you know Bob Dylan. Everybody's going to cover Patti Smith. And then, like, you know, one person will rock a cover in a way that just transcends the sort of commercialism of the of the venture and really come up with their own particular take on a song. And that's what this is to me. It's like amid a lot of kind of drecky stuff and really hard sells, here's Alan Moore kind of sitting back and drawing you in to, to what he's trying to do with this book. You definitely want to read the book after reading the text. And that's a lot of text to go through, and comic book people are notorious for not wanting to read text like that. But it, it absolutely does the job. Yep. And I'm pretty confident Alan Moore did it, because have you ever read any of the material on uh, Twilight of the Superheroes? A little bit. Okay. Uh, you know, the reason why we even know about Twilight of the Superheroes is because he had gone to such detail about what he wanted to do with the project before he had a falling out with, with uh, uh, DC over Watchmen. And... A lot of it was his ideas of how to sell the book, this supportive project that he did, to audiences like, you know, action figures and all this other kind of stuff. So despite being an artist, this is a guy who was, you know, grew up as a street kid. He saw opportunities and he knew how to take advantage of them in an artistic way that drew people in. So this is too smart of an ad, I think, for Alan Moore not to have been involved with it. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely reads like him. Okay. Time for the glory. Oh, Justice no. League of America. Yes. <laughs> Are these the best two ads right in a row in the entire DC sampler? <laughs> Back oh, my gosh. 24 years ago, the world's greatest superheroes formed the world's greatest superpowered team. It was the beginning of an era filled with bold concepts and mighty forms. That era is over. Uh, and the, tr- the tradition continues. So what you've got here is a two-page spread with uh, drawn by Chuck Patton, inked, if I recall correctly, by Tom Mandrake, even though you really can't tell from looking at it. And you've got this glorious image of the Justice League drawn in licensing quality, you know. Uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, the Atom, Green Lantern, the Flash, Green Arrow. And it totally gets you excited about the Justice League. This was in a period of time where, after having a brief stint with uh, George Perez, and then before that, years and years of Dick Dillon, and then after that, a lot of Don Heck stuff and, and, and George Tuska. And then, boom, you got Chuck Patton, who just completely gets the Justice League and can do them in a way that you want to read about. And then those guys are out the door, and here comes the Justice League. <laughs> um, and, you know, you can just see the difference in enthusiasm in the artist from how they're drawing it because you have a central figure of Aquaman running at you who still looks good. He still looks like he belongs on a Slurpee cup. And then you look yes. to his left and his right, and you've got Gypsy in a variation on her costume that wasn't ever actually published. You've got Vixen in a variation of her costume that was ever actually published uh, in the comics themselves. You've got kind of a weak Zatanni. You've got an okay steel. You've got Marshman here sort of an afterthought in the background to one direction. In the other direction, you've got a pretty good-looking elongated man because, again, class Justice Leaguer, and then Vibe, who looks like he has some sort of a skin condition. You would think he has lost powers from how poorly his ethnicity is portrayed here. And uh, it's, they're just, you know, some of the characters he had enthusiasm. I know he liked Vixen. He had a he had a strong hand in redesigning her horrible, horrible original costume of Bob, Bob Oxers. So you can see the enthusiasm there, but 
from character to character, you can just tell he enjoys drawing this guy. He does not enjoy drawing this guy, and you can't hide it. And it's just hard to look at these guys and think that this is the Justice League of America, yeah, especially when you've got them directly contrasted against such a better look at them up top. Is, is Vixen wearing a mask? Yes, yeah. she is. Okay. It's the only drawing I've ever seen with her wearing that mask. Interesting. And have you ever seen her actual costume that she was going to be published in when they were going to do her ongoing series? It's terrible. Yeah, the gray and yeah. yellow one, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like blue. It's, oh, it's bad. Okay. Rob, there's your Aquaman shot. Yeah, this, this is, is the, the, podcast. this was the first time uh, I had ever got an inkling that this was coming. You know, it was a DC sampler. <laughs> and I was like, what the, pants. what the, what, you know? Um, to be honest, you know, when I look back, I, I talked about this with Shag. I forget whether we talked about this on the show or maybe just privately an email. But the Justice League Detroit gives me, uh, it reminds me, um, or, or vice versa, actually, what's going on with the New 52? Not to go off on a tangent here a little bit because, you know, we're cracking the two-hour mark already at the show. But, um, and we still have so much more to go. But um, the way that the New 52 seems to be falling apart uh, in terms of the creative teams being fired left and right or quitting left and right, it, it, I, I'm like petrified that in a year or two, DC is just going to give up on the New 52 and just bring the, all the old universes back. They're going to say, we were kidding, never mind, you know, everything's over. And like, because Aquaman is by far the biggest sales success of the New 52, like he's going to somehow get tarred with being the emblem of this failed experiment. <laughs> this reminds me of Justice League Detroit. Because it was like for years afterwards, it was like, oh, yeah, Aquaman formed the Justice League. Look what happened to it. You know, I mean, to the fact they even make jokes about it in later comics, like in the DC Legacies series, you had characters looking at the Justice League at the time going, who are these bunch of second string losers? So I, I, I see this ad and I'm just like, there was such promise to be had here, especially with Chuck Patton doing the art. And it just so wasn't fulfilled. Um, and in terms of vibe, um, if any of you had Mego toys, I think. Probably. I know Shaggy had, I think, some. I don't know if you ever had nope. any of them. Oh, you, never had, you never had one? Okay. Frank, did you ever have any Mego toys? I had a few. Not Interview. many. I was poor. Okay. Uh, when, uh, by the time I was coming up, they were doing Pocket Heroes. Okay. Uh, Mego uh, didn't always have the greatest quality control in their toys, and some of the plastics they used had poor adhesive to the dyeing when they would add dyes to it. And they, it, it caused something called, in the, in the, in the parlance of, the, of Mego collectors, Mego Molt which is when a character, even though it's been in the bubble pack for, for 20 years, the skin starts to lose its color, and it turns into a sickly zombie gray. And that is what Vibe <laughs> looks like. You, if you look at some later Mego dolls, all their skin color is hideous. They look like they've died in the bubble pack, and that's what Vibe looks like here. It's just, it's very how, how did Vibe end up with three other characters' costumes at the same time, though? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, so, so Shag, I've got a question for you. Um, where's Firestorm? What do you mean? He was in the Justice League, right? Yeah, Hawkman's not there either. Luke, Luke and I are crying in the corner right now. <laughs> Just had to ask. Well, Just a bunch of characters are missing. Red Tornado's not here. Black Canary's not here. I mean, they, they yep. couldn't fit everybody in there. But, uh, yeah, I think that it's a nice looking at. I mean, Chuck Patton is, like, to me, was one of the great, like, he has style perfect for superhero comics. And uh, the fact that he got only a couple of months to draw the classic JLA before it all got rebooted is so sad to me because I think he could have had a really long career in, in superhero comics. And this, this ad is gorgeous, but, yeah, it's just a harbinger of just something that's, yeah. 
Well, and, and two, Patton, they go from this to he did a lot of Outsiders stuff after this. He did some new Teen Titans directly after Perez. This guy just kept getting thrown under the bus over and over again. He could never catch a break, it seemed like. And I think he did great work, and just nobody ever gave him a, a proper shot, and they always seemed to put him on the exact wrong property. Yeah, he was well, a supremely talented individual. Great stuff. I mean, this was my first Justice Leagues, really, when I was collecting, was Justice League Detroit. And his artwork is just phenomenal. I mean, I absolutely love it. Now, I will say, I mean, from a premise, Justice League Detroit, and I've said this before, is a strong premise still. It's it's the X-Men. It's, you know, uh, it's taking the unknown characters and putting them center stage, you know, and, and the theory behind it was right. It just didn't work out in execution. Yep. Well, the thing is, is also DC had like three or four different X-Men going at the same time. They, three of them were bound to fail, and a fourth one maybe was going to make it. That ended up being the Titans. Um, but one other thing with this here, too, is, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Justice League Detroit. It may sound like I'm doing nothing but slagging on them. But to my mind, the problem is that Luke Patton has just – you can tell Chuck he's Patton. not – he's so – sorry, Chuck Patton. He's done such a great job on the classic heroes. Later on, Luke McDonald came onto the book, and he got a, brought that – gritty street level quality to the characters that suited those characters a lot better so this ad really brings forward everything that was wrong with the detroit era justice league later on they did get better and those are the issues that i want to defend these were not very good issues in the early going and chuck Patton was a part of that problem because he was so good at drawing something besides what they were forcing him to draw yeah that's a good see idea. i i i like the chuck Patton issues better at least the art wise so the art was great, but it, uh, Luke McDonald suited those types of stories. Luke McDonald kind of, I think, inspired Jerry Conway to start doing darker, uh, more of the time stories, and that's where those characters started to find their niche, just about the time they got canceled and killed off. Well, I mean, it, it, we could talk about the art all day. I just, you know, this is a good example of where Justice League International was going to work. You know, it's take, take the minor characters who don't have their own books, put them on a team together. So. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing too. Is next page over, we've got Batman and the Outsiders, again. and again, and Jim Aparo again. But in the previous story, it was clear that that was a Gotham story. You've got the Joker. You've got all these cool night scenes. Where in this one, it's very, very bright. It's very, very colorful. And where even though there's a series of panels showing first the Outsider lineup, then the Outsiders with like a triumphant fist uh, in the air, then a shot of the Master Disaster, a, a panel of Katana with her new much nicer haircut, a panel with Halo, a panel with Geoforce, a panel with Metamorpho, and then finally a big group shot with the, the, the group running out from the world. Um, so it, it, in a lot of ways, it resembles the one from the, the first sampler, but here everything is kind of cranked up to 11. It's very bright. It's very colorful. They're not in a city. They're in the globe. Um, they try to incorporate some of the stuff we've seen in some of the other ads where one panel discusses the origin of Halo, another discord, uh, Katana's origin, but this, these guys are like the opposite of Infinity Inc. Infinity Inc. are these well-designed characters that don't have much personality. These guys got way too much personality, way <laughs> too much color. They, like if you took they, – they're not great individual character designs, but when you put them all together, they're so loud and so ugly. It's just hard to look at them. And to know how well uh, Jim Maparo did previously and to look at this, it's, it's almost offensive. It just bothers me to look at this because it's so bad by comparison. It's so – it, it, it's 
what would Batman be doing with these people? Why would he choose this group? It makes and, no sense. Yeah, and then he eventually he quit the bat, uh, the Outsiders when they switched over to the new format, and they just launched the Outsiders book with Geoforce as the leader of the group. And then Batman went and led Justice League Detroit for their last few adventures before he banded them too. And he fits so much better in a Luke McDonald drawn uh, uh, Justice League. And I kind of wish if they'd taken some of the better characters from the Outsiders and uh, the the Detroit era team and just kind of put those together, you've had one good team out of these three different teams that were clearly spread too thin conceptually. The best of the losers. Basically, yeah. But let's say, I mean, Green Arrow could have been in one of these teams as a four instance. And at that time, he wasn't really a player anymore. He had the one miniseries in the early 80s. And then they sort of stuffed him off the side until Mike Grell decided to redeem him. Um, but there's a lot of these guys who had kind of fallen through the cracks. who really weren't doing anything at that point in time. And they got those guys together. It bothers me because DC never really had their own defenders, and I, I think that the defenders, when they worked, were great for Marvel. I think it's great to have a team that has its own identity as opposed to everything's branded Justice League or the Avengers now. And this DC never even had their own defenders. You know, they had the outsiders. And when your sub-defenders quality as a team, it's a sad statement. So wait, if we were to take these teams and put them together, you mean like a team with maybe Katana and Vibe and... <laughs> Martian Manor. I'm just pointing out it's the new Justice League of America team you're describing. No, but that's the thing, though. The Justice League of America, if you look at just Martian Manhunter, Zatanna, uh, Aquaman, Vixen, I think, even Elongated Man, uh, those, that's not a bad little team. It's when you've got Gypsy and Vibe, especially, right there in front, yeah, no, where you're just sort of putting your hands up and going, no. no, no that's you're, not, not, you're not listening to me. I'm talking yeah. about this combination of Justice League Detroit and Outsiders is the current New 52 Justice League uh, of America team. Yeah, yeah, and look, that sold pretty well. <laughs> Is I'm it, sorry, I agree with you, Shaq. <laughs> is it a coincidence that uh, in, in The Outsiders are the only, included in the membership of The Outsiders, are the only two heroes ever to turn down JLA membership? Yeah, I'm sure interesting. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> it's probably on purpose. Batman now, likes the malcontents. I think it's interesting that in this Batman The Outsiders ad and the one in sampler number three, they use the same tagline of, be here, it'll be good. That, well, that, if, that was Mike no. Barr's tagline. That was Mike Barr's definitive tagline for all the Outsiders ads. That's He always used that. It, it's like it, almost like he was trying to convince himself. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I think if you didn't read the book, it looked odd. But he ended every letter column with that, too. It was meant to be somewhat self-mocking. Um, just as a, a, an aside, uh, the Batman and the Outsiders letter columns were the single best letter columns probably in the history of comic books. Uh, Not as good as Ambush Book. No, it was even better than Ambush Because Ambush Book was meant to be a joke. Ambush Book's all meant to be a goof. Batman and the Outsiders, Mike Barr would address his readers even when they went over the edge, including him getting death threats about stuff he said in the letter column. Mike Barr got death threats from stuff he wrote in a Batman Outsiders letter column. That's how crazy those letter columns got. So uh, those are the I, I would read those as a book by themselves, just the Batman and the Sider's letters column. So that must have been another writer editor book, huh? Because uh, I don't think an editor would have let him get away with that. He had to be editing himself. Yeah. Probably true. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it was. He was. He was editing as well as writing it. So those were. Those yeah, were those, great those weren't in my showcase presents. Yeah, those were wonderful letter columns because he just completely engaged the the really deranged fanboys right there on the page. It was pretty. <laughs> 
moving right along. Uh, thriller. Um, this is a book that was already pretty much getting canceled before they even managed to get into the DC sampler. Um, it had initially been launched by Robert Lauren Fleming and Trevor Von Eden, but when they couldn't get uh, – the, the editors couldn't get them to make the book make sense. It was sort of like the David Lynch superhero comic book before anybody knew really who David Lynch was beyond Eraserhead. Uh, DC couldn't figure out what the heck this book was, so they basically fired those guys. And then this is the new creative te- team of Bill Dubay and Alex Nino. They lasted a few issues, and then the whole thing just went down the toilet. Uh, but it was a, a, a deluxe format book, very peculiar book. And it's kind of funny, that the description of the book, it sounds like uh, – Fox Force 5 from Pulp Fiction. You know, <laughs> the seven second. Okay, he has seven seconds to save the world. Whose time is running out? And you've got Tony, Salvo, Sabatini, the unerring marksman whose credo is only flesh wounds. I won't kill a fly, so don't ask me to. And it, they're all like that. They're all very goofy. I, I, did either of you guys ever read Thriller? No. In fact, my first exposure to this was tonight looking at this ad right before we started recording. And I would say if you took out the text boxes – this seems like a very interesting comic. Once I read the text boxes, I'm like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> uh, this is probably, other than the Swamp Thing ad, my favorite ad in this book. I think it, it reminds me of those 60s uh, high, like heist films, movie posters. You know, it just has that classic look to it. I tried to read Thriller when it came out. I could not make hide or hair of it. I just couldn't. So there's no way that this ad was going to sell me on Thriller because I had already tried it and just been like, find it, found it impenetrable. But I love the ad. I think the ad is just wonderfully strange and evocative of a certain time period that, of course, had was considered an old hat by this point. So no wonder Thriller was a giant bomb. In fact, such a giant bomb that they made fun of it in Ambush Bug. Uh, yeah. Yeah, about what a giant bomb it was. This well, is if I remember force. correctly, they, they did a, a, a parody of the Playboy interviews for the they, Cinephones. Right, right, right. For and, and I think Bug, yeah. Ambush Bug's uh, uh, perfect afternoon was lying on a white sand beach feeding copies of Thriller to a shredder. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Jeez. Yeah, I said I love the ad, though. If you look at, like, some movie posters from the 60s of anything of, like, a British heist film, they usually featured Michael Caine or Peter Ustinov in some way of them, people robbing a bank. This is what these posters look like, and I think that's what Oxenia was going for. And I think it's a gorgeous ad, but yeah, the book, you know, it didn't help sell the book one whit, and uh, no reason why it should, because the book was almost impossible to understand. It looks kind of Chaikin-esque. Yeah, there's a little bit of Chaikin in there, the, 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 the layout of it. It said it's very strange. It's a beautiful ad, but again, it's not going to help sell this book at all. Well, and especially when you're mixing Chaikin with like Steve Ditko posturing, it, it's there's this cognitive dissonance looking at this. It's like there's so many different things going on that shouldn't fit together that it intrigues you. And that's yet another one of those books that probably would have been better if they just didn't put dialogue uh, balloons in there, no captions. Yep. Because I love Trevor Von Eden. It's such a great looking book. And then you try to read and you're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Uh, next spread is a Star Trek advertisement. Uh, I assume the art's by the credited uh, team of Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran. Mike Barr was writing that as well. All it is is it's just a big collage of images. You've got floating heads, which is becoming a theme with the, these advertisements. You've got the Enterprise uh, shooting at uh, some Klingon birds of prey. You've got a generic Klingon with a rifle. Uh, you've got a couple of scenes that look like from the comics with them on the on an alien planet or, or on the bridge. Um, I think it's a pretty cool little ad. They don't try hard to sell it to you, but let's face it, if you're not a fan of Star Trek, they're not going to talk you into reading Star Trek. 
Art-wise, it looks great. And something that really gets me too, especially in the age of the New 52, I really like seeing all these old, normal-looking people drawn well and having adventures instead of it, everybody being a, a model and everybody being, you know, chiseled. Like these, these, they look like the actors, but they're not as static and boring as a lot of the artists who did the licensed books. They still have life to them. And it, it kind of does make me want to read a Star Trek comic. If I remember right, I think this is um, the cover, and I could be wrong. I don't know. I believe this is the cover to Star Trek number one, or or, or at least the ad, like that ad of, of Kirk and Spock and everyone in those faces. I've seen that before. So either they repurpose this as a house ad, or it's the cover of one of the issues. I'm not sure. But this must have been – this is a funny little period of time. This must have been right before Star Trek two was released, but before – yeah, because look, Spock's in the ad, so it can't be. It's not after Star Trek three, and, and if Spock's in the ad, it's got to be before he died in two. Sorry, spoiler. Um, so it's kind of a. I don't no, know. This is eighty four. No, 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 that this, can't be right. Yeah, no, no this, this is eighty four. You're yeah, right. This is eighty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is after Star Trek three. Was it? Well, maybe it was a prequel to Star Trek two. Maybe they were doing like Star Wars did, where they were filling in the gaps between the first and second movie. I should know this. I've got some of the issues. I've read some. I no, just can't remember. No, this is. I believe this was post Trek Three. Because okay. like or, after or, Trek Three, but, after Trek Three, they were flying around in the um, the the, the, the Excelsior. Yeah, the no, they were flying around the, in the movies. Yeah, but in the comics, they were flying around oh, in the right, Excelsior. Right, right. And I think eventually what they ended up doing, if I remember, I think they stole the Enterprise from the Mirror Universe. So maybe that's what this is: is the Mirror Universe Enterprise, and they they finally got their hands on that. And I could be misremembering some of this. But, uh, that is convoluted. You just talked me out of reading Star Trek comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. it. It's like it's like the Star Wars comics. Trying to do a Star Wars comic in the middle of Empire and Return is damn impossible. The same thing here between Star Trek two and three and four. When Spock dies, what do you do there? And then you got to dance around all that until Star Trek three, and then the Enterprise blows up. So what the hell do you do between Star Trek three and four? I mean, that's almost impossible to be a team writing that. So it was a tough time to write a Star Trek comic, but they did some good work. As we, as everyone will find out when we do Who's Who in the Star Trek. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I love this uh, ad. I think it's handsome. The only thing I hate, I hate that blue bubble around the Enterprise. What the hell is that thing? Is well, this supposed to be a shield, maybe? Is it? It could be a shield, or it's it, maybe maybe they had the Enterprise against the background and it was too hard to make I, out. I bet that's what it is. It, yeah, it just looks hideous. But uh, the rest of it I love. It's a fantastic ad. I absolutely love it. And I think that now that you say it, I think that Klingon on the bottom is based on Christopher Lloyd as the Klingon in Star Trek Yeah, yeah. It's unusual that you don't see a copyright notice for Paramount Pictures anywhere here. If you didn't know, you'd think Star Trek was a DC property. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Now we're getting yeah. to Shag's favorite. Uh, hey, not just him. I love me some Blue Devil, too. Okay. Uh, Two-base spread. Why is this blue man smiling? He used to be Dan Cassidy, happy-go-lucky, number one Hollywood stuntman. Then one sunny day, he received a supernatural zapping, and he became his costume, a weird combination of grease paint and high-tech adjury forever after. Dan would be risking his neck, slugging it out with one souped-up menace after another. So why is he smiling? Because he's having fun. Blue Devil is devoted to glorious, uncomplicated fun. Blame it on Gary Conway, Dan Mishkin, Harris Cullens and Gary Martin. If you find yourself beaming like a ninny every after every issue, all right, Blue Devil. This is a comic that everyone is talking about. A brand new series from the New Fifty Two. There, well, 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 okay, hold on a minute. Two things. First of all, you said Jerry Conway, and then you said New Fifty Two. What the hell? Oh, sorry. But final slip. But it was it was a very fun reading. Thank you. I liked that <laughs> reading. It was nice. Well, because they're so they're definitely telling you. Look, this is not like 
every other book in this thing. This this is different. Try this. It's worth trying. And it totally was. And then nobody tried it. It got canceled for three years. Oh, such a shame. Now, this is um, – I don't know my timing of this, but this has got to be probably when the book was still ran fresh new because Paris Collins does this ad. Mm-hmm. And um, the only pictures represented will get you through the first three issues. That's it. Yeah, so. you got Trickster, you got Shockwave, you got Nibiros. Yeah, this has to be really on. And, and Metallo's Goons. So yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Trickster was in the sneak peek. You know, Nibiros was in issue one. Tri- uh, Shockwave was issue two. And Metallo was issue three. So, I mean, that's really as far as you've got here. <laughs> and then you've got the whole crew, you know, of, um, you know, Gopher and his girlfriend, Sharon, and uh, Marla. And there's Wayne, and, and oh, it's just so much fun. Oh, this, 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 honestly, this is the first time I've ever seen this art. I'm so excited by it. I, I, I have to say, too, there's so many ads with these crappy floating heads that are supposed to re- represent the supporting cast. And it just a lot of times it just it's a distraction. It doesn't fit with the artwork. One of the things that's great about this is they're not just introducing you to the Blue Devil. They're introducing you to his whole cast of characters. They're having him relate to those characters. You get a sense of who they are based on how they're represented visually. And it's part of the cell because you want to read about these guys. They look like a fun bunch of people to hang out with. I mean, Sharon's doing the cheesecaking. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's it, it, Gopher's hanging on, trying to keep up with them. So, yeah, it absolutely shows their personalities in each one of their poses. Wayne's being a dick. You know, it's uh, it's really good stuff. And you got the subtle blue devil symbol in the background. They didn't get a lot of use out of from his, yeah. from his belt. Yeah. So, Rob, as, a, as an impartial outsider on Blue Devil that's not hasn't drank the Kool-Aid, uh, what do you think of this? I feel so left out in this segment. Uh I think it's a great ad. Blue Devil just never connected with me for whatever reason, uh, but I think it's a great ad. I really do. I think it's well drawn. Uh, the layout is great of the photographs and the way it w- wraps around on the double page. So I think it's a really nice ad. But uh, yeah, it's 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 not going to make me want to read Blue Devil. <laughs> I wow. Don't, I don't know why. I don't know why because I like these guys. I like fun comics, and maybe I need to give Blue Devil another chance. I actually do enjoy that one Blue Devil annual with all the. Supernatural characters. Oh, the summer fun. Summer fun. That's a great comic. So maybe I need to go and find these and, and try them again. Because you know, I I tried to give it a ch- chance in the '80s when I was probably a little more like, no, comics need to be serious. So uh, I'm not so much that way now. So maybe I need to give it again. But it's it's a very nice ad. It's very cute. Just read like the first eight or nine issues and then stop. That's all you got to do. And now, if I if I could go back in time and change anything about this ad there's only one thing i would change and that would be instead of photographs i would make them cells in a, a movie uh film it's movie frames you mean yeah movie frames thank you that's what i'm trying yeah to. like uh the uh, showcase four cover yeah 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 that's or, the only thing i would change but otherwise it's just brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah. by the way rob how do you how do you feel about the blue devil's design i always thought he was a really well-designed character and that's why i was so bothered when they changed it after underworld unleashed as somebody who's not a fan what do you think of his look oh i think it's good no i think it's good i haven't liked the newer ones making them edgier looking no i think it's, it's a it's a really sharp costume i think it would have made a great superpowers figure of course that they ever gotten to oh, oh sorry oh, i didn't mean to bring that up man, oh. sorry 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 god <laughs> Uh, next two-page spread is Amethyst. Um, this does not have a really cool, intricate border. This is kind of a mess. Uh, you've got a whole bunch of different aspects. Honestly, it looks a lot like the original ad because, once again, you've got the little girl character going through a portal. She's becoming Amethyst. There's a panty shot, which I'm really not comfortable with, given that you've just set up that it's a little girl. 
you know, woman's body. Um, yeah, and then they also make a point of showing Amethyst and then her little girl version, and their kind of their hairs are intermingling. Doesn't really work that great. Um, everything that Ernie Cologne did right in the first ad, he's kind of doing wrong in this ad. There's no Dark Opal, which is a huge, huge oversight. Uh, he probably was dead by that point, but you still need Dark Opal. You just can't do this without Dark Opal. And you know, it's the same supporting cast looking kind of the same. There's this new black guy. He looks really good. The rest of it, I just have no use for. It's just a mess. And you've got the same cheesy 80s movie trailer uh, text roaming around all over. There's in no, awful flat colors. There's no Amethyst logo. Yeah. That's very oh, it, looks wow. like the, it looks like the ad isn't finished. It looks like you want to go to page three. You know, you're like, well, where's the, okay. Because, you know, it's like you're expecting the, ad, the, the logo. In every ad. It's, just, it's a good very point. unusual. Good point. Uh, did you get the showcase, uh, Shag? No, I did not. I bet you 10 to 1 this spread is in one of those comics, and they just repurposed it. I don't think you would have done this as an ad on purpose. So, uh, Well, it seems like an ad to me. Because, I mean, the pictures along the bottom only seem to make sense as an ad. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's and, not good. and I actually like the Amethyst to Amy transition with the hair. I like that. I think it looks nice. Um, I, th- I think there's some nice art pieces in here. The dragon looks, you know, it, by itself, the dragon looks nice. By itself, the unicorn Pegasus looks nice. Amy and Amethyst together by themselves look nice. You know, like that one, like you said, the guy in the bottom left-hand corner looks nice. When you put it all together, it, it does, it would look, actually, without the word balloons, would be a little bit better. But, and all the normal characters off the upper right-hand corner are really not well-drawn. I did kind of like that idea, like that sense you get Amy's running away from her family. You know, and her family's like, hey, come back. And she's going off to her fantasy world. So, you know, I, I, you know, the more I look at it, the more I, I'm not as critical as you are on this one. It's, it's nice. It just it needs something. I don't know what. I think, it needs a logo. Uh, think Rob. <laughs> yeah. A logo. There we go. Yep. And Ernie Cologne does a, a nice job. Sorry. I was about to say, I think Rob needs a Pepsi Max. He's starting to fade on us. <laughs> and we haven't got to the bulk of the show. <laughs> Almost done with this one. And we all have one more. We'll be okay. But then we got the. Just the whole listener feedback. Oh, thing. yeah, we're screwed. Um, <laughs> okay, the next two-page spread is Legion of Superheroes. Uh, you can already kind of start to see Keith Giffen going in a different direction. Here you've got this bizarre alien creature. I think, wasn't he a doctor in the comics or something? This little squat midget purple guy with horns. I, I was and not he's reading reading, this point. Okay, and he's reading to some, you know, uh, barely anthropomorphic aliens uh, as though the Legion were a storybook. And you've got the calligraphic, um, you know, uh, text where he's describing the different worlds they go to and all the stuff they do. And on the right-hand side, you've got this series of boxes where it's sort of a glossary of terms used in the, the Legion and, you know, how things work together. Um, this, 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 it's just too much. There's yep. too much yep. going on here. It's too busy. This is, this is everything that Legion fans who, I mean, non-Legion fans who are afraid of going into the Legion, uh, this, this is what they're talking about. When you look at this, you're like, I can't take all this in. It's like an <laughs> <laughs> I complete, yes, that is exactly what this ad is. Yep. <laughs> and once again, no logo. Yeah. But you get the bouncing boy with a bullet again. Love that. It's always great a second time. Uh, I will say this has got to be the only ad of the DC sampler that mentions Marvel comics. Does it? Where? Pay paragraph three. The innumerable fans of the Legionnaires have published thousands of fanzines, besieged DC editors, DC editors to keep them alive through occasional creative lulls. And one of them even turned out to be the editor in chief of Marvel comics. 
Oh yeah, good point. Mm. I can't. I can only imagine that DC was like, really? Do we have to even get that in there? But I guess they pushed it through. Uh, not just that. I'm pretty sure the editor didn't want to read all this crap either. <laughs> yeah, the I, way the way that sentence is written, it implies a fan of the Legion became editor in chief of Marvel Comics. He did, Jim Shooter. Yeah, but he also wrote the Legion as right, well. So right, more than he was a fan. A, right, but, but he, well, that's true. Well, but he was initially a fan. That purple it, dude is the schmoo. Um, I, I just have to throw in there, he actually was not a fan. What it was is he looked at the book that he felt was the weakest that DC had and wrote for that book because he figured he could do it better than middle-aged men because uh, he was trying to put food on the table for his family. He maybe became a fan of his own work and his own writing and became a fan of the characters through writing them, but going into it, he saw an opportunity because he thought that that was the weakest book, and that's why he targeted it as, as a writer. I didn't know that, that your interpretation, or you read that? No, I read that. He, he's got a blog, and he, he's done a lot of interviews, and he's discussed what got him in there in the first place. He, he saw he was reading the book, and he realized that they didn't really have a good handle on the teen characters, and he thought he could do a better job, and he needed to make some money for his family. Well, the part where I started to believe you were telling the truth is where you said he fell in love with his own work. That's where it became <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that sounds real. <laughs> uh, okay, last page of this one. Uh, it's an ad for funny stuff. <laughs> Uh, it, well, it's actually it's an ad for the the, for the, DC the Digest, the DJ Digest, really. Uh, yeah, and so it's year's best comic stories. Binky and his buddies. It's basically all the random stuff that they would throw into those digests toward the end, trying to attract a mainstream audience with that wasn't really there anymore. Buying the stuff at the uh, checkout counter, really. Uh, but the funny thing is, is this particular cover? Uh, it's an image of a bunch of their funny animal characters from the fifties and sixties. Um, they did a digest of those characters, called it funny stuff, and I actually did buy that digest as a kid read it and i'm not really sure why because aside from a nostalgic connection to something that i knew as a kid those characters mean nothing to me and that was probably part of the problem <laughs> i've seen this ad before in other dc comics yeah i love the sarcasm inherent where they say and every other month superman and superman's responses thanks heaps i love the fact that he actually <laughs> doesn't want to be included with the funny animal characters which has to be uh, DC Comics' opinion of these characters filtered through Superman's mouth. It had to be, they were sort of, I guess, just grudgingly doing this, and sort of, so that they had Superman say, "Yeah, thanks a lot." Um, yeah, this, this I, I have, I own every single DC Digest ever published. Um, I love the format. I, I, you know, I have a site devoted to the Treasury Comics, and I had a blog devoted just to the Digests. I love the different formats, and I always love the digest because it, it gave me portals into stuff that I never would have had a chance to read. Um, it seemed odd to try and dig out this material to, to, in 1983, 84, 85, where it just didn't really appeal to many to anybody. Um, but they were still trying, you know, they were still trying to get kids to read comics, and they thought little kids would be interested in this stuff, and they weren't. <laughs> but. Uh, but, uh, well, no, I was interested enough to pick it up one time, read it, and decide I didn't want anything to do right, with it Right, right. But they kept doing it, and they tried. And I loved the year's best comic stories. That was one of my favorite things was they would pick their best stories of the year and put them in one compilation. That was I was going to say the year's best comic stories and the adventure comics were two of the digests that I really dug. Yeah, yeah. So I, I And this was the digest last gasp. I mean, the, this, it, was, it was canceled a couple issues, I think, like a, like a year after this. Um, and they ended it with Ambush Bug on the cover of the year's best comic stories, the final DC digest that they ever published. So they probably, I think they decided to cancel while they were drawing this ad, probably. <laughs> well, I just have to point out, it's a train, right? And there's like a dodo uh, on the front of the train and he's wearing a catcher's mitt and he's caught a cow because he's sitting on the cow catcher, which is something you have on the front of a train. What kid in 1984 knew what the hell a cow catcher was? <laughs> so you even get that joke. 
Um, inside front cover, we go back to him back. They finally get Clark Kent to stop looking through the sampler that you've just been looking through. Very meta, very Grant Morrison. And then, <laughs> and then uh, Clark runs out of the room, puts all the DC samplers in the Daily Planet editions after all, and it ends on a really weak-ass uh, joke. Yeah. Yeah, he, he winks at the audience, and Jimmy's like, "Is there something in your eyes?" Like, no. Like, actually, I, okay. Well, wait. I did like that just because it, George George Reese used to always wink at the camera. So mm-hmm. anyway, I did get that reference. I wasn't I, quite. There I yet. did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and so ends DC sample number two. Everybody. Woo! <laughs> so which one was better, number one or two? Because I know it ain't three. <laughs> Well, I'll be, I, I'm totally biased because I had the original sampler as a kid. I flipped through it over and over again. It was it was uh, my gateway, and then two and three I got as an adult, and especially three, not really you know where it's at, which is why Rob's going to take over from here. <laughs> Great, I, I get stuck with that. I, I'm torn between whether one or two is better. I really am. I think number two has higher highs and lower lows. Yeah, that's very that. fair. That's uh, that's very observant. Yeah, I think I think nothing beats that Alan Moore Swamp Thing ad. But then there's ones in number two that are there. More of the ads in number two are repurposed art. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like less work went into it. So I think I think that's what it is. In in design wise, there was more just badly designed ads. Yeah, but then you get those those uh, uh, three pages of Jose Luis Garlo, Garcia Lopez, ha, huh? and uh, you got the George Perez spreads. It's it's tough to beat those. I mean, you get Blue Devil, you get oh, yeah. Ari Force. I mean, there's some, oof, yeah. All right, number three. Okay, number three, DC Sampler, number three, featuring a Hembeck cover. If you loved Hembeck in number two, you'll love him in number three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if you hated him, you'll hate him in number three. Uh, it's got shots of Hembeck and all the various characters in a comic shop. Uh, you can tell this is a comic shop that doesn't exist in the real world because there's men and women. And they're they're uh, reading different comics, and they're all holding stats of the comics that they're talking about. Um, and then you, in the background, you see Superman, Batman, and Flash entering uh, in the in, in the background there. And there's a spinner rack in the far left that says "Hey Kids Comics," which, which that's I, right. Which I enjoy. And, and perhaps more importantly, there's no long boxes in here whatsoever. <laughs> no, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, most importantly is there's an ad on the back wall for V, which is not mentioned in this comic. But man, I loved me some V comics. <laughs> did love the V comics, but I did love V. I, I loved it all. Series. I love the novels, the the comics, the all novels. Of them. Wow, I didn't know they had. I that. read the novels, brother. All right. I, I would literally be walking down the street and be like doing the little da dun dun da dun dun da dun da dun dun walking down the street. I just love the theme, everything about this. I am charmed with the idea of the adventures of uh, little little Luke, uh, little Frank. I'm sorry, little, little Luke. Luke. <laughs> hey, it, it's about time. Everybody keeps putting my name in for somebody else. It's about time somebody swapped me out for poor Luke. It's, uh, it's Luke's time. Luke's time is now. The new, new 52 Fire and Water podcast is Luke's time. <laughs> um, the one thing worth mentioning before we get started is this book was subjected to the dreaded flexographic printing process, oh, which yeah. uh, oh. seemed to be de- which I have to. I, I'm sorry. I, I have to think that the flexographic process was sold to DC and Marvel, kind of like uh, uh, the the Music Man. Like it was like a flim flam guy. It was a guy in like in a straw boater. 
<laughs> and a very loud jacket, and he had a great song, and he kind of sounded like Phil Hartman from The Simpsons. And he was just like, trust me, you're going to love the flexographic process. And DC, you know, Dick Dertano and Paul Levitz were like, okay, here's $50,000, you know, okay. Uh, because this was a horrid nightmare, the flexographic printing process. Now, this issue... Uh, doesn't show as many problems, but like as we saw in the first two issues of Who's Who, there was tons of printing mistakes with Flexographic. It made everybody look like they had were suffering from the heartbreak of psoriasis. The colors were just blotchy. It was just a mess, and it was an experiment that, that lasted, I think, about three or four months, and then they abandoned it totally. So, so It's all Neil Adams' fault, because he used to come into the office and complain that they could do more with color. So they finally right. said, Neil's right, let's do it. And they got flexographic. Yeah, it's it horrible, horrible. And Wasn't it like some kind of cheap plastic press that would warp as through the printing process? Something like that. I need to go do some more research because it is a great, you know, it is a great little like bubble in the history of comics. And you're like, now, wait a minute. Going back to the cover, it says Hembeck after Hannigan? Yeah, well, Ed Hannigan designed a lot of DC covers in the in the 80s, the way Carmen Infantino did in the late 60s. So, oh, I'm, so I'm, Hannigan uh, designed I bet he designed it. Okay. this cover and then Fred Hembeck executed it. So okay. that's what that means. Anyway, uh, the first uh, ad, much like the... the well, uh, before before oh, we get yeah. away from the, the format, two things. One, did Marvel ever actually use this stuff? Because I, I remember it very vividly with the VC, DC books. There was a year of just really horrible... You know, looking pages. Did Marvel ever buy into this stuff? I thought they did. I could be wrong. I don't remember seeing Marvel books quite this ugly. But I remember <laughs> that my first experience with this coloring, I literally thought it was a secondhand comic. I literally thought somebody had gone in there with a crayon or something. I was trying to figure out how the comic looked like that. <laughs> I didn't think they printed it like that. So, okay, carry on. <laughs> uh, anyway, much like DC Sample number two, DC Sample number three opens with a three-page ad. In this case, it's an ad for Saga of the Swamp Thing, which is a lot more traditional ad i have to wonder whether you know they were like all right alan come on we let you get artsy fartsy in the last one but you got to do more straightforward here (laughs) uh it's you know you've got a main image of swamp thing linked even even by dc dc sampler standards it's still fairly unusual and it is very nightmarish it's drawn by set toddleman and you see a shot of the demon and you see arcane and you see the swamp thing it's i mean it it presents all the nightmarish hideous stuff that went on in that book combined with a beautiful image of Abby, Abby Arcane and then a, another shot of something in front of a sunset. So it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful ad. We're very well drawn, but it's a little more in the traditional sense than, than the previous one that they did, number two. Yeah, I don't think I'll have more anything to do with this because the text is not very interesting. The art's gorgeous. I love the way that it... The first page, you don't know that it's Swamp Thing. It just looks like it's a knoll or something. And you slowly wake your up and you see this gloriously detailed Swamp Thing. And then you look at the panels. The panels look kind of interesting. And then you actually do the reading and it's like, eh. Mm. Just, eh. <laughs> um, I, I, all, the, all the little oogly monsters that those guys designed gave me nightmares. They're, they drew hideous. <laughs> scary monsters that they're not they're not monsters that like are like these looming creatures that crush you they look like little things that crawl under your door and grab your leg while you're sleeping or something and to me that's mm. their their nightmarish quality to them they, thanks they, for, they, thanks for that nightmare tonight Rob. <laughs> i hope your daughter's listening you can enjoy that uh <laughs> I, I like this because this is the era of saga it's one thing that i'm reading right now like I've, I, I'm, I'm reading the trade paperbacks of uh, Alan Moore's and Tottleman's, and I think I finished the third one or something like okay. that. So this is about where I am in in the timeline. So Great stuff. nice. Great stuff. So you're you're catching the references we're missing too. I can see like some covers mixed into there and and storylines being referenced, but I, I haven't read that stuff or I don't remember it very well. So 
You catching references in there that were not? Well, like Arcane, obviously, with the flies. I mean, that's straight from that storyline. You got, um, you know, the, it, it, it's really more high notes. There's nothing really subtle other than, like, Swamp Thing has a tuber growing on him. That's probably the one that Abby ate. You know, I, I don't, the last three panels don't ring a specific bell. No, the three me. are more generic, yeah. Yeah, I think those are more generic, so. But, yeah, there's just little hints throughout, but that's about it. There's nothing, the, nothing, no, 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 no great Easter eggs. Let's put it that way. No, I mean, there, although there is the the one panel there uh, with the text and the unspeakable, which features a, uh, the wolf, the shot of the wolf howling at the moon, and that's a, a direct reference to that one issue about the the woman that turns into a werewolf. Which, oh, I guess I haven't read that one yet. Okay, hope that was, you didn't just hope you didn't just spoil something. No, it's a whole analogy about um, uh, menstruation. You'll enjoy it. Oh, okay. Um, the next ad, uh, probably the single most hideous ad in the entire. DC sampler line. I never liked Robotech. I never cared about it. It's robots, just a bunch of robots banging into each other. This ad is hideous, ugly, dry, awful. awful. But it's but it's typical of the time. How so? The yellow, the stark yellow type thing with the with the words. I mean, there's a lot of this through the eighties. Okay, it's okay. In house ads, I just think it's an overstatement to say this is the worst. We've seen so many really bad ads. This is a lot better than the worst of the ads. Really, Jim was Jim. Jim was worse, dude. Jim was worse. Oh, I, hey, worse. Uh, World mm, finest. All right. oh, that's pretty bad. All right, that's pretty bad. That's true. This, yeah, I mean the the font's not bad. It's kind of a nice-ish logo for the time period. Well, that's, 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 that's Robotech's logo, not one that DC designed. Okay, well, but still, it looks okay. It's a nice pinup. I think the pinups look pretty good. It's the ad itself just kind of there. It's so boring. I'm done with it, guys. Yeah, okay. Well, but I just, I just want to point out this was supposed to be, if I remember correctly, like a five or six issue miniseries. They managed to truncate it down to two. Just, they had to rewrite, yeah, redraw. It's three here in the yeah. three part miniseries. Okay, it was three. Yeah, they, they they smushed everything that was going to be in three into a second issue and just canceled it and walked away from it. Jeez, wow. it's, a, it's the it's DC's quest probe. <laughs> and well, it, 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 that's the thing too. DC tried so hard to get their own, you know, Micronauts, GI Joe, Transformers were like the big licensing. No Star Wars. They had all these. Marvel had all those great successes with licensing, and DC just tried over and over again, and they kept ending up with Robotech Defenders. It, it, it you felt bad for them after a while. <laughs> Atari Force, brother. That's where it's at. All right. Next up is Conquer a Barren Earth. Conquer of the Barren Earth. I never had any interest in this strip. But the ad is gorgeous. This ad is beautiful. I guess it's all by Ron Randall. I don't know if he inked it too. It looks like one of those classic, uh, like pulp covers. Uh, you got the the guy on the right. I have no idea who that guy on the right is. The bad guy. He looks kind of like a. Uh, he looks very, you know, vaguely Fu Manchuish or Ming the Merciless. Yeah. With the mushroom coming out of his head. Yeah, with the mushroom coming out of his head. It is a be- I think it's a- the ad is beautiful. It's just gorgeous. But again, I it, I never read the single story of the strip. So or, she's hot. Yes, of course. It's a, it's a really nice spread. It's just this woman has a mission. What's the mission? They don't tell you. These five share a dream. What dream? I don't know. Who is she fighting? <laughs> conqueror the barren earth. Who is the conqueror? Is she the conqueror? Or some other guy conqueror? Is it like a, a non-horarium, like master of the universe? Um, well, just- if, I remember, if I remember right, they'd already had a few backups, I believe, in uh, Warlord by this point. So you should have been, in theory, familiar with the book, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I should have read issues of Warlord, gotten myself familiar with Conqueror of the Earth to be prepared to understand the advertisement. <laughs> well, the only way – all right, maybe I'm wrong. What I, what I remember is buying Warlord for Arion. I bought those backups, and then, like, Arion suddenly ended, 
and somebody else was in a backup. I'm like, oh, I guess I have to read this now. And I read one. I'm like, I'm done. But because I wasn't even read the, it's funny. I wouldn't even read the front Warlord comic. I would just read the backups. You know, Frank's convinced me. I hate to say. <laughs> Next, he's changed my mind. It's a great font, though. Conquer of he's the Baron Earth. Is a great I font. hate this. This is shit. <laughs> this is shit. But there's two dinosaurs fighting in a tank beneath it. I, I'm so easily swayed at three o'clock in the morning. It's just I, I loved it going in. And all Frank, all it took was Frank to have speak a couple of minutes, and I'm like, I hate this. God but she's it. not wearing a bra, and her left breast is clearly right. larger than the right. right breast. Okay. All right, let's. Okay, next ad. Hung got the internet for that after we're done recording. Yeah. <laughs> next ad is a one-page ad for the Hunger Dogs graphic novel. Very unusual ad, uh, in that it just takes a single panel. And, uh, what? This is the same as the Robotech ad. It's just laid out a little yeah, different. It's way better than the Robotech ad. It's a I'm single sorry. color with a bunch of text and a little panel. I think it's, it's the much, same thing. I think it's much better laid out. I'm sorry. Okay. I, like, I like the black background. I think okay. it pops better. I think it's much better. I'm sorry. I do. I don't know that the design's a lot much better, but obviously the Kirby art's better. And I think by putting all that black around the, the machinery, it makes things very claustrophobic. You get the sense of the Armageddon. So that, that's the part of it that I think works. There you go. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate that. What are you, I'm just going to leave the podcast. Clearly, you two don't need me anymore. <laughs> no, we might need somebody to talk about breasts later, so go ahead and turn around. <laughs> I'm your man. I'm your man. All right. Now, conversely, the next ad is another one-page ad for America versus the Justice Society. Uh, great miniseries, terrible ad. Terrible ad. Yeah. This, this was yeah. thrown together at the last minute. This was something that they talked to somebody in production and they said, can you get this done before lunch? And he was like, but I'm going. All right. So he slapped this together. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he wanted to join everybody down at the bar. Uh, so he's like, let me just grab the stat of the cover. Here you go. Throw in some text. And we're done. But this was a great miniseries. This is yes, too bad. This was a great series that deserved a much better um, ad than, than this. You can tell it's hand lettering. It's not even very good lettering. Um, that's how poor this is. Yeah, I mean, this, 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 everything's like the, the sizes aren't right and they're not symmetrical. It's kind of a, it's ugly. I mean, that's kind of what this whole sampler is, though. The whole sampler is the third one, subpar ads and ads that they've repurposed from other things. Yeah. Is what it looks like to me. And if you look, this whole book. If you look at the bottom where it says brought to you by and then gives the credits, it's in a totally different handwriting. And it was like, I almost thought like they, they finished the ad and then somebody said, oh, crap, we probably should list the credits. So then another guy came in with a pen and just went, da 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 da. Roy Thomas, Raphael Kenya, and Michael Hernandez, Howard Bender, Raphael. Okay, done. Send it out. It's well, Ro- I gotta Roy give him Thomas- credit. Freehand. That was pretty good freehand because clearly he didn't use a ruler for any of that. No. <laughs> well, Roy Thomas, Raphael Cannon are on the cover of the comic. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's a shame because this was. I love this series. I, mean, I thought this was so much fun, and it, it, it this this ad gives you no reason to even try it. They should reprint that comic. It was good. They should. It was very good. Um, okay, next, two-page two page spread, back to the two-page spreads. A beautiful ad for Green Lantern drawn by Dave Gibbons. Uh, and it's, you know, this is an interesting moment in the Green Lantern history where Jon Stewart had taken over the ring, uh, taken over the powers of the ring. And, and, and so it, it signifies that here because you see uh, John in the Green Lantern outfit, but there's also Hal Jordan, Carol Ferris. Uh, what was Pie Face's real name? Tom Kamaku. Tom Kamaku, thank you. And then a ton of supporting characters, none of whom I have any idea. I have no idea who any of those people are. Well, there's uh, Pepper Potts and <laughs> Hank Pym 
And <laughs> all right, yeah, keep going. You started I'm, this. Go to I ta- I'm ta- Professor X with a wig, <laughs> and uh, the, the the orphan Annie's dad with a wig. Jay Jonas Jameson shaved. And and right, and no, then that guy, just, Henry Peter Guy, and Henry Peter Gyrick. You can't just say names of characters and then go with a wig. <laughs> I mean, no, they're both bald. That, that's cheating. I mean, that's just like saying, hey, that would be so-and-so if they had legs and were blonde. <laughs> you know, this, like, da- this Danny Warbucks with a wig, and that's <laughs> Professor X with a wig, clearly. And then Henry Peter Guyrich. Fair enough. Anyway, and in the background is this Sir Prince. Uh, I've deemed it so. Is a collection of Green Lantern villains. <laughs> and, Color hold. Huh? Color hold. Color hold. Color hold. Uh, it's a bunch of the Green Lantern villains plus uh, the Guardians. Of- it's a beautiful ad. Really well-colored. Um, although the printing is very sketchy from the color, thanks to Flexigraph. Um, but it's, it's a lot of yellow. And, yeah. And well, it's, they're being ironic. And, uh, I liked how John Stewart is popping out of the frame. That's it. That's it. Of all the, he's the only character that's popping out of this ad's frame, which makes him you know, sort of the heroic thing there. I think it's a really nice ad. I didn't read Green Lantern this time, so I didn't know what was going on, but, um, this is, I really like this ad. Well, this is a real window into a very short period of time because John's still wearing his mask. Mm-hmm. You didn't wear that for oh, long. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, uh, John Stewart just looks like a boss here. I'm loving how he looks. You know, how, how I didn't read a lot of the Dave Gibbons, Lynn Wein stuff, but I came in with uh, Joe Staten and, and Steve Englehart, which was a great run if you've ever read those, especially the issues that tied into Christ of uh, Infinite Earths, the countdown issues. Really cool stuff. Guy Gardner is a total sociopath. Definitely worth reading. Uh, the only thing I really want to point out, besides my really liking the, the supporting cast being fully rendered again instead of the floating head craft that's done a lot of these ads, is that I love this selection of villains back here. And it's worth noting that the one fellow uh, to the right of Sinestro is named The Image. He never actually appeared in the comics. If I recall correctly, the, the handicapped guy in the to the left over here, um, I can't recall his name off the top of my head, he was trying to uh, work with psionics to become a superhero and the intention was him to become the superhero called the image and the creative team was going to leave the book to do his spinoff title it never happened huh. oh wow see i was trying to figure one out like he was one i couldn't figure out like i see predator and sinestro and eclipso and the shark i can't figure out who the guy behind eclipso javelin that's javelin way back there yeah uh who's the guy the other side of eclipso uh, i don't know about that one but i like javelin yeah. another guy who should fight green arrow a lot yeah, you're right. <laughs> and Slipknot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man, those three alone, boom, you got a rose calorie. Thank you, you know, Ollie Queen. Okay. All right, very nice. Uh, next up is Double Page Edge for Who's Who, the definitive directory Woo! of the DC Universe. Of course, one of our favorite series, everybody knows that at this point, a very lame ad, a very weak ad, way too much dead space. The border is, for some reason, unruled, so it's just sort of rough edged i don't know what that it, it, i don't know i I'm it's not, weird I, i'm not against having rough edges on things but it doesn't fit with the who's who aesthetic which was not rough everything was right this this it, yeah ugh. i mean i love that aquaman is front and center um which probably didn't help sell it frankly uh but uh, <laughs> I, mean, I gotta be honest in our in our canes right behind him in our canes right behind him an animal man i mean they really did pick you know kind of like the lesser characters to focus on uh, this ad is they're all A's well, right. It's the guys the first issue. Right. right. But they're, they're not very popular ones. No, right. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, by the time they made this ad, they couldn't. I, I'm sure they had the Batman entry done. I mean, it was the next issue. 
you would think they could have put Batman front and center or something. Um, I just don't think this is a great ad for it's a it's a lame ad for a great series. I'm sorry. You know, is this fun. an ad for laundry detergent? <laughs> Does it keep the colors in and get the stains out? I don't. Jeez. You know what would, uh, would be fun for you? It, it, it does look stained, doesn't it? Uh, for you, Rob, would be to take this ad and compare it to the actual Aquaman entry and see if they change any of the, the dialogue. The, the it's hard Aquaman to read. History. It's kind of hard to read the text this close because of the flexographic and blends all the lettering together. But yeah, that would be worth it to kind of see if they've made any changes. And uh, I'll probably do that and go blind if they're doing such things. You're welcome. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Uh, t- Two more pages is this time for Spanner's Galaxy, a series I know absolutely nothing about. But it's nice to look at. It's drawn by Tom Mandrake. It's got lots of action. He crams a lot in there. There's some icky monsters, so it looks cool. But um, it's uh, this is one of the ones most ruined by the flexographic process. Some of the text at the bottom literally drops out, at least on my copy. Um, mm. you, you can't read it. It says uh, he's a fugitive with a – and it says – it looks like it's obviously the words is whole galaxy, but here it just says whole galaxy. And then it says there's a blank space to nab him. And E doesn't know, but they think he's done. So See, our, our copy's not that bad. Okay. Well, and I've, and I've got the physical book, and it printed better in my copy. Mine must have been earlier in the print run. Okay. Uh, I'll just point out that Spanner's Galaxy, like uh, Robotech Defenders and, and Conquerors of the Barren Earth, I got a grocery paper grocery sack full of comics at one point they were all in there i wasn't as grateful to get those as i was those moon nights so <laughs> this spanner's galaxy makes me want to read it actually this ad it makes me like ooh, wow he's it's like a teleporter yeah it's kind of it cool. looks fun you know yeah. Uh, yeah dc tried a lot of fun miniseries in the 80s they really were trying lots of different things you know yep. lots of off genre and when i say off genre i mean off superheroes stuff you know they really were trying lots of different things didn't always work, but, you know, it's kind of interesting they're giving so many of their miniseries space here. I mean, uh, this is this this sampler features ads for more miniseries than either of the other two books. You've got Robotech, That's you've got American. That's a good observation. Yeah, so. Uh, next up is double-page ad for, well, it's Crisis on Infinite Earths, but it's back when it was called DC Universe Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, and we see a shot of what will be the monitor for the past 12 months, he has been monitoring the DC Universe, watching, waiting, scheming, and now you will find out why. DC Universe. The DC Universe will never be the same. The most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. Worlds will live, worlds will die, and that's only the beginning. And then they reiterate the phrase. Now, they didn't – I must not have had a whole lot of art to go with this because the stuff they're showing is fairly generic stuff. He's got the silhouette of the monitor. You see his satellite. And then some shots of some some worlds, but there's no actual panels from the comic itself featuring any of the heroes. Well, what you're actually looking at is two different ads for Crisis put on facing pages. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. That's you're exactly right. what it is. It's two different ads. That's why I'm saying this whole comic is just ads they stuck together. Yeah. Um, that- I love the most eagerly awaited comic. Of, no one was eagerly awaiting this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I was eagerly waiting for it. Psychopire was very excited about it. Yeah, but I mean, no one was, no one knew this was coming, so they couldn't be waiting for it, you know. Um. <laughs> In 1979, an eight-year-old Shag says, well, "I hope they do a series someday where they completely destroy the DC universe that I'm enjoying reading." I hope exactly. they do. What does it just wipe I, out everything? I hope they do that kind of thing, and I hope the main protagonist is some weird bald guy with three strands of hair, <laughs> and his two assistants are this sort of wishy-washy girl and this fay kind of other whiny guy. I hope that I hope they do a book like that. I know the odds are slim, but I hope they do it. 
It's going to sell. It'll totally sell. <laughs> I also like the thing about the, the, the monitor saying that he's watching, waiting, scheming. Now you'll find out why. The thing was, whenever he would show up in other DC comics, like, uh, for example, he showed up in Firestorm and stuff like that, too. He was like an arms dealer. Like, no, they were, the DC writers were told to include him, but they didn't know anything about him or what his motivation, anything. So they just made up stories with him that made no sense later on. Like, why was the Monitor selling guns to the 1000 Committee? What the hell is that about? <laughs> well, and the, and the Titans Engine we talked about, the debut vigilante, he was the network through which assassins sent to kill off, like Adrian Chase and, and his friends, were, were th- uh, sent through the Monitor. So he was basically a mercenary agency uh, overhead. So... He was the Pandora. He was the Pandora of his time. Uh, it was, uh, yeah. This is. Yeah, oh, right. I just got this that. That was good. Two ads. You're right, Shag. This is two ads slumped together. So. Yeah. Well, and they weren't even full page ads in the comics. I think these were like half page or less. I, they just blew them up to full pages. No, the one, I, don't, I don't remember ever seeing these in full pages except here, but I do remember seeing uh, uh, ads at the time where they were shrunk down to half pages, or they filled out letter columns and such. Hmm. I, I've seen both of these as full pagers, but yeah, I do okay. recall the half pagers you're talking about too. Yeah. Um, and one other thing too, uh, World Will Live, World Will Die, and that's only the beginning. Is that another one of those deals where everybody remembers it as World Will Live, World Will Die, and the universe will be the same, and it was never actually in print that way? It, it play it again, Sam. Oh my gosh, yeah, it is. It's a play it again, Sam thing, or a beam me up, Scotty. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Unless, I, unless it was that way when the book actually came out somewhere, but yeah. That's uh, you're right. Hmm. Interesting. I kind of say I actually like the universe colon Crisis on Infinite Earth logo better than the later Crisis logo. I think this universe logo is really quite spiffy, but obviously they revised it when they knocked that word out of the title. Yeah, bite your tongue. Okay. I don't think anybody wanted to say post universe, so. Right. I, I think I think it's just the novelty. It's cool to see something that wasn't the way that it was ended up being. Yeah, it's you could nice be right. Yeah, it could be just this. Yeah, the sheer novelty, like yeah, Revenge of the Jedi or something. Hey, like thank that. you. Beat yeah. me to it. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. I take it back. Robotech <laughs> is not the worst ad. <laughs> this, is, this is the worst ad. <laughs> you, 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 hold it. Careful. You're going to use that saying again a couple more times before we get done with this comic. Why did I get stuck with this one? What the hell happened here? This is half my show. Why did I end up with the turd issue? <laughs> I, think, I think Shaq even assigned me this one. I'm so glad it didn't work out that way. This is my idea, too, I think, to do the DC samplers. And I'm the one who provided all of you with scans. Why, why did I get kicked in the curb here? You should have read it more closely. You should have put together the agenda. That's what you get for letting me make the agenda. Son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, this is a two-bit ad for What's in Store for Atari Force, written by Mike Barron, art by Ed Barreto and Ricardo Villagran. This ad features giant chunks of text, very poorly laid out, uh, <laughs> interspersed with little shots from the comic. For some reason, there's chunks of text that have a pink background behind them for no good reason. Um and then there's another chunk of text with a with a turquoise background. Uh, there's a nice thing here with Dart and uh, what was the Blackjack? Was that her boyfriend? Yeah, Blackjack. Uh, but this is it, it's hideous. It's just a hideous ad. Makes the book look painfully dull. Uh, I, I, terrible. Just a terrible, terrible two page. It looks it was just thrown. To, these like the Justice Society one. It looks like it was thrown together at the last minute by a guy that had to catch a train back to Connecticut at four fifty five on a Friday. This is just... well. It looks like they, they. Yeah, it looks like they took stuff from the Atari Force Bible, you know, and 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 just slapped it together 
with, like you said, a couple of panels because they thought, well, well, Marvel Saga's selling. We'll just use a lot of text that's already we got laying around. Yeah. And they just slapped this. I mean, it's I, honestly, when we was reviewing this, I didn't even read the text. It was. <laughs> oh, that, I, 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 I was gonna say I know you didn't read the text because that's not what's in the text. Well, the 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 <laughs> pack rat thing is right. <laughs> Isn't Packrat's his like, actually, Bible text? This, actually, this text is... It's blue. <laughs> uh, See, his text is like a okay. Bible text. No. Uh, <laughs> actually, what, it's, actually it's, it's like one of those pieces from the back of a new book where the writer talks about the things he's going to be doing with the project and what to look forward to. <laughs> that's, what a, that's what a serious Bible is. That's what I'm talking it, about. It's Mike Barron talking to the reader about, well, this is what we've been doing with the character before, but I'm going to try this. It's almost like a stream of consciousness thing. Like, here's what I want to do with the here and, and there. So, yeah, yeah, no, you didn't read it. We don't Frank, read it. You, said, you can't do a book report on a book you didn't read, sir. <laughs> I got away with it all through high school. Thank Frank, you very much. you should have said that the text is all about Firestorm. Shaq would have bought it. I mean, here it is or no. It's interesting that during the Atari Force ad, Mike Barron just talks about Firestorm Blue Devil and the, 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 the breasts of that girl from Conquerors of Batman. <laughs> Look, at this point, does it really matter? The only people still listening are Luke Jack and Eddie and Siskoid. Everyone else has turned this off by now. <laughs> I think it's, it, I think, uh, I have to say that the final panel shown in this Atari Force ad is all the Atari Force looking sad and disgusted. <laughs> I don't think that was a coincidence. This is sample number three. <laughs> <laughs> I think they purposely picked that panel as a comment. Uh, so there we go. Okay. All right. Now we're on to something much better. This no, is, we're not. Yes, we are. I think this is cute. I actually like this. This is a two-page ad for Batman and the Outsiders, and it's done like a children's book. It's written as a Batman and the Outsiders primer by Blake W. Barr and Jim Aparo. And I said it's like H is for Halo, B is for Black Lightning, M is for Metamorpho, K is Katana, G is for Geoforce, B is also for Batman, and O is for Outsiders. It's It doesn't match the tone of the book at all, but it's cute, and I, I like it. And it's drawn by Jim Aparo. I think it's a and, – and the whole thing looks like a giant book, like the pages fold, uh, folded open and you see the, like the hardcover in the background. I think it's a cute, a cute ad. And it teaches Why? kid the alphabet in the wrong order. Well <laughs> – Okay. Why is Jefferson Pierce throwing black sperm at muggers? <laughs> See, that's why I thought his lightning bolts were black, because of this. That's not appropriate. Um, the thing with Metamorpho, where he turns into a giant badge to protect a cop from getting gunned down by a mobster, it's kind of cute, but it, it's sort of Batman and the Outsiders in a nutshell. It's, it, you know, they canceled DC Comics Presents to do Batman and the Outsiders, and if Bob Haney had written Batman no, and the Outsiders, no, they tell you what my favorite Brave book the, of all time. Wait a minute, they canceled Brave and the Bold for Batman. Oh, that's say I'm sorry, I meant Brave and the Bold, right? If Bob Haney had written Batman and the Outsiders, it probably would have been my favorite book of all time because it would have just been so gonzo and weird. And Mike W. Barr always seemed like he was trying to be weird and satirical, and he never quite got it. And that's that's, I just I hate those characters so very much. And it's, <laughs> All right. He turns to a badge. I, I, you know, like when you just said that you didn't want to read Blue Devil because it was too far out from the kind of serious comics you want to read. I don't want to see Metamorpho turn to a badge. I don't. I don't <laughs> need this. This is bad. This is vulgar. Wow. This is, this is not a good ad. I mean, to have it look like a storybook inside of a book you're already reading. Um, yeah, I think it's cute to try and match it with the the kids' book, but it it doesn't make sense because it's not in alphabetical order. It it. It's unnecessary. It doesn't make you feel like it's a kid's book. It um, it just doesn't All work. Right. 
maybe the, the text the text isn't funny and geoforce is thrusting his crotch at me i'm not a fan of this at all <laughs> maybe coming on the heels of the, the the train wrecks that were the last couple of ads i'm i'm judging this on a bit of a curved standard i don't know Perhaps. By comparison, I would give you that this was clearly done for this and sampler. And some effort was put into this. Yes, you know? it, this was done for the sampler, and right. it has some creativity to it, just not in a good way. Right, okay. They didn't, they uh, didn't... Lex Luthor is not stealing a bunch of pies in here, and that's what you need. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best be ever. Great. All right. Next up is an ad for Superman The Secret Years, a miniseries by Barbara Zakis, Kurt Swan, and Kurt Jaffenberger, covers by Frank Miller. They made sure to get that in there. Uh, I really didn't grok to this series at all i think i read the first issue and i was like Ugh, all right i don't i don't care but this is a nice ad this is i think this is a nice ad it's got superman it's a smallville metropolis what happened in between and then it's got some photos of um clark in class next to a hippie you've got clark clark uh making out with laurie lamaris clark and luthor wrestling at least i that's yeah. what i hope oh, is that what that is i thought they were dry humping <laughs> i thought that was college age experimentation personally. right exactly he's kissing Lori, then he's um having some time with lex <laughs> and uh, you see clark graduating it's one of the things it's it's uh, it's a nice ad i i think it's a it's a handsome ad um, Who, who's the fellow that superman's cuddling with min midair i'm just curious <laughs> is that Pete ross or something I don't know. It's probably part of the story. I do like because it's it's not Superboy, Superman on the left. It's Superboy. I meant Superboy. Yes. Yeah. Superboy, yeah. So from a premise, I think it's a great ad. It really shows you what's going on there. It, I, I do, from my own nerdiness, I do like the black and white photos on the right. Actually, makes it look not black and white, but looks like Superman red. Mm-hmm. It's so. nice. It's a nice ad. Again, I didn't read the series, but uh, I remember the covers by Frank Miller were really nice. It's funny. I read the first issue also. Uh, I I think that creative team were being given an opportunity to finish getting their roofs done before they were packing their bags themselves and leaving the uh, comics industry in general. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, though. No, I think you're right. Yeah, uh, there's nothing in this ad that tells me that they're going for anything contemporary. It's obviously a nostalgia project. It's obviously for the guys who had been reading Superman all those years and actually thought that E. Nelson Bridwell was a good writer. Um, oh, it's jeez, you know, it's you know, just you know, like, there's, you know, like, there's like twenty. Superman podcasts out right there. They all hate you right now. He is not, just so we know, the, the opinions of Frank do not necessarily represent the opinions of the Fire and Water podcast. They're just the only ones that have me. It's so true. Next up is one, one paid ad for Amethyst. Boy, Amethyst got a lot of DC sampler love. I mean, she just kept showing up over and over again. Um, uh, they, they must have had some sort of a, a uh, census thing where they had to have a certain amount of, of woman content to, to qualify for a tax break I guess or they were. Still, I guess they were still hoping Hanna-Barbera was going to do that animated thing. They were. They absolutely right, were, guys. Right. They thought this was going to go big. Right. So this way, this is a one-page ad. All the others were two. So this is basically the same ideas but crunched down even further. There's no Black Opal. So by, there's a demerit there. Uh, it's drawn by Rick Estrada, not Ernie Colon. Uh, Rick Estrada and Pablo Marcus. It's nice. I love Ernie Colon, so I, you know, I don't think this one is, is as nice. Although I like Rick Estrada, it looks makes it makes the book even look even more like kind of a children's thing. Um, just the, the colors and the use of the logos and stuff. And and you know, Ernie Colon had a kind of like dark, gritty energy to his stuff um, that is absent here. So to, to me, it makes it look it looks even more like again like a like a children's thing. This looks more like what the animated series would have been. Right, okay, yeah, that's probably, uh, that would have made a great animated series, I think. I think that would have been a great premise for an animated series. It's too bad that never 
got off the ground. I mean, they had they had space on the tube for Rubik the Amazing Cube and Gilligan's Turbo, Planet. Turbo Team. Yeah, I mean, for Menudo had their own cartoon, for God's sake. Something like Amethyst could have done. Did they have a cartoon? I thought they just had the live-action portion. Oh, maybe it was a live-action. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with Saturday morning. We know our stuff. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, kid video, back off, right? right? Oh, yeah. Uh, but the best yeah. thing, though, is every every bit of ambition you have for Amethyst, you just go and you look at She-Ra, it's like, okay, that's what they did instead. It's not that big of a difference. So Okay. Uh, next up, another one-page ad for Blue Devil. This is a fairly simplistic ad. I don't I don't know who these Fury characters are. They're really creepy and scary-looking, I have to say. Okay. Uh, drawn, it's, this one is drawn by Ernie Cologne, oddly enough. And ink by Gary Martin. Um, it's a nice looking ad. It's it's it, to me it's a, another ad ruined by Flexograph. The colors are muddy, and the, the the background is this blotchy purple. And it just looks hideous. And I'm sure they did not intend it to look like that. This adds a big letdown compared to the other one. Um, this was promoting, I think, issue number ten. So this shows you that that these samplers weren't that far apart. If the last ad was tied in around Blue Devil number three or two, probably, and this is number 10, this is probably only about eight or nine months after the last sampler, rather than a full year. But, um, yeah, the Paris Collins was gone. He was still doing some covers, but he was gone from the monthly book. The You can see the bubbles featuring the supporting cast really doesn't convey the characters like the other one did. The other one, each one of their poses was perfectly done in such a way that it told you the story of that character in that pose. Here, it's just... A let, it's, I mean, sure, you get the demonic angle of it, but other than that, it's 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 a letdown. Mm. I, I like the anatomy. I think that the way the the, the Furies are drawn is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, everything else you guys said. It, it, this was a house ad for a random issue. It doesn't belong here. Yeah, again, repurposed ads because you see these. This ad has appeared in a lot of different uh, comics. All right, which is it does the book a disservice because this does not represent the book. Right. It does. It, yeah. This this looks kind of scarier to me than what I associate Blue Devil with. You know, looking yep. more nasty. So, uh, next up, another ad for World's Finest. Another horrible ad for World's Finest. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. A narrator called Lillian Stern. Uh, and if you haven't been keeping up with DC's first and foremost team up mag, you've already missed. And then here's a bunch of highlights of things that you didn't care that you missed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's not a, there's not a goddamn thing here. <laughs> I cared about. I mean, this is. But I it's mean, got the network in it. I, <laughs> this in is the hottest club in Gotham. This is, this is just like uh, I mean, it's Sonic. These are of sound. If it's not a hedgehog, it ain't Sonic. Is, it, is this Roger Stern's like niece? Maybe <laughs> is that, this is this is. Uh, Who are the leather boys to the right? Uh, <laughs> Look, I, Devo. There's even Devo graffiti. Yeah, is that Nemesis Kid from the Legion there in the middle? I'm just, I'm not understanding why. This is, this is. Enjoy a book full of characters that will never appear in Who's Who. I mean, that's what this is. This is absolutely. I'm sorry. Flexograph does its job here by ruining all whatever might be left to find here. Superman looks awkward. His his foreshortening is completely off. Batman looks. I don't know what Batman is doing. He's looking down at the logo, and the logo is, I guess, supposed to be a sign that's attached to the bill. It, it, it looks like a cat. It, it's I, I, Again, I give them points for trying because so, okay. many, so many of the ads here were just thrown together. This is clearly made for, for the sampler. And when they were still, but this was beating a dead horse. I mean, this what is, is, this is world's what exactly is, What exactly is the moon doing? 
I, I don't. It's yeah. It's like I guess it's supposed to be a sunrise. I and it's Harley yeah, yeah, because Superman's in the day and, and Batman's, Batman's in the night. night. That's really not well executed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this book was just. It, it was almost like DC did not want to give up the mailing permit that they so costly atta- obtained for the series. <laughs> so they're like, we have to just keep publishing this book but, that nobody cares about anymore. When it comes to super teams, we show the world how it's done wrong. <laughs> this is really, uh, this is just, this is just dismal. This is just dismal. Do, do you think that guy this in in the network, the second from the right? Do you think he's like the Blob's little brother? Because <laughs> he's he stole his costume. Oh God, this is so. Oh. Well, is, that network is it just me or does it look like Kurt Swan drew that and then somebody else went in there and tried to ink it modern style? It just it. Mm. Oh, uh, I, I want to know. Sonic superhero of sound. I'm pretty sure has not appeared in almost 40 years now. At what point? <laughs> Wait a minute. This isn't sprint- that long ago. Hold on. This is 1986. <laughs> Jesus. It's 30 40 years. years ago. It's 30 okay. years ago. All right. All right. At what point does? Does DC surrender like their copyrights and trademarks on Sonic for not having used them in all this time? <laughs> what happens to Sonic because of their completely? He's an orphan concept now. Somebody could take him and make a Sonic comic, book, you know, without DC's permission. Wow, I think the Hedgehog might be kind I, of. Yeah, I just think that's something that he did deal with. Yeah. No, he's Sonic with a case, sir. Now I know what. Now I know what season. Awesome. Now I know what season three of H. Kilroy is going to be about. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic and the Network <laughs> over at over at the at the. Disco Club oh, Hot Rock Slide. God almighty. Oh, God. And, and I like how Lil Ann Stern proves how stern she is by saying, promise on your comic book collection that you'll check it out. I'll be there, and I hope you will. Uh, she's not wearing – she's wearing way too many clothes for that to even be remotely tantalizing, <laughs> and she's not She-Hulk, so she won't kick my ass. So I don't <laughs> She's not wearing a bra. She reminds though. me of the – she looks like she would be pushing like a, a collection of 60s hits or something for Tom right. White. <laughs> hey, is that World's Finest Comics? Then turn it up. <laughs> She does look like a hippie Bobby Soxer from the 70s, yeah. right? Like, what, yeah. what, what is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, love her. I, love her. I love her hair, though. All right, well, it's red, so sure. Red head. Let's right, down past her knees. All right, let's You're move so on. easy, dude. Let's, let's move on. Let's, I, I die, job, but she's your next favorite I guess character. Shag loves Archie, too. Uh, anyway, the next ad is a double page uh, combining two books, The New Teen Titans and The Legion of Superheroes. It's a fun concept of showing the heroes all at a picnic together. I don't think it's terribly well executed. This is terrible. All right, I'm trying to be nice. Look, Shay, you guys left me the trross here. I gotta, I gotta find the diamonds or I clearly you I mean, need a break. Draw. Jesus. I mean, I mean, what happened to what, what happened to Phantom Girl? <laughs> Who slapped her? <laughs> Is she uh, farting on that weird alien thing? What is that weird alien thing? I don't know that. Is that Legion? I don't know what that is. But it's chasing. It's chasing Changeling. It's Chameleon Boy. Chasing what does Chameleon Boy have in his mouth? A hamburger. He's a, he's a human being. He stole a he's hamburger. A, no, that's change, uh, it's Changeling as a cat stealing a hamburger. Why is it orange? But what is that three-eyed thing chasing it? Oh, that's no, that's, oh, that's, Chameleon, that's Boy. Chameleon Boy. That's Chameleon, Chameleon oh, Boy. Chameleon Boy. Oh, it's almost clever if you figure it all out. Yeah. But it, but it's orange meat. Is that like part of Chameleon Boy that he's ripped off and is trying to No, it's like down? a hamburger patty. As it's orange. No, no, no. It's Remember Misfits of Science? It's the irradiated hamburger patty. Patties from it's, Misfits of Science. It's a hamburger 
you through the prism of the flexographic process. That's what it is. Block has a normal hamburger. There's something wrong with that. Yeah, Donna, Donna Troy's hot. I'll give you that. Yeah, it's so, like I said, it's a, it's drawn by Dan Jerkins. I think it's a nice concept. It's just not well executed. And the colors are it. The coloring is hideous. I like in the background Raven and White Witch are standing off to the side, not enjoying the party. I think that's a fun little detail. And I like that they're playing volleyball. I think that's cute. I, yeah, I think it's a cute idea. Just not well executed. Okay. If I, I need an example of Romeo Tangal being a horrible inker, bam. I, yeah, I was going to say, st- stepping back and, and being honest, because I was going for a lot of gags here, there are some things to really like about this. I mean, I like the time bubble is back there. As you said, Raven and White Witch back there is pretty cool. The volleyball game is actually fun. Uh, I wish Jericho would take an elbow to the face, though. But um, <laughs> Block and Donna Troy look really good, actually, in the foreground. I like the idea of Cyborg being forced to cook because he's, you know, part robot. He's, like, you know, making the oven do the work for you. Um, Phantom Girl, there's something wrong with her there. It's it's bothersome to me because she's my favorite Legionnaire and the hottest one, definitely. So that's not right. Um, Dream Girl, I like Dream Girl hanging out with Nightwing. I hope that she actually makes Dick Grayson a man rather than Starfire in this ad. So, I mean, there's things to really like about it. But overall, I think we're just getting punchy at this point. Yeah, I think so. All right. I kind of wish Cyborg had his own barbecue attachment. That'd be kind of neat. <laughs> oh, instead of a hand. Awesome. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure if they did spike the ball at Jericho, his white man's afro would absorb all the impact. So who's, who's Jericho's team? Is that Lilith? Yeah, that's Lilith. Yeah, it must be Lilith. Uh, note the red skies. Crisis is coming, guys. <laughs> oh, even the picnic is ruined by the crisis. Oh. How many of these people are going to die because of the crisis? Uh, all right, all right. Actually, none. Yeah, yeah, none of these guys died. Poor girl's not there, so I think they're safe. All right. Okay, next is another shitty two-page. <laughs> but this is for Frank. <laughs> oh, Lord, don't remind Here's me. Here's a I still wear that. I, I, I honestly got have yet to finish reading that series, much less writing up on it. The, the, and let's right, not forget the right. crossover. Let me, let's just muscle through this, please. Now, hold on. The rest of your blogging life is going to carry that albatross around your neck, buddy. Damn straight. All right, all right. Here's a riddle. What comic series features 11 writers, 15 artists, and a cast of characters, including... And then there's just simply panels from the comics, from DC Challenge miniseries, pasted in a very haphazard, ugly form. Superman, Adam Strange, Viking Prince, Congorilla, Bawana Beast, Batman, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, Hawkwoman... Aqu- I, think that's, I think that's Wonder Man, actually. Not just that, that's from a Gene Colan... I mean, not, yeah, Gene Colan cover from years earlier... <laughs> That's like his debate you on the book, and they just pull that off and throw a background on it. That's a chimpanzee with lipstick, guys. That's not Wonder Woman. Uh, A shot of Aquaman at his most humiliatingly uh, looking. uh, And then it says, the DC Challenge, can you solve it before we do? Nobody cared. Uh, This is, I like this series. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's another terrible ad. Just thrown together. Uh, Is that right before Aquaman eats a bird? Yeah. Yeah. There's the ocean behind him. Why doesn't he just turn around? I know. The, the, the person, whoever <laughs> colored... Look, Aquaman, behind the you. The person who colored this did not realize that that is supposed to be sand back there. It's not an ocean, so it makes Aquaman look like even more like an idiot that he's starving to death when there's an ocean a good five feet behind him. I, I, and it's, it looks like to me is that Atlanteans sweat differently from us, and that's why they can only be out of the water for an hour. <laughs> I was going to say, look, he's, he's, he's got blue pouring off of him, too. I think it's, that's supposed to be sand also. Hideous. But. It is just awful. This is just awful. And and you have a rare, bad Gene Colan Batman drawing. Look at Batman's left arm. 
what the hell is going on there? He's got a leg attached to his shoulder. That is not another arm. I think That's someone. I, you know what I think happened? I think someone failed with the scissors. I, yeah. I think his elbow actually stops right above the rope, and they just cut out more stuff. Like something. It is just. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's Gene. I think it's the cutter. Okay. The trimmer. All right, maybe so. Uh, but he's got wannabes, so there's something to be said for this. I guess so. It's awful. It's awful. It, it, if you're supposed to guess the cast of the book by their silhouettes, they totally ruin it by putting Hawkman and Hawkwoman's names on there. Yeah. I uh, God. So you, I guess that's the only picture them they could find. And fl- the flexograph is just crapping all over this ad. I mean, Adam really... Strange, you can't even tell it's Adam Strange. It's yeah. just a blob. And, and like, just colors. in terms of like the inconsistency, like all the shots don't feature word balloons except for Viking Prince, and they just left that word balloon in. So it makes no sense. You're like, why, wait a minute, why am I seeing his thoughts when everyone else is supposedly an iconic shot? And I understand, you know, why they use that Wonder Woman shot from Gene Cullen, because you know what panels of Wonder Woman did they have lying around? Again, fun series. A fun series, but boy, a bad ad. Chuck Patton can draw a damn fine wannabes. He can. So He's credit, credit can where credit's due. He can draw everybody really well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, and now the final ad is a, well, it's kind of a one-page, but it's also kind of a two-page. It's a little strange. The one-page ad, it's it's just an image or a series of images for Johnny Thunder, a.k.a. Thunderbolt, which was a miniseries sort of revamping the Thunderbolt concept as a female private detective. And then on the inside cover is sort of the second part of the ad, except it's all in text, and it's under the, the headline, and now a few words about a very special lady, and it promotes Johnny Thunder, a.k.a. Thunderbolt, which was actually a fun series, again, like DC Challenge, a fun series. Um, I think the ad is is okay. It's drawn by Dick Giordano, who I love. I don't think the ad is particularly moody or evocative of anything in particular. It's just an amalgam of a bunch of different things. Um, and then having half of it run on the inside cover is just strange. You know, it, you're like, is this, this part of the ad? Is it a different part? I, you know, what's going on? So, a very ignominious end to the DC Sampler series. Uh, boobs and breasts. That Ben has got to start right here. <laughs> All in the same shot. We got boobs and breasts. They got to manage to twist around just Bo- right. Bo- boobs and breasts. Those are the same thing. Oh, sorry. Button breasts. <laughs> it's, dude, it's it's three. We're at the three fifty one mark. Okay. All right. Oy. So anyway, does anybody have any other comments? I, I'm I watch reading these over again. It makes me regret ever starting this episode in the first place. <laughs> 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 I, really, I really forgot how poorly the DC sample series went out the door. I mean, this is this is last season of The Office bad. I mean, this is just this, like you know. I mean, this is like Steve Carell left at the end of DC sample number two, and this is what we were left with: just a bunch of ads for miniseries that nobody bought. <laughs> <laughs> thrown together stats. I mean, this is just, you know, I, I this is. <laughs> it did seem to become the please buy our miniseries magazine, <laughs> yeah. didn't it? I mean, when you think about it, like all the all the DC's marquee characters are left out of this book. No, you have got world's finest. Uh, all right, yeah. Oh, cool boy. Yeah, here, please buy our please buy our flailing flagship title that nobody cares about anywhere. That is a year out from cancellation. Please pick it up. It features potentially gay villains. <laughs> I, mean, this is, I think we need to go to break on that. It, featured, That's it, it, it was yeah. all worth it just to get his belt down at the end of that page. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really Four hours later, Nobody's actually recording this. He just built this up. 
my God. Hours later, Rob snaps. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just this cast my whole love of the series into stark relief here because I realized, why did I start this? This series wasn't that great. It really wasn't. It it's was... got Spanner's Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I went back and I'm looked at. I'm looking at the Atari Force ad, and I'm mad all over again. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I feel. I feel robbed because I didn't get a V ad. What the hell is that? Oh, the cover. cover it's not even in the book. Didn't Carmine Infantino draw that one too? Oh god, I don't remember. That man was everywhere. All right. Anyway, this was this is DC Sampler three. I'm sorry we ended on such a download, but we have lots of fun listener feedback to get to. So. <laughs> We're in gonna, hour seven. In hour, in hour seven of this podcast, <laughs> I think we've raised over $5 million for muscular dystrophy. <laughs> 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 I don't even know what Rob's saying anymore. <laughs> Thanks, folks. We'll see you after the break. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I have, to, I have to explain the break. In Why? A, I have to explain the break. In honor of Frank. Oh, God. Of, <laughs> it's never a good start. <laughs> no, 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 no. And his love of Martian Manhunter. The break is going to be – let's do an audio file of someone showing you how to unlock the Martian Manhunter figure in the Lego 2 Batman game. Uh, so the I, YouTube clip. The YouTube how compelling. Clip. Yeah. I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I wanted to run something and uh, – I'm sorry. I'm trying is to be it, nice. That... I'm, in a, I'm, I'm now filled with rage. So please just, just... – <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny because like let's discuss how we can make this episode a little bit longer. Here's a like 10-minute YouTube clip. Let's throw that in there too. <laughs> All right, <laughs> They've all left at this point anyway. They're all gone. I don't even think, Luke, I don't even think Luke Jack and Eddie's listening anymore. <laughs> Andy Capellish listened for five minutes, turned it off. Little Russell Burbage just skipped all the way to the feedback to see if he got mentioned. Chad right. heard his name, did a victory dance, and all turned right. it off. Okay, all right. Let's just, just, just listen to <laughs> See you after the break, folks. Alright, what's going on guys? My name is Blitzwing and welcome to another unlockable guide for LEGO Batman 2 DC Superheroes. Today we're going to be unlocking a very, very cool character as well as an achievement at the same time because uh, that was the last character I was missing from the Justice League. So uh, basically what you want to do is of course you guys are going to start up in the Batcave. Then you're going to go ahead and teleport yourself right here where I have into Gotham Park. Once you've done that, you're going to go ahead and take flight. By the way, this will require uh, 175, um, sorry, 175 uh, gold bricks. There we go. That's what I'm like. Whoa, 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 whoa. What word was I looking for? But uh, basically, what you want to do is you want to fly to the tower. The basically, it seems like the highest tower here around this area with the two Luther uh, emblems, so to speak. Not this one right here with the single one. Uh, that seems like a lot of people go there, or some people end up going to this building and wait down there. That's wrong, too. Uh, what you want to do is you want to fly up here, and once you've done that, so what you want to do is you want to just drop down. Well, collecting some studs is nice, too. Uh, but you want to actually make your way around. And this is, as you can see right here. Oh, what the heck? We didn't even build it, and he already pumps out. That's how much he wants us to buy him. And uh, here's Martian Manhunter, so you can purchase him for 125,000 studs, creepy talk of ice. And uh, he's got some cool abilities, he's got, uh, he's very, very similar almost to Superman, except for the, uh, what is it called, um, Ice Breath, he's got pretty much all the other abilities. He can fly, which is cool, uh, he's got Heat Vision, which is very cool as well. 
and he's got super strength as well so that's very cool so as far as uh, his abilities that is what he's able to do uh, so there you go guys as far as his look also I'm sure you want to see what he looks like so we got a nice light here he looks pretty cool he's got his cocaine cocaine out slash uh, way too much uh, smoking weed eyes as you can see way too red and uh, yay there you have it guys uh, that is Martian Manhunter very exciting only one more character left in the unlockable guide and that is gonna be a female so it's a cool little uh, way to end off there I'll catch you guys in the next one peace out thank you very much for watching alright folks we're back from break and now it's time for Listeners feedback! And we're picking up right where we left off last episode, folks. You may remember in episode 49, we did a massive section of listener feedback, and we only got through like half of it. So we're picking up where we left off. <laughs> so, and this is good, I know, because this episode's not long enough yeah, already. It's not the perfect time. Was to tag it onto a nine-hour episode. We're doing. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going into hour thirteen here, and um, uh, just so you know, during the break, I went and got a, a Yingling Black and Tan. I'm going to be nursing that throughout the uh, feedback as we go on. Now, what did you do during the break, Frank? <laughs> uh, I've actually got a picture of tea. <laughs> yeah, Frank, that was a letdown. Come on, we were, we were right. We were expecting something better than that. Anyway, so this, I, I'm in pee. I've got a pee bottle over here. It's oh, got me for the last four hours. I just got pee. Pee is the same difference. Tastes about the same. So we're gonna covering uh, social media from January. Blog comments from February. Um, we 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 did not get a chance to compile, and by we I mean me. The the feedback from episode forty nine, which was the last one, so I figured that that might live better as its own entity later on down the line. So again, uh, this is stuff from January up through episode forty eight. All right, uh, you want to go first, Shang? Absolutely. <clears throat> Covering some comments here from our buddy Keith Samra, who from down under. Uh, he left some comments on episode 43, which was about Firestorm's cancellation, and he said, A sad but good show, guys. Sad due to the cancellation of Firestorm. Good because it's the Fire and Water podcast. Enough said. Rob, blah, blah, blah. I see your point about not wanting Aquaman in the Justice League film. However, I'm disappointed at your lack of optimism for the project. <laughs> I, I'm disappointed for my lack of optimism. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, Warner Brothers may wise up and get Jeff Johns to write a draft. Wishful thinking, I know. Though it's clear that Warner Brothers really needs to get their asses in order in regards to their superhero properties. The responsibility has fallen on Superman's shoulders. If Man of Steel does well, and by the way, the new trailer looks good, then WB will proceed with its plan for a Justice League movie. I pr pro probably get, that's what he intended to say, yeah. probably get David Goyer to write that too. There's a scary thought. Then he followed up on comment, uh, I'm sorry, comment on episode 45, which is the one we covered the number 17 issues. Uh, being down under, living in the most remote place on planet other than Antarctica, he can't get his comics in time, so he wrote, damn it, my comics haven't arrived yet, so I can't listen to the episode. America needs to send comics earlier. Or you just need to move to a country that's not on the other side of the world, dude. Anyway, so he goes back nicely enough and says, later on, when he got the books. Okay, finally got the books. Read them and listened to the episode. Great job as usual, guys. Luke Dobbs is an extremely talented guy. That song had an 80s Sesame Street feel to it. I have expected the stinger to be, this episode of the Firewater broadcast was brought to you by the letters A and F and the number 17. The Firewater podcast is a production of the Adult Comic Collecting Network. That would have been fun. Wish we thought of that then. Yeah. Can you send us that stuff in advance? That'd be useful. Rabababa, as an art guy like yourself, I appreciate the kind words that you had to say about the art in Aquaman. I initially had written it off as a somewhat subpar, because let's face it, the boys are a tough act to follow. 
Thanks to your comments, I went back and really studied the art, and Pelletier really has done some good work. It really is a shame that Firestorm's coming to an end, especially since it's one of the best books DC's putting out currently. You're damn right it is. And it was a shame that the book titled Red Lanterns is still in publications, but not a DC powerhouse like Firestorm. Regarding the Tim Drake and still finding it Regarding Tim Drake and still finding it hard to call him Red Robin, try typing it for a monthly review. I have to go back and change the, the name from Robin to Red Robin each month in my review on the t- uh, of the title on the Superman homepage. A few episodes ago, you guys referred to the New 52 as the 90s Marvel. So does that make Mar- Batman the equivalent of the X-Men and Green Lantern the equivalent of Spider-Man in terms of number of books and solicitations? Close. I'd say Batman is Spider-Man and X-Men is Green Lantern. But, yeah, I would, I would kind of agree with that. I think they're all the Richie Rich of the superhero universe. <laughs> oh, how I miss that, Zach Let's see, um, comments on episode 46 Which is our superpowers episode Ah, it was worth a year-long wait Just to reiterate my Twitter post Oh, God, do I have to read this part? <laughs> yes, the Lexor 7 does resemble the Snowspeeder see? I feel like we're, we've done this before it's, No, it's also, just that so many people agreed with me That's why it seems so repetitive, is it? They're, they're all kissing your butt for some reason. They, they have ulterior motives. Also, I see where Rob blah, blah, blah was making a comparison to Darkseid's ship to an X-Wing. Jeez, OP. Sam Ron He was good get... for a penny and for a pound here. I love it. Get out of Rob's ass. Anyway, Rob also mentioned the awful Toy Biz DC superheroes line, which were a cheap, almost imitations of the Superpowers line, but Kenner uh, reused a lot of the Superpowers mold in the 1990-1991 for the, for the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves figures. And he gave us a link to those. Yes, absolutely. Green Arrow all over the place. The Kenner Batman Returns figures were also retooled, and in the Penguin's case, repaints of the Superpowers line. Last week, I picked up a sweet hardcover UK annual of the Superpowers comic with an awesome wraparound cover by Jack the King Kirby. I think he sent us a picture of that. It's pretty cool. Awesome episode, guys. Looking forward to next year's annual Superpowers episode, as well as the Super Friends animated series episode. I'd love to see a custom Mera and Inza as Dr. Fate figure. That would be so and Wonder Woman, it was the only female character to actually be produced. She would have been the base for both. And then there's some nonsense here from Rob about the damn Lex Force 7. Go ahead. Oh, well, uh, he, then there was a follow-up comment about, I'll just add to Luke's post on the Toy Biz Lex Luthor. His design was pretty much taken from the very awesome Ruby Spears Superman animated series, whose model sheets were done by Gil Kane. Since Kenner had the license for Star Wars, as well as Superpowers, it's no coincidence that a lot of the vehicles for superpowers were similar in mechanics as well to the design to the Star Wars line. Blah, 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 also, blah, Also, as blah. a kid, the Supermobile kind of looked like an underwater type of vehicle to me. So I always thought Aquaman borrowed it for underwater action when the rare times he needed a vehicle. That's my explanation as to why he's on the box sitting next to Superman. <laughs> I like that he crafted a whole story around this little piece of artwork on the box. Um... Here we go. The, we did our April Fool's episode about Vibe, and uh, he responded with that. Uh, he, he used his amalgamated name I gave him of Bailey Samra and wrote, This was a fantastic episode. Well done, guys. Vibe for life. I had a real what-the moment when I first put the episode on to listen. But thanks to all the other April Fool's stuff on the internets, I quickly clicked into what was happening. Who says New, e- New Zealanders are stupid? I liked Vibe number one and two also. That must be part of his April Fool's Day joke. <laughs> Justice League Amanda was cool, but not sure why Hawkman is acting like Wolverine now. But I guess they never needed to do something with him. Wait, but I guess they needed to do something with him to get li- the life field smell off of him. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, Jeff Johns put Stargirl on the team. Never would have guessed that happening. 
I love the Andy Diggle action comics remark, rah, blah, 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 made. Made me laugh. Also got the Medea joke. See, there's two people. There you go. Though I would have to say the pre-New 52 Amanda Waller was more of a Yvette, um, Yvette Nicole Brown from Community, and the New 52 version is now Haley Berry. Very funny episode, guys. Looking forward to next year's episode already. And then episode 48, covering Justice League's, uh, the, the number 18 issues. Rob talked about the rounded corners on Super Friends and Firestorm. He said, maybe the rounded corners were meant to be kid-friendly, so kids wouldn't hurt themselves on the sharp-edged corners like they would regular comics. Aquaman's penciler, Paul, Paul Lee P., really does have it hard, because he's the guy that came after Ivan Reese in the book. I agree with blah, 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 blah. He is slowly coming into his own. The disappointing thing about the Firestorm book is that it's coming to an end. Thanks, DC. Get well soon, Shagster. Well, thank you. I did. And then I did this damn podcast. <laughs> uh, before we continue, I want to make sure. Uh, I haven't heard from, we haven't heard from Frank in a couple of minutes. Frank, you didn't hang yourself, did you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, no. I'm, I'm actually uh, looking through my segment coming up. So um, <laughs> just, Frank's, I, I, I kind of tune out all those other people that leave comments, you know. I just pictured these visuals of me in front of my mic and Jack in front of his mic. And then he got the, got the Frank and there's just feet dangling into the frame. <laughs> But, uh, see, they mentioned Gil Kane in those last comments. And, uh, Gil K- bringing up Gil Kane made him remember that world's finest ad. It was, sampler. It was just too much. You could, oh, life God. wasn't worth bearing after that. Well, it's like you guys set me up uh, to reveal that after sitting in the same place for three and a half hours, I managed to butt sweat my way through my Captain America pajamas. And I'm afraid that I might have actually slipped out of the seat from my own butt sweat and slammed into the desk. So, um, gosh. Uh, I don't think the issue. I think it's going to be household accidents that will take me out. Okay. Oh, it's uh, just... oh, God. All right. I'm glad to know you're still with us. Anyway, right, we... I'm, I'm actually going to keep reading for a little bit because these are all for me. Okay, <laughs> go, ahead. go ahead. I'll let you. Ta- I'll let you take over in just a second. Okay. Uh, okay. These are from Daniel. What's that? I said, oh, thank you. These are from my best friend, Daniel Cynical Adams. <laughs> yeah, this is over on Facebook. I don't care what Rob says. The Daredevil's director's cut is a good movie. Damn it! And you can quote me on the show. <laughs> and, I ju- and I just did, Daniel. Thank you very much. So he goes from agreeing with me to it's, it's about to get ugly in here, folks. Um, Facebook. I I made some pretty di- and several of us made some pretty disparaging comments about Hordak. <laughs> Daniel's kind of got it. He's a little pissed about that. So here we go. For your information, Hordak wasn't Shira exclusive. He was a He-Man villain of the comics as well in the early 2000 series. So there. Yeah, that, that's a great defense, brother. Let me tell you. Mm, you brought a knife to a gunfight. Anyway, uh, another comment on Facebook regarding the vibe prank from two, uh, the vibe prank. I'm sorry, the vibe rebirth prank. That me and several other bloggers, including Frank, played in 2009 with Vibe Rebirth with Jeff Johns and Ethan Manskyver. He wrote, 2009? This prediction is barely older than Chad Buckleman. That's awesome. I like that. Chad did come back and say, hey, you can laugh all you want, but I bet I'm the only one who saw that epic cameo in the storage area. And in fact, he was the first one to tip us off to the fact that Pariah did appear in uh, Vibe number one. We totally missed that. So, well, well, well done, Chad. It's those young eyes. Young eyes. Our eyes are old and tired. Uh, then on the Firestorm cancellation episode, uh, Daniel said, I listened to the last two podcasts back-to-back, so, I fear. I, so I'll just feedback everything at once. Hordak, you mean the guy who owned Skeletor? He-Man and that gem wannabe She-Ra simultaneously? All that absolutely dominating the Snake Men? That Hordak? Yeah, I dig that guy. He's pretty, bra- he's pretty rad, haters. It's, it's the weakest defense. It's like... The Chewbacca defense. It doesn't work. Anyway, Penguin is absolute greatness, too. One day you guys will realize how wrong you've been. Nah. 
<laughs> you and Jack Dower can take a little dinghy and go out in the ocean. And talk about <laughs> <laughs> we're really tired, guys. <laughs> Forgive us. We're really not normally this mean. Anyway, the traitor reveal completely caught me off guard. I was so sure it was a plot by Amanda Waller to pit the JLA and the JL against each other, which would subsequently lead to her ditching the JLA in favor of Suicide Squad. But I was pleasantly fooled. That said, looking back, it was pretty obvious. I mean, that seeming uh, that seemingly random Atlanteans show up out of nowhere and essentially serve no purpose whatsoever? Of course he was going to be the guy that stirred it all up. I must agree with Shag that this creates a rather interesting dynamic in which Orm, Volko, Arthur, and the Justice League all feel com- completely justified and righteous in their actions. So many seeds were planted in this issue, and I really hope they're all explored as we go forward. On one hand, it's a bummer that Hawkman's book is being canceled. On the other hand, his book is so awful. So it goes. My condolences to Firestorm. At least he gets a, prom- a promotion to dry his ever-evaporating tears with. <laughs> also, I love the banter between Batman and Arthur. I thought it developed their testy relationship quite well and showed us a new dynamic one, one that was polar opposite to the one between Bruce and Hal. As for why Arthur choked Batman for so long, because he did. He just like totally had a conversation while he's choking Batman. <laughs> I think there are a couple reasons for this one. Batman felt a little... Batman felt at least a little guilty or apprehensive about how quickly the Justice League tugged on Arthur's leash during the negotiations with Orm. And two, Batman wanted to wait and see what Arthur was going to do once he had Bats in a seemingly precarious position. Bats had a plan to get free, but he needed to know if he could trust Arthur. It's a, it's a nice little bit of creative retconning going on there. <laughs> I'll let you take the next one while I take a drink of water. All right, we got a comment on the Aquaman Shrine. Uh, it's Superpowers Part 2. I had the Play-Doh set. I hated it because the little constructs didn't do anything. I couldn't figure out what the point of having them was. You all need to watch it with the penguin bashing. He had the best weapon in the entire line. That firing umbrella was pimp. The figure figure was so awesome, they didn't just reuse it for the DC Superheroes line, but also for the Batman Returns line, repainted black, of course. It's no surprise that this is my second favorite episode of the podcast so far. I really wish you guys would review all the mini-comics in an episode or two. I know they weren't the best things ever, but they're the reason I began reading comics in the first place. I vaguely remember the Hawkman comic being pretty awesome because Hawkman and Hulk Girl were being attacked by robot birds, Hitchcock style. I also seem to remember something about Red Tornado being torn asunder. Freaked me out as a kid because I didn't realize he was an android at first. Uh, then there's a follow-up about that over on Firestorm. I'm posting over here just to join in the legions of others who acknowledge the vague similarities between the Lexor 7 and the Snowspeeder. Oh, Lord. However, the separation between the cockpit and the wing-like foils makes Lexor 7 radically different. It sort of resembles a rabbit with his ears pulled forward in that regard. When you look at it that way, it more closely resembles a sprint hawk from Silverhawks. If you pulled the wings down to the side, it bent them forward, and he sent us an image, which we're not going to bother with. And uh, my, only, my only comment to that was, I love the, look of the kids, love the kids' look of bewilderment and disappointment on the Silverhawks box. What the hell am I supposed to do with this? I didn't even know what the Silverhawks line was. I had no idea what that was. I love the Silverhawks. No idea. What is that? It was it was thunder. It was thundercast in space. Oh, okay. All right. Good to know. And everybody had that metallic seal thing, like Cyborg did in the superpowers. Oh, the yeah. back metalized thing. So, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, uh, and they all had action features too, right? Then they like squeeze their legs and their arms popped out to spread their wings. Mm-hmm. So, I think so. so yeah. They had those armpit wings, like Peter Parker. <laughs> Uh, he left his comment over on Facebook about the Vibe episode. Uh, to keep in mind that Daniel Sinek Adams wrote the theme to that Vibe episode. He wrote our, the theme to our song, El Podcast de Fuego y Agua. And uh, him and Ryan Willard did renditions of it. And he wrote, so bad ass. 
best vibe episode ever. Ever. <laughs> I guess it's a good time to mention we didn't mention this the first time that it was while it was my idea to do a vibe episode, to do an April Fool's vibe episode, uh by the time when it time came time to do the show, it was it, I had had like a, just a particularly really awful week and I just was not in the right frame of mind to go through with it and so that is why Shag does so much talking in the show and Shag does all the heavy lifting. So that show if you enjoyed it, it belongs all the 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 uh, thanks and the congratulations belong to Shag and to the Dan and Ryan Willard for the themes because that's what sells it. I am like barely functional through that episode, and I just totally dropped the ball on that one. And Shag took it and ran with it. So uh, I, I have to thank Shag for for getting that episode done and 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 actually, you know, I put it up, but but it wouldn't be a, a show if Shag had not done it. So thanks to thanks to Shag for that. And if you didn't enjoy that episode, it's all uh, Cisco's fault. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you got a comment on Firestone from Sean Corey about the Power Records episode. I had some of these when I was what, what I was but a wee lad. Brought back some memories. Haven't figured out yet if they're good or bad memories, though. I'd be up for a few more very special episodes, though. That's another vote for the Power Records. So good to hear, guys. Over on Facebook, uh, I had made a comment about Threshold and Captain Carrot and Rob was like, I don't know what the hell that was. So, Sean Corey, who runs a Captain Carrot blog, wrote back, at least you knew what Threshold was, Jag, unlike the other Fire and Water podcast host, whatever his name is. I wonder what uh, his response is going to be when we get to that DC sampler ad with that pathetic Captain Carrot ad. That keep going Captain Adam? Yeah, yeah that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I was drinking my beer. Uh, he left another comment on a Firestorm fan. So Vibe is Access now. I know I'm alone, but I wish they'd bring Access back. I have dreams of DC and Marvel doing something completely unheard of and switching characters for a few months. Meaning Superman would go over to the Marvel Universe for a few months and start in Spider-Man's books, then be published by Marvel, while Spider-Man would go over to DCU and start in Superman's book, published by DC. And Access would be there in both titles, trying to figure out how to get them back where they belong. Never happened, but it would be fun. Episode was great. I figured it was an April Fool's prank as soon as I heard the opening theme, but still a great episode anyway. Uh, we got some messages from our buddy uh, Ryan Daly, who goes by Count Drunkula. <laughs> Love that screen name. And uh, he's given us several shout-outs, uh, this podcast, several shout-outs, over on his blog, Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary blog. So check that out. And uh, also definitely check out his Black Canary playdate posts. They are hysterical. He takes uh, action figures and puts them in funny poses and gives them quotes, sort of like Toy Fair, uh, Twisted Toy Fair Theater used to. Lots and lots of fun. Uh, he left us a comment about the Firestorm cancellation episode. He said, hey, guys, I just listened to the latest episode of the Fire and Water podcast, and as always, the quality is nothing short of acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know that was happening until those words came out of my mouth just now. That <laughs> was great. <laughs> Uh, this episode put the unfortunate cancellation of the Fury of Firestorm in a new, even more tragic light. Not only is this series ending in May, but we now uh, – but we now – but now we faithful listeners and whatever Frank is, I love that, that's great, don't get to hear Robin Shag's Valentine's Day special for at least another week. It sounds and reads like Firestorm and Shag have been getting a tremendous amount of love and support this weekend. Yes, I, I really got an amazing amount of this, me, this Shag, got an amazing amount of support from uh, you guys and other people when Firestorm, the cancellation was announced. It, uh, it was great. So uh, Clearly Shag was preoccupied during this recording or he would have laughed uproariously at Rob's Amy B. joke. No, it wasn't funny. I recognized the Simpsons reference right away. Rob and uh, filled the dead air of that part of the podcast with my own wheezy laughter. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, there's there's one person who gets your humor. Anyway. Nothing as timely as Simpsons references. Rob. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Rich, Those that we did, by the way, we did get a Simpsons reference during the previous podcast. Richard Dean Anderson. Anyway, uh, listening to this episode inspired me to create the Attached Fire and Water podcast play date, guest starring the Penguin. I hope you guys enjoy these. I hope your listeners get a kick out of uh, out of them in your Tumblr because I've already seen se- I've already done seven more of them in the can. <laughs> Thanks for awarding me a Steam Award. I'll put it on the shelf next to my silver medal in spitting for distance from the Iowa City Bar Olympics. As always, uh, th- keep up the work. F the F and R the W. Count Kilo. And we will go ahead uh, and put up that picture of uh, that with the. Pe- <laughs> we'll put up his uh, his penguin photo up on uh, the the Tumblr. So you'll find what's the Tumblr site, Rob? Fire and Water Podcast Yep, and in case you didn't catch it at the top of the episode, you you can see, I believe every picture from the DC samplers out there as well. That's going to be my goal at least. Oh, so. oh boy, <laughs> check it out! <clears throat> All right, uh, on episode forty-seven, April Fool's Day, we got a couple different comments of. <laughs> see, he gets the jokes. Here we go. Of all the Fire and Water podcast vibe-centric April Fool's Day episodes, I think this was the most disappointing. Sorry, guys, but this felt like so much filler or like a clip show from your previous vibe episodes. Hope you bring your A-game next week when we review every single one of the WTF gateful cover issues. He gets it. Good man. Yeah. Good on you. He gave us another more realistic comment. He said, I didn't care for vibe number one. Nothing about it bothered me or disappointed me. Lack of expectations helped there. But nothing about it really surprised me or showed me something that I would want to spend my money on every month. I am curious to see how Sterling Gates approaches the character when he takes over. I'll pay close attention to the reviews in the coming months, and if Gates' first issue gets solid praise, I'll check it out. Uh, Talks about how to pronounce uh, Jesus Saez. He heard uh, that on Word Balloon. Says, uh, I like this. If, on the following episode after the April Fool's Day one, he goes, At first, I hated the Vibe, Vibe podcast. Now I can't imagine another month without it. <laughs> that was our intention. Uh, we got a comment on Alchemy Tron from Blue Scream. I swore I already posted this. Must have messed up the Capacha. Always, I just wanted to say that Farsa number 17 should be required reading for any aspiring comic writers. It's just about the perfect issue in my mind. In that one book, we have a reference to past events, separate subplots for both hero and villain, hero and civilian identities, and one heck of a cliffhanger, all without feeling forced. The book swings from a little goofy to sincere to terrifying, to terrifying effortlessly. It was probably one of my favorite issues of New 52, honestly. Just marvelous stuff. Seriously. I honestly wish I hadn't read it before I go to number 17, which felt like a backup to me. If anyone hasn't read this issue, pick it up now. As the league, as for the league, it was a pretty solid issue, but I still take a bit of offense to breaking up Arthur and Mira, especially when it wasn't in their and it wasn't in their own book. The relationship is really what hooked me on the series. I hope this won't last long. I think we know that it doesn't. I think like by number twenty, they were already back together at least in action. So you don't have to worry about that for too long. Uh, he also left a comment on Firestone fan for on the April Fools episode. I have to say, I love the theme song. Thanks for going as vibe heads and not anything naughty. <laughs> uh, we got a comment from Michael Bailey on Facebook. He said, re-listening to the second episode, second episode of the Fire and Water podcast, are talking about the idea of a new 52 vibe. The irony of listening to this episode on the same day that I bought my number one is not lost on me. <laughs> and then uh, he left a comment about the uh, great runs leaked to the party episode. Uh, hey, Rob, I pronounce it uh, De Mateus, as in J.M. De Mateus, because that's how he pronounced it in an interview I heard years ago. I could be wrong, but I seem to remember hearing that. Also, it's fun to sing it to the tune of Rock Me, I'm a Theus, but I am easily amused. Also, Shag, Math, Shag is dead on about the early 90s Justice Society America series and about Mike Paraback, whom I love. Quick question to Shag. 
You said in the most recent Fire and Water that the Roger Stern, Tom Miles, Starman series brought you brought you back to superhero books after sticking mainly to Vertigo. While they agree that the series is awesome and very underappreciated, how did it how did it get you back to superhero books before Vertigo was a thing? That series hit around nineteen eighty eight. Vertigo became an imprint in the early nineties. Just curious, I'm not busting your chops. Well, he is busting my chops because, you know, he's trying to point out my failures to, to get my timing right. Uh, enrolled friend, so I accept that from him. But what happened was I actually was late to the game on the Starman series. I didn't come in until, like, issue 26 or 28. So I was reading a bunch of Vertigo, you know, the Sandman and Doom Patrol, and, I, you know, I don't remember exactly the order on all these, but, you know, uh, what else? Shay the Changing Man and Enigma, all this stuff that came out of Vertigo early on. And then I picked up Starman around issue 26, 28, somewhere in there. I was like, wow, this is great. So I immediately went back and bought all the back issues, and that's what brought me back to comics. So, uh, yes, I wasn't there at the launch. I was there later. There you go. Suck it, Mike. You uh, left another <laughs> comment on Facebook. Just like number 16, Aqua and 16 were both fantastic. Yeah, they're using Throne of Atlantis as a backdoor pilot for the new JLA series, but the story itself is what I want from a Justice League tale. The revelation at the end of Aquaman makes me very impatient to hear Robin Shaggs talk about it on Fire and Water. So, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. Uh, yep, go ahead. I can read this one, yeah. Yep. Um, on the Firestorm cancellation episode, Robin Shag, when I woke up for work this morning, I checked iTunes on the off chance that a new Fire and Water might be available for download. Given the recent announcement about Firestorm, I had a feeling y'all might kick an episode out. So there was a mixture of sadness and joy when I saw that, yes, indeed, a new episode was available. I've been listening to it off and on at work today and felt the need to write in and make a few points about the episode and cancellation of Firestorm. Point one. It absolutely sucks that they're canceling this book, but oddly enough, I'm not really sad for myself and my enjoyment of the title. It's been great, and I like Firestorm quite a bit, but given that Shag and I are such good friends, and I don't know, and I, I'm sorry, and I know how much he loves the character, my first thought when I saw the series had been canceled was, damn, Shag's going to be upset. Let me tell you, that's kind of, this is Shag now, that's kind of how Facebook went down. Like, when Firestorm got canceled, it seemed like people were less concerned about the series and more worried about me, which was kind of funny <laughs> to me. Like, you know, I wasn't going to like, you know, jump off a bridge or anything guys, but you know what? Y'all's concern. Sounded was like it. I was upset. Sure. But you know, anyway, all right, back into Mike's letter. Also, I had the opportunity to interview Dan Jurgen several times over the years, a few over at the Superman podcast. I co-host, by the way, that's called crisis from crisis to crisis. And considering how important he was and still is to me as a creator, I always hate to see his books get canceled. I also called Shag when I heard the news, but figured he might be busy with work or family and sent a text instead. So it's kind of weird to be sad about something, but more sympathetic in a way. And ironically, Mike, I think I got that text probably while I was recording that episode. Uh, point two, you both briefly, briefly mentioned that in the 90s... Wait a minute, let me start that again. You both briefly mentioned that the 90s have come to D.C. in the form of people running the show and creating the books. That is something that continues to baffle me and make me believe I have been cast into some parallel world. Bobby Chase and Bob Harris are the faces of DC now over on CBR. Jim Lee is the co-publisher and drawing some books. Tom DeFalco is writing for the company. Scott Lobdell is writing for the company. It's so strange. These were names I associated with either Marvel or Image for the bulk of my collecting life, with the exception of Jim Lee, maybe. And now they're running the show at the comic company I call home. Point three, another point about Firestorm's cancellation. This is something I haven't ever really gone through before. Sure, there have been times I have uh, and titles I have loved in the past that have gone away, but given the fact that my favorite character is Superman, I never really had to worry about him going away. Sure, I have lost Superman titles over the years, but it's not the same as watching your favorite character get canceled again and again and again. For some odd reason, I feel bad about this. 
like I can never really know what it's like to go through a, a constant cycle of loss. Weird. Yeah, try being a fan of Aquaman, Firestorm, Blue Devil, Dr. Fate, any of those. Green Arrow. <clears throat> yeah. Point four. I have been listening to all of the Who's Who episodes back-to-back, and the once Firestorm is canceled jokes are now a lot less funny. I feel bad for making them myself. That's it, gentlemen. Great episode, and as always, fan the flame and ride the wave. Michael. Yeah, in regard to those uh, once Firestorm's canceled jokes, yeah, screw all of you, okay? <laughs> uh, he left us a comment on episode 46, the Superpowers Part 2 show. Thanks so much for finally getting to the second Superpower-centric episode, as I enjoyed the first one quite a bit. Your coverage of the vehicles was a lot of fun. Despite having just about all the action figures from the first two waves and one or two from the third one, well, now that I think of it, I only had one. I had Orion. Orion was, Orion was awful in Superpowers form. The only reason I got him was he was one of the two Superpowers figures that were at Kmart that day, and I had already I already had Aquaman. <laughs> oh man, That's, I'm just picturing this sad little peg display with nothing on it, just Orion and Aquaman hanging there. Oh god. <laughs> Anyway, like every, every kid just walks by and goes, Duh, this yeah, is why, can they say this is why Kmart's going to go out of business? I'll just buy gem, gem figures or something. Anyway, old, Amethyst figure. Amethyst. Anyway, despite having a good number of figures, I only had two of the vehicles in the Hall of Justice. I had the Batmobile because I was a kid in the mid-80s. To borrow from Wayne's World, if you grew up in the 80s and got toys, you were issued a Batmobile. And despite being such a Superman guy, this is my favorite vehicle from the line. It was so cool, and I really would like to have just, like to have one, but just haven't gotten around to rebuying it. The battering ram makes sense to me now, but the claw on the back doesn't actually doesn't, and actually keeps me out of it. I now wonder if Batman ever drove to Gotham City Police Headquarters with the bloody remains of a criminal he caught with the claw. <laughs> I mean, there was nothing to ensure the criminal's legs and bodies wouldn't be dragged on the ground, and with the speeds the Batmobile went, I could see the thug trying to kill to keep his legs up, but it. <laughs> <laughs> but after getting tired, he <laughs> I don't know, just funnier the, the, the image Mike is creating yeah, or Rob losing it. Trying to keep his legs up, but after getting tired, he finally gives up and his feet and legs start dragging on the ground. <laughs> Being worn down to bloody stumps. Batman drives up to oh. please HQ. And Chief of Hair comes out and is all like, Saints for service, Batman. You killed another one with the claw. When are you stop using that thing? Sad. No, 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 no. It's Saints, Saints preserve us, Batman. You killed another one with the claw. When are you going to stop using that thing? Sorry. In your shillelagh. Sorry. Sad, very sad. I also had the Supermobile. Somewhere there are pictures of me with those toys, but I have no idea where they currently are. I still like this vehicle and never really put much thought into Superman not needing it. It always just seemed like a cool vehicle to have. As a kid, I wanted a Lexar 7, but never managed to get one, which is why I went ahead and bought one about 10 years ago, complete in the box. This is a rather impressive vehicle as well. It doesn't need, doesn't seem to get enough credit, in my opinion. There are these cables inside that could not only hold Lex the figure in place, but had these pointed ends that could fit into the armor on Lex on the Lex figure to recharge his power armor. As Shag said last time, the level of detail they put in the initial releases were amazing, and I love that little, I love that little touch. Oh, and I do agree with Rob that the Lexar 7 looks like the Snowspeeder. Thank you, Mike. God. Shag is right about the back copter getting lost in the third wave. I remember seeing it at a bunch of these figures from that wave in the series Wish Bible. I mean, book in the fall of 1986. <laughs> and asking for a few of them, even though that year I dove headfirst into G.I. Joe. We had an issue with the order, though my mom was forced to rush to the department store on the 23rd to buy my presents that year. Now this was a good thing in that she ended up getting more than I asked for. 
The problem was that none of the superpowers figures I wanted were at the store she went, so I never did get my Batcopter, Cyborg, or Captain Marvel figures. The Batcopter, out of all the vehicles from the second and third wave, makes the most sense to me, unlike the Justice Jogger, which is stupid. <laughs> yes, it is. Speaking of stupid, Rob was absolutely right in his statements about the DC Toy Biz figures. On the whole, they were Can, can all... we go back a second? Yeah, I know you wanted to break right at the... On speaking of stupid, Rob. I know that's the part you wanted it, to break. Uh, it says, speaking... There's no comma. Speaking of stupid, Rob. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's it. That's why I blew right through it. On the whole, they were awful. I applaud the effort, but wow, did that line suck as a whole. I think they had their own event horizons. They suck so bad. The Lex Luthor figure was pretty awful. Rob was right. I love this. This keeps saying this over and over again. Rob was right that it reflected the more John Byrne take on the character, but the actual design comes with the 1988 Ruby Spears animated series from CBS. That is by far the most interesting thing about this figure. He has a Dr. Evil power action, and that makes me sad. The Superman figure was actually kind of clever, oddly enough. They put a magnet in his chest, and he came with a little kryptonite ring that had a magnet in it. The charges on the magnets were the same, since opposites attract and likes rep- and likes repel. If you held the ring to the Superman figure, it would push it over like he was weakened by the kryptonite. This is much better than the squirting flower thing that the green kryptonite, green that Green Lantern figure had. This was a really fun episode. I was impressed with what you were able to uncover. It made me really nostalgic for this toy line and what it represented to me as a DC fan. Thanks for getting this episode out. Regards, Mike. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you for all the times you said I was right. I hope you enjoyed that episode, Mike, because it's sort of the antithesis of the one you're listening to now. Yeah, pretty much. We, we're going to lose a lot of fans with this episode. I know that. <laughs> what a celebration. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's good to go out with a bang, you know. He continued talking on Facebook about the episode. He said, forgot to include this in my email to Fire and Water Podcast. Shag and Rob talk about seeing half half-card superpowers figures. I remember those coming out in 1988 or so and seeing them at KB Toys. No idea why they chose to release a series of figures like that, but I do have vivid memories of seeing those in comic book three-packs with cut-out trading cards, which is how I first read my George Perez Wonder Woman comics. Okay. Um, Got an iTunes review from Derek Burke. Uh, He says, I truly look forward to every episode of the podcast. I think the chemistry between Rob and Shag is awesome. I was already picking up Aquaman and have since gone back and found some classic Firestorm runs due to Shaggy's passion about the character. Keep up the great work, guys. Fan the flame and ride the wave. Uh, we got another iTunes review. We love the iTunes reviews. Please keep up with the iTunes reviews. They're really, really handy to help the show get noticed. Although I guess the show's going to end after this episode, so maybe it's it's uh, pointless. Uh, we got it from... <laughs> From Double DJ, uh, I'm an old-time comic reader. I'm not reading the new books, but Jack and Rob take you through it like you have the comics in front of you. Plus, they are very funny, and you can hear the passion they have for the two favorite characters. They also do Who's Who show, and I cannot wait to dig out my copies and follow along. These guys do not disappoint. Fan the flame and ride the red. I mean, wave. So, thank you very much, Double DJ. We really appreciate that. You was going to say f- ride the redhead. I think so. <laughs> I think that's where he was going. Uh, we have got a comment from J. David Weeder, host of the Superman Forever podcast on Facebook, uh, along with a pic of the Superpowers Firestorm. Hey, Shag and Rob, I'm an Aquaman, I'm an Aquaman short of awesome Superpowers collection. <laughs> That's all he needs is Aquaman. I should send him one. I think I have an extra one lying around. Um, it was nice to see the Firestorm picture. And by the way, uh, J. David Weeder, as you mentioned, hosts a Superman podcast and is now um, the, the arch nemesis of Frank after the earlier DC Sampler comments. So. Oh. Just saying. Okay. You know, Frank dug his own grave there. That's true. You know? 
on the Great Runs okay. Late to the Parties episode, uh, J. David Weider came in and said, Amen to the Car- Carl Kiesel Daredevils. Yes, they were awesome. In fact, I heard from Hector Negrete the other day. He was looking for those issues, too. Those Carl Kiesel Daredevils, look them up, folks. They're so good. Uh, he left a comment on the Power Records episode. There was a Captain Marvel podcast tree this week. I am one happy fan, thanks to Rob and Shag. Am I the only one who feels the Shazam podcast is missing from the internets? Yeah, I'd listen to that. There's a lot to cover. I'm surprised that he doesn't have one already. Somebody should get on that. You and uh, Daniel Cynical Adams can enjoy that. Yeah, okay. Uh, we got a comment from uh, Andy Capellish regarding episode 39. Ha, ha, ha. I tricked you and the Aquaman trying into doing a preemptive listener feedback comment. And then he, like, haws for, like, 20, 20 lines. I'm almost worse than Frank because I get mentioned it without even having to do anything. I win the day. Then he quoted me. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was talking about how Thor and West Coast Avengers sort of had a, a very minor, minor crossover with the snowstorm back in the 80s. And I said, quote, I like it when comics touch each other. And uh, his comment was, best quote ever. <laughs> I think I – did I use that as a stinger? I think maybe I did. Oh, God. Uh, we got a uh, – well, you don't listen. We got a Facebook comment from Keith G. Baker. <laughs> Free shirt from Firestorm fan, the Aquaman Shrine, and Pop Funk for listening to the Fire and Water podcast and answering difficult calculus questions. Don't let them tell you it was from a random drawing of loyal listeners named from a hat. Thanks, folks. Yes, that was when we did our our, our header. We were sponsored by Pop Funk, and Keith was one of our uh, T-shirt winners. So mm-hmm. you, enjoy your T-shirt. Hope you're enjoying it uh, to this day. Hope you haven't. Uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about at this point. It's three in the morning. <laughs> anyway, he left a comment on something called Google Plus. Although, <laughs> although only uh, Shag will see this from here. Maybe uh, Rob will show if I tag him. I have to shout out. I have to shout out into the void here on V Plus to show off my new Firestorm shirt, courtesy of the Firewater Podcast. So he, yeah, he remember he posted a picture of of the shirt. You guys are great. Thanks. Of course, by putting on Google Plus, you guaranteed that nobody was going to see it. So. <laughs> uh, right. Over on Facebook, uh, he changed his cover image, you know, like the big strip that goes across your top on Facebook. He changed it to the giant-sized man thing number two, <laughs> uh, which uh, says, Rob and Shag, get all the credit for my new Facebook cover idea, Firewater Podcast. Now, what I, I think is kind of funny is that, you know, he picked giant-sized man thing number two. So I think what he's saying is this is the second giant-sized rather yes, than – Yes, it is. So someone else is – more giant size, I think that implies. Anyway. Well, that or maybe number two is the destination. Whoa! <laughs> the man stays silent for like 30 minutes oh and he comes God. back swinging. Wow. Swinging that guy. All right. By the way, could, could Ride the Red be a reference to Animal Man taking over for Firestorm on the podcast? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> and I uh, just want to throw in the casket of Eternal Winters hit all the Marvel books for that month. It was cool. You should have stopped at the other line. It was so much funnier. Yeah, I know. I'm out now. <laughs> Over on Google+, Plus, uh, he wrote, uh, new f- song from Luke Dobb. Just thinking that Firestorm fan could change his Twitter avatar to Luke's sweet Firestorm Stein pick. That's um, yeah, possible. We are talking about using Luke Dobb's picture for the cancellation day, so for Firestorm Farewell. We'll talk more about that later. On the Vibe episode, he wrote, as cool as the Firewa- uh, FWPC is, I still can't help Vibe. Sorry, it still can't help Vibe. His fans are not Vibe heads. By the way, too close to match heads. Vibe fans equals vibrators. Gotta be. <laughs> uh, we got a, a Twitter picture from Keith J. Keith G. Baker. And this is, this is why he's going to be the recipient of the Steam Award. 
this time around. It's a picture. We'll post it on the on the on our Tumblr page of here's him and here's here's my sister and I listening to a Batman story, and it's his sister holding a Batman power record while Keith is holding a Superman coloring book. It's fan damn. Fantastic. I love the picture. I'm utterly charmed by it. And as soon as I saw it, I actually emailed Keith and asked him if I could use it in my Hey Kids Comics book, Hey Kids Comics book, which he generously agreed to do. So uh, when that book comes out, you'll be able to see the photo uh, in there as well. I really appreciate it. It's a lovely photo, and he is a recipient of our Steam Award for the month for that photo. It's 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 beautiful. That's and awesome. you better not put that up there until after the hundred pages of DC sampler. They would bury it. So that's a good point. Yep. Yep, good point. Yep, nobody's yep. Gonna, nobody's going to wade through the uh, Spanner's Galaxy and DC Challenge ads to get to that nice photo. We'll <laughs> Let's see if I can post it all in like one or something. I'll see if I can figure this out. Anyway, uh, we got condolence emails about the Firestorm cancellation. Uh, I, I mean, I got lots, but we got the at the Fire and Water, we got a couple, which was very nice from Derek Crabb, Ryan Withers, Derek Burke, and uh, Count Drunkula. It was very nice of them. Now I'm going to run through Twitter supports. Oh, boy. Uh, yep. It's okay, I'm going to leave Facebook for you. Don't worry. So, Frank, you probably could, at this point, get up and walk around and give your Captain America jammies a chance to dry out, because it's going to take a little while. <laughs> uh, I already changed out. I'm fresh now. Oh. I'm amethyst. He's, we- he's wearing his Wonder Woman jammies now. Here we go. Over on Twitter, we got support no, from... No, I'm wearing the, the uh, DC logo pajama bottoms. It has, like, the Aquaman logo, the Martian Manhunter logo. Um, I don't see the Fireman, Firestorm one on here anywhere, though. I don't, so. th- is Martian Manhunter on there? Yeah, actually, it is. Oh, wow. Shit, really? <laughs> that didn't go the direction I expected. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and I have some one of those sitting right over here in my couch. Damn it. All right. Over on Twitter, we got support from Hi-Fi Color, which is the colorist on Firestorm. Very so nice. thank you for that. Not that he'll ever hear this because no one's li- still listening to this podcast. Yeah, we've given um, everyone away at this point. That's right. All right. We heard from Alan Middleton, goes by Professor Alan, Mr. Paul Bowler, Keith Samra, Joe Slab. I'm too tired to make a drunk joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. J Slab four two five. Alexander Adrock at Adrock five one two. Luke Dobb at Dobb Creative. Lee Novak at Lee Novak sixteen. Charlton Hero. Luke Jacanetti at uh, El Jacone. La Cueva del Nerd, which is Cueva del Nerd. Uh, Aaron Delauder at Dalla Delauder. Ralcado Ra- Verified at Mass Fuego. Stephen R J Vaughn. Uh, Glenn Walker at Monsura, Alina at LJ Mystic Cowl, Dustin Stoffer at Dustin Stoffer, Dustin Stoffer 2, Randy Caldwell goes by Mr. Perturb, Matt Selby, Andy Capellish, which is Cap L, Amazing Bass, Jacob Gonzaga, which is Big Biz Kit, Bill Beer at Gotham Night 13, Michael Bailey at Bailey's Podcast, Dusty Rabby at Rabinator, Agents of Fiction, Steve Connors at Big Steve CW, Corey Hodgden at Higher Rock, Barry Reese at Barry Reese Pulp. Between the Pages, which is BTP Blog. Tony D at Tony D PYT. Rachel Fett, I like that name. Offic- Aqua, I'm sorry, it's Aqua Official Fan. R. Baron at The Robber Baron. Cord Industries, which is Cord Industries 1. Aquaman Talk. Uh, Nick Meldon at N. Meldon. Bill Bailey at BB Netman. Podcast of the Day. K. Jackson at Keith J32. Doug Mitchell. At Monkey Squad One, <laughs> Cynthia Flores at C- uh, Cindy Dog Flores, Martin Gray at Mark Gray, Paul Hicks at Reading Hicks, Sixteen Bit Monster, uh, Loran Skin Chris Art, Newspaper Comics Twenty Twelve at Newspaper Comics, Heroes of the North 
at Northern Heroes, Going Geek News, Ray Dillon, Octavio Carbank at Time Hunter, BW Media Spotlight at SW Tronics, Tower of Fate, Paul Aponte at IOM Paul, and Flotospan at GL875. I got a couple of fun comments that I grabbed out of here from Twitter. Uh, James Girton at Nylonus said, Merritt doesn't seem appropriately dressed for winter in Amnesty Bay. Kind of sad that, and he, uh, then later on he said, kind of sad there's not going to be a JLA vibe podcast. Kind of sad there's not going to be a JLA vibe podcast. Hashtag life is cruel. <laughs> Sorry to crush your hopes and dreams, buddy. Greg Arugo, uh, who usually comes back with some amazing information about the Who's Who podcast, uh, he said, uh, at G Arugo 1, he said, I had heard Mike Carlin hated the 1992 Justice Society series, and that's the reason it was canceled. If that is true, Mike Carlin should be arrested. So, that's Shag's commentary. Eduardo Escobar at E. Escobar 23 said, A friend of mine loved Nightman, Prime, and Strangers. Me, not so much, even if Brayfogle drew one of them. Let me tell you, uh, folks, I loved me some Prime, and I loved me some Nightman, and... Uh, in fact, I was going through these dollar bins at Books a Million the other day, and there were so many Ultraverse comics that I already owned that I was still tempted to buy. I was like, just a buck! It'd be easier than digging out the boxes! But, anyway. Ange, uh, who's never going to speak to us after our comments about Supergirl tonight, at drange 70 said, I think Katana was chosen for the title, meaning Justice League, to tie into the new Beware the Batman cartoon coming up. That's a very good observation, Ange. Probably right. Uh, he wrote, the Lexor 7 was an Easter egg in the Supergirl Cosmic Adventures in the 8th grade. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. No, neither did I. Bradley Lever, who goes by Lever 3 said, Today's flea market buys were clearly influenced by Firestorm fan. Two match head finds plus my first who's who issue. And uh, he posted a picture of Firestorm, Fury Firestorm number 1 from 1982 and the K issue of who's who. Friggin' sweet, awesome purchases. Negative Steve uh, said, loving the superpowers episodes. Have you seen the flaming carrot figure? He has a light-up flame that would work for Firestorm. I haven't seen that. I've got to check that out. That would be fun to uh, have Firestorm's head actually light up. Lucian Desar said, great podcast. Yes, introduce Firestorm with a voice more like Hulk Hogan and less like Smurfette. Yes, that's another vote where I was going, Firestorm versus Firestorm. Justin Barlow, who runs the Blue Devil blog, said, Without a doubt, Firewater Podcast has the best opening theme song of podcasts I listen to. Which probably means he listens to just us. But uh, No, I'm kidding. That Michael Kohler song totally rocks. Absolutely does. Anthony Durso said, Is Firewater Podcast going to be the Aquaman Atari Force podcast now that Firestorm's canceled? Uh, I'll give you points for being funny, Anthony. That, 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 I'll give you credit there. <laughs> uh, these are people who left comments about us uh, on Facebook or gave us likes. Now, I have to pause for a second, and many of you are probably wondering, if you're, any of you are still listening, uh, what the wisdom is in reading a list of names at the four-hour, 30-minute mark of a podcast. Um, I'm just going to say, folks, it's going to be worth it. If, you, if you've stuck with us this far, please stick to the end, because trust me, it'll be worth it, really. Shag, would you not agree with that? I would, but also an important thing to say, you know, I mean, when we read these Facebook names, for example, William Boyd is first. If William Boyd's listening today... You know what? That probably just made his day a little bit more. You hear that we acknowledged and appreciated his comment. So let's give everybody their due. If you're, I don't know, Keith G. Baker or you're, you know, Keith Samurai, your name's been said enough, man. Just, it's not your turn anymore. Let these other folks have their turn. And yes, hang on to the end of the podcast. It's going to be worth it. It'll be worth it. Okay, a lot of pressure totally on you. Totally building up. Yeah, nothing. a lot of pressure on you there, Frank. All right, anyway, uh, Facebook, we've got comments from or likes from William Boyd, Alexander Adrock, great name. 
I loved him on the Flintstones. Christopher J. Warden, Keith G. Baker, <laughs> Hector Negrete, Luke Dobbs, Sean Corey, Miguel Angel Galena Ramirez, Daniel Cynical Adams, Ashton Burge, Hartley Holmberg, I love that name, Abel Padilla, Oscar Olade, uh, Arthur Quizeda, Jessica French, Thomas, Thomas Oswald, Marcos Araneda, Mike Gillis, Shay David Weider, Dan Janes, Isaac Rodriguez, Ellen Mimoon, Kevin Culp, Giancarlo Nurko, Kevin Hansen, Ken Deemer, David J. Dixon, Rod Pruitt, Chris Mouths, Scott D. Moore, Negative Steve Mandel. I love that, Negative Steve Mandel. Alan Middleton, Corey Hodgson, Robert Gross, Superhero Spoof, Wagner Oliveira, Sean Brock, William Angora, Amy Pennington Bias, Chris, she's a sweetheart, Chris Osborne, John Reynolds, Chester Aguar, Carmelo Marza, Jeremiah Parker, Darren Shields, Max Romero, James Gordon, Eddie Osborne, John Goddard, Ronnie Link, Samantha Wood, Brian Fraser, Andy Capellish, Constance Parmalee Knoll, Jacob Thomas, Abel Morales, Stig Eric Erickson, Great Caesars Post, J.D. Cook, Randy Schilling, Tim Wallace, Jason Gonzalez-Pays, and Amanda Hernandez-Michowski. Thank you all. Wow. That's a big list. And then we got... Now, I'm, oh. I was going to... Are you, are you working from the old list or the new list, Rob? Because oh, I, 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 we skipped Tumblr. Oh, I missed. I guess I missed Tumblr entirely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. I'll cover the Tumblr stuff, and then we'll let you uh, come down here and uh, bring us home. So, <clears throat> uh, folks, this is uh, folks that have come out and support us on Tumblr. Tumblr really is a fun place to go. You should check it out because we put a lot of our Who's Who stuff out there. We put stuff from this podcast. So it's worth checking us out if you haven't been over there yet. Now, some of the folks I'm going to read gave us support for Who's Who versus this. You know what? We, we appreciate everything. So, uh, Sec Cruz, uh, Sujay Tunes, Crazy Chick 08, who goes by Embrace Your Inner Purple, uh, Kincaid 3, Mimotes, Biohouse 45, which is our buddy Hector Grete, Mr. Perturb, which is Randy Caldwell, Jay Gartson 3, which has his, his Tumblr's called Joey's Art Stuff, Crazy for Comics, Love Ocean, whose Tumblr's called Deep Blue, Texophile, Kalel Samra, which is Keith Samra, Let the Eaves Drop, Adamant Comics, Pensamento Barbudo, <laughs> Capes and Cloaks, DC in the 80s. By the way, you guys at home and you guys on the podcast with me right now, you got to go check out the DCs in the 80s That's Tumblr. That's a fun Tumblr. It's, it is. It's a very fun Tumblr. Not that the others aren't. It just that one happens to really be really be in my wheelhouse. So, Psycho Bug, Fuck Yeah Sidekicks. Sorry, not my oh, fault. That's really, a, that's really the name, not mine. Uh, Anzu's 369, which is just is. Luis War, Salty La Lorena. Yes, that is a reference to Aqua Girl. Salty La Lorena. Uh, FK Jason, I'm sorry, FKA Jason, who's one of our buddies from the FKA podcast. Uh, Easy Master, Lang Stable, Natural Glue, Browse the Stacks, uh, Jatter Hine, which has uh, Nan of the Non Indian Bread Kind, is the name of their uh, Tumblr. A Capellish, which is our buddy Andy Capellish, Dob Creative, which is our buddy Luke Dobb, Mr. Mysterium, Comic Girl 18, and Tell Mix. Woo! Uh, and then finally, we're going to wrap up with uh, the comments or the support from Google+. Plus. Uh, <laughs> we got a message from Edward Crosby. Finishing up this episode now, do not lose faith in Google+. Plus. We're here and we see, which I believe is their tagline for the site. We also got support from Vincent Florio, Randy Caldwell, Brian Miller, Mario Zuniga, Andy Capellish. He's everywhere. Siskoy, <laughs> Keith G. Baker, Zach Dorman, Luke Dobb. He is also everywhere. And Oscar Olade, who's also everywhere. Okay. <laughs> so now we promised a lot, but I think we're going to deliver. This is going to be the only chance we're ever going to get to do this, I think, because he has to report to Leavenworth State Prison shortly. We are going to have Diablo Frank read his own commentary. <laughs> 
here is our chance. <laughs> this is going to be the best it's ever going to be. <laughs> here it comes from the man himself. If you thought his comments were insane, wait till you hear them from his own this mouth. This is going to be fantastic. All right, Frank, lay it on us. Uh, I'm sorry. I dozed off and you guys started playing tubas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by the way, don't let the guy at the liquor store tell you that Harlem tastes like Jägermeister. It really doesn't. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'm not going to read all of these just because I, I, I have sympathy for you people. I really do. I'm so sorry for you four folks that are still here with us. <laughs> the two or three of you left there just – huh? What a freaking ripoff. He's got like five pages or four pages of comments that are his alone and he won't read them. And we're so I'll, I'll read, I'm going to read some. <laughs> I'm going to read some. We'll, we'll take it as it comes. Uh, y'all ready? Yep. Do it. Okay, Do you it. guys totally built that up too much, really. Okay, uh, so uh, look, Rob, I don't mean to seem insensitive in this time of grief or nothing, but times is tough, and you got to think about the future of your podcast. We'll all grieve for Shag and Firestorm, I guess, but you got to move on before that cold body robs you of your own warmth. <laughs> now, now, see, there's a second Justice League of America title that you wasn't planning on buying or reading, and there's a whole bunch of characters there that, to be frank, are a lot more hep than a nuclear man. Also, I figure you need to expand your demographic with a real up-and-coming name in the DC New 52. So how about as your new broadcasting partner where you re-team Aquaman with Vibe for the water and fire for the water and racially incentive for the water and racially insensitive derogatory podcast. It would be so chill, yo. <laughs> yeah, keep in mind, folks, this was, uh, he, he commented this back in episode 43, you know, like four episodes before our April Fool's Day joke. So you're sort of prophetic there, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like 2009, right after the Vibe crossover. So, yeah, <laughs> exactly so right. Exactly uh, right. Let's see. Just to punch a hole in Chag's crybaby routine, <laughs> my crappy days have involved dealing with actual dead people. And the star of my character-centric blog hasn't progressed past volume one in ever. <laughs> <laughs> I highlighted that because I absolutely wanted that one. Right. Uh, plus the creative team that killed Firestorm's most successful volume were at the helm of Martian Manhunter's Soul series. So thanks for that, John and Tom. Uh, you, you, you want more? Uh, Firestorm's first volume was canceled after a half dozen issues in the DC implosion while Martian Manhunter saw his lousy backup strip aborted before even one page was ever written or drawn. <laughs> you know, the sort of backup strip Firestorm later used as a stepping stone to another volume within a few years? John is just now getting another backup opportunity about three and a half decades after the previous one was planned. Man up, mister. Let's see. Uh, I was also pointing out that Dan Jurgens may be the new Christopher Priest, the guy who had a, a history of killing off titles. Um, let's see. A lot of boring stuff about the Avengers movie that nobody really cares about. I will point <laughs> out that Mila Jovovich totally should have played the Black Widow in the Avengers, though. Come on. Who's with me? That's a good choice, I have to say. Yeah. Much as I do love Scar Joe, that's a good choice. <laughs> she got better in the Avengers movie. Anyway. Um, okay. Batman is like Spider-Man in that he has so many more villains than most other heroes. The percentage of villains and morts rise proportionately. Spider-Man has had so many good villains, multiple teams of second-tier groups. Most heroes with envious top rogues had to form rock-style supergroups to be taken seriously again, like the Sinister Six, Deadly Foes. Well, I don't 
Firestorm Fields Envy since his entire Rose Gallery ends below that second tier, more compatible to Tarantula, Rocket Racer, the Kangaroo, and the White Rabbit. Yeah. Also on the other hand remains Chris Brown to Black Manta and Ocean Masters Rihanna. Uh, they just keep coming back for more, and no one remembers any names outside their tainted love fest. By the way, the Penguin is pretty awesome when handled correctly. Uh, let's see. Oh, I just want to say that Martial Law uh, Omnibus that uh, DC put out, go buy that. Uh, that's my personal Watchmen. I'm actually, I think Watchmen's kind of overrated. It kind of bores me. Uh, Martial Law got to be first, got to be better, and I, and I still have great love for that. It's also vicious and sick. So, it suits me fine. Who the hell went out the back door? <laughs> Rob had enough. He left. I'm trying to cover it up as best as possible, but... <laughs> Have, hey, when, when you got to go, you got to go. I understand. Trying, That's why I got my piss bottle over to, here. We're trying to save the life of an insect that is otherwise going to be eaten by the dog or the cat. So I apologize. <laughs> okay. Um, I will point out that Sean Corey uh, unlocked Diablo mode uh, on this podcast. I was really late in offering comments, and he actually asked where I was. And then I pointed out that, like Candyman, he summoned me. <laughs> uh, but but uh, the, fortunately, the comment was left over on the Aquaman Shrine, which is just a hair above Google Plus and also hosted by Google when it comes to comments. So nobody ever actually read it over there. Uh, I like how you said Sean is my Wilson the volleyball over here. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson! Yeah, okay. Uh, the Power Records uh, uh, broadcast that Rob got to phone in because he just got to do a bunch of pre-recorded material. We talked about that a little bit. Um, let's see. We talked about a bunch of issues of Aquaman and Firestorm that you guys read months ago and you don't care about anymore. Um, Frank, Luke we Dobbs. really gave you a silver platter. And I have to say, you are just, you know, we wanted you to read every word. I'm sorry. What is going on? <laughs> I was trying to keep this under six hours. I'm telling you, 24-hour podcast, man. Uh, I made a point of noting that Luke Dobbs' uh, Firestorm song was somewhat disturbing and, and sounded like something from a 1989 uh, NBC sitcom. Uh, still good. Jeez. Still good. I, I think it was as good of a, as a song about Firestorm could possibly be. So, uh, let's yeah. see. <laughs> I haven't looked at the issue, but Aquaman battles whalers and then swam away while some unfamiliar sea king dude foreshadows in an underwater cave. That's it. Isn't that collectively everything everyone thought Aquaman comics were about and wisely chose to not read them for 70 odd years? <laughs> I've never understood the whole Finny Friends business. Don't many fish eat fish themselves? He should be more like a stereotypical Native American showing love and respect to the creatures who provide him sustenance after mentally commanding them to swim through some butter and jump down his throat. <laughs> Uh, I also had that uh, Craig Hamilton pad Aquaman poster um, and hung it during a time period when it was unlikely I could get a hold of any kinds of partner sex I wanted. Uh, I then hung it in one of my shops and eventually sold it. Hung really is an important word in those sentences. Seriously, without any intent for defamation or condemnation, I simply do not have enough testosterone circulating through my body to pull off decor that blatantly gay without poisoning the expectations of the opposite sex. That's what I tried to explain to Rob. He was... And he didn't agree. <laughs> Not just that, but if you look at the Craig Hamilton poster and then you look at me naked, you want to fuck the Craig Hamilton poster. So. Oh, oh man. All right. <laughs> he said hell? an hour five. Nobody's going to find that. Uh, Even the Comics Code Authority, you know, who gives us our ratings to stop listening. So, <laughs> right. uh, Rob, at some point, used the word Donnybrook. 
Uh, you get no points for that. The market for musical theater starring Maureen O'Hara and Cyril Cusack <laughs> isn't what it used to be. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, a lot of boring stuff. I talk a lot. I can't nobody, – nobody reads this stuff. I don't even know why I write it. Uh, I wound, wound uh, Rob up over Ace Kilroy. That's a lot of fun, actually. I encourage people to, to uh, say things about Ace Kilroy and then watch Rob blow a gasket. It's I, I, when they did the superpowers of the second part, which is, let's face it, the lesser part, you know, they're talking about vehicles for God's sake. Uh, I pointed out that there was an unreleased Martian Manhunter vehicle. Uh, it was his Red Planet defense shield. You just put the figure inside of a water-filled condom. See, I point out my fascination with obscure characters like El Capitan Rayo and Protector, like somebody else actually cares. I mean, at some point, you just got to draw a line. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, they, the, the guys were talking about doing a Superman episode. I said that I thought that a Superman episode was too great an undertaking. How about launching a regular segment with a spotlight episode on the overall history of the show, then cover a cartoon per episode so we can follow along? It would be like a book club except without any book or words or rational adult exegesis. <laughs> I'm so proud that we got exegesis into the show. I really am. Uh, I was just going to point out, and I already did it earlier, the, the pajama bottoms I've got that have a Martian Manhunter logo, unlike uh, Firestorm, Shag, and with the punctuation of Jesse Pinkman when he calls people bitch on uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> Shag. So where, where's your Firestorm logo? Shag. Thank you very much. That is a pretty Thank good you. Jesse Pinkman uh, Im- imitation, I have to say. Uh, okay. Well, let's comments. go back to this other one where where you 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 in, insinuate that Marsha Mainhunter was secretly El Dorado. Nobody cares about that. But it's got a Bloodwind joke in there. Is that enough that I'm talking about Martian Manhunter on a regular basis? Nobody cares about El Dorado, and we, the people who care about El Dorado make fun of the people who care about Bloodwind. Okay, you know, but you're wait t- a minute. We just spent three hours detailing DC Sampler page by page. Can you really be an accurate arbiter of who cares about what at this point? Well, considering that the only people who are going to hear this are the three of us anyway, I think we've already covered the ground. I'm not listening. Um, it's really only the two of you. I, I, just, have, I just have a pet theory that uh, Martian Manhunter was actually El Dorado on the Super Friends show, and that's how he managed to work himself in. If you look at the powers, they're very similar. And uh, Bloodwind especially has similar powers to El Dorado with the teleportation and everything. Are, are you saying that El Dorado appeared in Death of Superman? No, Bloodwind appeared in Death of Superman. But I guess you could say that El Dorado appeared in the death of Superman just in his bloodwind form. Oh, God. <laughs> it's they both got a big cape. It takes a mad genius to come up with that theory. It really does. Um, okay, I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to cut you guys a break. I'm going to offer my full unedited comments from the April Fool's episode. No comment. Moving <laughs> on. Uh, Oh, okay. The, the, the follow-up, uh, we just still continue to discuss vibe into a second podcast, which shows just how sad our lives are. Um, but I pointed out that uh, Gary Conway had been credited with Luke McDonald as creating vibe in the first issue of vibe, when in fact Chuck Patton was the co-creator of vibe. And Gary Conway made a point of calling DC and let them know that there was an issue there. And DC told them that that's okay. Don't have to worry about it. We're not going to have any credit credits from now on. So way, way to deal with that, DC Comics. Uh, let's see, boring stuff. Man, this guy just writes so much crap. I can't uh, wait to read Frank's ears. comments on his own episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure I missed some stuff. Um, 
Actually, is that it? I, I don't think anybody wants to hear anything else. Um, yeah, I think that's probably pretty much it. Oh, there's yeah. a huge argument here between you and yeah, Keith. Yeah, hold on. Now, okay, Frank. Keith right, yeah. yeah, now let's, let's yeah. Frank, you're going to play yourself, and I'll play Keith G. Giaconetti, all right? So here we okay, go. Okay, go for it. All right. Comment. Or Luke Giaconetti, really. But. Well, but he signed himself. He signed it Keith Giaconetti because it was related to the fire or whatever. Anyway, he quotes himself back. He quotes Frank back to himself. Quote, Five, I've been listening to recent issues of recent issues of Views from the Long Box, and I have responsive essays at various levels of completion. You know that thing Michael Bailey does where he runs commercials with other podcasts? I friggin' hate that. Hate, hate, unquote. You mean like every like you mean like nearly every podcast everywhere does? And then I quote uh, Luke. You might like nearly you mean like nearly every podcast oh everywhere does. He's going to kill you, Frank. He's a dangerous man. Oh He's got a shotgun and a beard full of lights. Anyway, um, I, I don't listen to any other podcasts. <laughs> oh, my like God. <laughs> oh, shit. That's a, if Mike was character. listening to this, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> You're making me break character, guys. Come on. Um, I don't listen to any other podcasts. I've tried views from the long box, but otherwise all of my expectations come from fire and water. And I do not expect commercial interruptions. And I can be quite unpleasant about things. It's demonstrated by my previous 47 comments. <laughs> <laughs> and then at Frank, I'm deeply hurt. You don't listen to either of my podcasts. As far as I know, you have absolutely no interest in the topics covered. Honestly, fire and water is the only show I listen to, which does not do promos for other shows. And then and- he went and fed his pet tick. And to be, God. Now, to be fair, we will. Uh, we probably will have more uh, promos in future episodes, but uh, you know, we'll we'll just uh, air those from time to time. And yeah, they will be duly designated as such. Well, uh, I think uh, Luke also mentioned that he has some podcasts that he's upset that I don't listen to because he covers topics I have no interest in, and he's absolutely correct on that. Wow. <laughs> he and I did a Doctor Who episode not too long ago. It was a lot of fun. We enjoyed that. Rob, you want to take this one? <laughs> oh, hey, you know what? Little Russell Burbage, by the way, is the planet Earth's newest Doctor Who fan. So y'all can take that. As somebody is that else, like a socially uh, social disease. <laughs> As someone, that you just pick that up off the street, you hang out the wrong people, and all of a sudden you're a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> someone else referred to Doctor Who on the Firestorm fan as Doctor Who parentheses cares in parentheses. Um, he got the old sonic screwdriver. <laughs> Oh, anyway, God. all right, before we wrap this up, before I forget, I should point out, today I had my nephew over to watch the Star Wars trilogy, as we are wont to do, and he mentioned, I mentioned to him that I was recording a podcast tonight. I didn't mention I was doing it for nine hours, but I did tell him that I was doing it. And he apparently, uh, well, he suggested that he listen to the show, which I didn't believe, because he doesn't read comics. I was like, he doesn't listen to the show. But he actually named enough things about the show, including uh, the name of my co-host, that he, I assume that he actually is listening. So he asked that I mention him on the show tonight. There's no way he's going to get all the way through this. I was going to say, how old is he? Yeah, he's 14. So He'll be 15 by the time he's still listening to this episode. <laughs> but, I, but just in case he is listening, got all the way through, I want to say, Alex, I love you, kid. You're great, and thank you for listening to the show. So, Aw, that's sweet. Yeah. I just want to say that when I was 14 years old, I, I knew a lot of four-letter words with single syllables as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh god well anyway um thank you all for listening uh, i guess that's the appropriate word to use in this context i don't really know 
Uh, we have to thank Frank for coming on the show and doing this mammoth recording. Uh, do, do we have to? You I, also have to curse and damn me for doing well, the same damn thing. It's, you know, what can you do? Uh, a pox on Frank. A po- <laughs> a pox. Right. A we pox look, on your house. We look forward to Frank coming back for episode 100, which will be twice as long as this episode is. So We're actually going to start recording that immediately after this. <laughs> it's actually going to take uh, a whole year to listen to that podcast. Yes. We're going to cover every issue of the crisis on order, including all the tie-ins. So it's going to be great. Um, if you want to email the show to say how much you hated it, please do. It's Fire and Water Podcast. <laughs> com- I have to do inspiring those kind of comments, yes. Fire, Fire and Water Podcast. Fire- Let me get through this, Frank, for the love of Christ. Fire and Water Podcast at Comcast.net. You can find our Tumblr as fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us at aquamantrine.com, firestormfan.com. Uh, the Idol Head of Diabolu, as well as Frank's 27 other blogs. You can also find us on Fire and uh, Facebook, Twitter, maybe Google+. Uh, you, we need to fan the flame and ride the waves. Is there anything else we need to cover, Shag? <laughs> you hit it all, brother. All right. Well, you just want to uh, say – Except the part oh. where if I've got – you're the pot on the kettle when it comes to those pod – the bloods. So, ah, I'm tired. Blah. <laughs> I think he was making fun of the Rob Kelly family of blogs. That's true. I only only update a couple of them, so it doesn't count. Uh, I guess I should just say this is our 50th episode. In terms of recordings, I think it's like our 59th because we did the first episode nine times. But, uh, uh, you know, Shag and I would not be doing this if all of you weren't uh, listening and cared about it so much and gave us so much great feedback. So we thank everyone, including our guest host who will never return, Frank. Uh, <laughs> we really appreciate it. Like I said, Shag and I love doing the show, and we love talking to one another. And Shag and I have become uh, closer friends over this than than we were before. But we wouldn't be doing it if you guys didn't enjoy it. And and uh, we're really proud of the little family we built, and how all you guys interact with one another, and even make fun of one another, and sometimes even hate one another. I guess that's getting to that point. Uh, <laughs> like a real family, like a real family. But like I said we're we're fifty episodes in, and. Uh, I hope we can keep going. So, again, fan the f- thanks, everybody, for, for listening to the show. Fan the flame, ride the wave, and uh, for the love of, love of God, uh, go to bed. <laughs> Good night, folks. Well, and, and I just want to say that uh, through the comments on the message boards and through my guest appearances here on the show, I'm very appreciated, appreciative of your audience's masochism. I've taken great pleasure in indulging myself through that masochism. <laughs> Good night, folks. Walking from the arbor way where spring has come at last. The trees are in their glory as the taxis rush on past. The buildings are in twilight, the birds they spiral round as we walk to Fenway Park in Boston Town. Go right on Longwood Avenue to linger by the fence. With all its reeds and cattails out there pining in the wind. The lights come up as the sun goes down 
As we walk to Fenway Park in Boston Town. La ta ta ta, la ta 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 ta. As we walk to Fenway Park in Boston Town. To that baseball park between the streets of Jersey and Lansdowne. We walk to Fenway Park in Boston Town.